Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 388. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. Wow. <laughs> Uh, just as we start recording this show, uh, Stephanie McMahon announced a resignation from WWE again. <laughs> Wild times we're living in in 2023 in the ten, first 10 days of the year. Well, it's not again. She didn't resign the first time. Well, yeah, yeah but yeah. She was on a leave. <laughs> but now she's gone officially. Wow. Okay, so at this point, I think we all have the same visions running through our head. She had blinders on about her dad, and that board investigation was why she left, and now her dad coming back is why she's leaving again. Now that she knows who he really is, I guess. And this is so odd right now that, you know, we're doing a show, you know, this show is dedicated to old stuff, but... Real time, this is important stuff. Vince just put out an official statement. Oh. <laughs> First, I'd like to express my full support for Stephanie's personal decision. I'll forever be grateful that she offered to step in during my absence, and I'm truly proud of the job she did, Colleen WWE. Stephanie has always been the ultimate ambassador for our company, and her decades of contributions have left an immeasurable impact on our brand. I'm proud to announce that Nick Khan will serve as the CEO. WWE CEO. Nick's business acumen and mastery in the media industry have helped catapult our business to record revenue and profitability. Together, we look forward to working with the board at this critical moment in time to review our strategic alternatives and maximize value for all WWE shareholders. So basically where we're at is we're we're at WWE uh, before Vince had to go. In a way, the power structure, because Nick was, you know, in charge then, so to speak, with Vince. But as we sit right now, Triple H is in charge of creative and other wrestling operations, and Vince is theoretically still just steering the sale process. Yes. Theoretically being the operative word. Yeah, yeah, and that's the difference right now. Right now, you know, who knows what could happen? Who knows? Who knows if... uh, Vince will be, you know, back involved again, you know, as far as day-to-day operations or whatever. But, uh, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wild times, folks, in 2023. And, I mean, good Lord, that that 10-year rule. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, our people already wanting us to do do this stuff in 10 years. So, yeah, it's going to be... it's going to be something. Oh, you my know, goodness. Ha- did you know how happy I was that no one did a paid request for us to do Raw 1000 last year? See, now you, now you didn't talk it up. So, thank you. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, come well, let's on. Go no back one's to- nostalgic for that crap. Let's go back. Don't, don't, don't be surprised now. So, uh, let's, uh, let's go back now to a simpler time in wrestling history. <laughs> Looking at it now, it is. Let's go back to the week that was January 11th through the 17th of 1999. And we begin with World Championship Wrestling, where a lot's going on during our week. Nitro on January 11th in Knoxville, Tennessee, drew 13,024 fans. 12,280 paying 261, 285 in a 26,000 seat arena. That's the Thompson Bowling Center. That's where uh, UT plays basketball. Scaled down for wrestling. Uh, 
I mean, it's not <laughs> it's not twenty six thousand for wrestling. It's scaled down. So, um, Shelvin and Ric Flair interview. He put JJ Dillon back in power. He said Hulk Hogan would defend the title of Super Brawl. He called up the Latino World, World Order and put them over as the most talented wrestlers in the company. Then asked them to join WCW and give him their shirts. They all obliged except for one. Rey Mysterio Jr., who walked out. Um, Wade noted, well, Wade noted, Mean Gene noted that Eddie Guerrero was conspicuous by his absence. Well, gee, I wonder why, Bix. Car wreck. That's right. The worst possible timing <laughs> for, for Eddie. Because the LWO was starting to get going. And then there's the car wreck. It puts him out of action for months. And he, even though he was still working at a high level, he probably came back way too early, too. Well, of course. Despite, if I remember right, Bischoff telling him he should take as much time as he needed. Now, Flair noted during the promo that uh, he met with Dr. Harvey Schiller and Ted Turner. And says, as much as he dislikes it, Hogan's still the champion. He said he signed it in 2001. He wouldn't be going to the White House of Hollywood. It said Hogan works for him. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, G- Oakland tried to cut a commercial, but Flair stopped him. And said so he won the wrestle Kurt Henning later on the show. Uh, Dave noted that, uh, you know, it's about how he's a, he's a great interview, but one thing nobody in WCW's figured out is that when they use the word tradition to the modern fans, it's a total heel word, meaning old-timers, and I think it's some babyface phrase. You know what? I mean, I, when in that type of setting in that era, when you used the word tradition, I think that's right because WF had used the word tradition the year earlier with their NWA storyline, and we saw how well that went. But you know? we're only about a year and a half removed from the Horsemen and their allies as tradition being very over baby faces in WCW. Times have changed, though. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we're in a time and place where the the need for nostalgia isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really start until the 2000s in a lot of ways. Where, the, you know, Generation X is now starting to get older, you know, in the 2000s, and this where all uh, the remembrance of nostalgia starts kicking in more and more. We're like, especially towards the, you know, the decade of the eighties. Sure. So and pop culture, especially. So, all right. Um, Gene Oakland, this was great to be in reunion arena. That's next week. <laughs> oh, Gene. No. Is it also time for Saginaw, Michigan to get franchised? <laughs> He interviewed Perry Saturn, who expressed his dismay on the air by having to follow Ric Flair. Jericho came out and tried to liven up the segment as they tried to set up the dress match. Their repartee didn't come off good. Perry Saturn had a line picks in this that Wade noted. I do a lot of things, but drag isn't one of them. I so, mean, even um, once he loses the match, he's does, he doesn't dress in drag. He just wears a dress. Yes. All right, so... Uh, Ernest Cat Miller beat Perry Saturn by his qualification at 431 when Scott Dickinson called for the bell and raised Miller's hand, even though Jericho interfered and attacked Saturn. 
Jericho tried to put this ugly dress on Saturn twice, but couldn't get it on. It almost appeared as Saturn was trying to help him get it on. The angle came off as muffed. Um, what they need to note about this match in particular is that on commentary, they explained that Saturn and Scott Dickinson went to the same wrestling school and there was resentment between the two. Yes. So they're getting that going. Interesting angle. All right. So uh, next we get the first Eric Bischoff segment of the show. As he's at the WCW office with Ric Flair. And uh, let's go to uh, this clip, shall we? Yeah. Um, Dave's right up here says it's all caps way too long. But let's see what we've got here. Buckle up. What are you doing? Flair put you up to this? Fingers. What is this? A money green jag in my parking spot? I don't think so. Why do you have a parking spot when the li- I mean, I guess he drives there. Is he supposed to be coming from the airport, maybe? Um, uh, not Eddie's sure. In a limo? If you just have this wonderful limo service... I mean, I guess he's still in charge. He should have a parking lot. Is this also the first time we've ever gotten a look at the uh, offices in, uh, where is it, Smyrna? I don't think it's the first time. But it hasn't been open long either, right? No. And it is Smyrna, right? Yes, Smyrna. Because I'm trying to think. When was the last time they did, when, when did they move from CNN Center? 98. Okay, so it's been months. Uh oh, his key card's not working. <laughs> oh, come on! He should just ask Sonny Ono to borrow his. Since he has one, even though he's not an employee. <laughs> hey! Can I help you, sir? Open the door! Open the door! It's open. No, you can't help me, sir. Excuse me. Bruce, can you help me, please? I need Who are you to sign you? in. Where's please. Amy? Sign in. I need Excuse you to sign in. Where's Amy? Please sign in. Let's sign in Bruce, anything. Please help Mr. me out Trump, with sir. this. Where's Amy? Who are you? Amy's You're going not to have to here. stop here, sir. Please have a seat. Who are you? Mr. Flair will be with you momentarily, sir. Get out of my way. Mr. Bischoff. Mr. Do you know Mr. who Flair? I am? No, sir. You know my name? Sir, Mr. Bischoff. That's right. I need but he doesn't know who he is. Don't be sorry about it. This is stupid. Please have a this seat, is sir. stupid. Mr. Flair, be with you momentarily. This is ridiculous. Where's Where's Amy? Amy's no longer here. She's no longer here. By the way, Bischoff in this era, with his hair dyed and the goatee, and just with everything he's doing, this is the most tired he ever looked. Like physically yes. tired. Yes, you can definitely tell it's wearing on him. Like, he looks like a different person when he takes a few months off from TV and comes back. Yes. So we're doing time-lapse of him waiting to see player. Look, I don't have all day. Tell Mr. Flair 
He wanted me here at 8 o'clock. I was here at quarter to 8. If he wants to see me, he's going to have to do it before dinner time. Days flare running this company. You know what a joke that is? Do you know what a joke that is? You're new. You don't know. I was here in 91. You would think a polished TV professional like Eric would realize that while he's pacing around to make the scene interesting, that he should not wander too far out of the range of the boom mic. Yeah, well, get ready for this doozy he's about to tell here. Flair huh? Jim Ross was running WCW. They couldn't put 400 people in a building if they were giving away money. What? <laughs> You weren't running WC Flair. No, it was Dusty. And Jim Hurd. Eric. What? Mr. Flair will see you now. <laughs> is that Janie Angle? Yes, it, yes it is, Bix. It, pause. Dave, Dave Melser notes. Um, we get the first television appearance of the legendary Janie Angle. And in, in uh, parentheses, and I swear she looks exactly like Dory Sr. would if he was a woman. <laughs> oh, so we're just putting that out there, huh? <laughs> what is the official word on that? <laughs> no, seriously, what is the official word on that? Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Didn't she post something like on her own website? Yeah, that, yeah, she it's, calls herself Jingle Funk sometimes. She's Dory's Dory's sister, Dory and Terry's sister, but from someone other than their mother. Correct. Okay, looking this up, I forgot about this. I found a Dory Funk post to RSPW, explicitly calling her his kid sister. Yeah. Why no one ever talks about it, really? I don't know. Since it's not a secret. It's weird, right? Yeah. Hey, Janie. Follow me, please. Now I kind of want to get a better <laughs> look at her face again. Um, oh, well, I, as I do that, oh, he was about to face the camera. Oh, salary. What about your new house and your stock options? Did Ric Flair get that for you? Yes, he did. Yeah, she looks a lot a lot like Senior. She's a funk. <laughs> oh, oh, you're as delusional as he is. I forget, is this before or after she almost left for the WWF? Did it Did work the day off? Whatever it was. I think it's after. Mr. Blair, Eric's here to see you. <laughs> Great, bring him in. This is ridiculous. It's you're ridiculous. out of your mind. It's ridiculous, but this, it's reality, Eric. This is my office. Eric. This is my desk. Eric, Eric, before I call security, have a seat. You and I got to talk. The best part of this is that Flair's purple robe is just hanging on the coat rack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and when you think it'd be a more elaborate, uh, I say elaborate, more extravagant type of office. Yeah. Can we stop watching it at this point? <laughs> No, it gets better. Oh, no. <laughs> we got, we got to the end yet. Remember when I used to sit on that side of the desk? Yes. And you used to tell me, first of all, Rick, this is an office, not your living room. Remember how that conversation <laughs> went? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. And let's just you and I talk. We get, get so few moments alone together. Did you enjoy the show last Monday night? 
parts. I think that's pretty cool what Nash and Hogan did. And you know, there were there was a moment where it started to get fun. Yeah, I thought it was pretty. Yeah. To be clear, if you haven't figured it out, this is the week after the finger poke gym. Yes. I saw that. I saw that you finally came around and found yourself behind the microphone. It's a little hard to do. Unless you've got the proper motivation. Which also, I just realized, Eric should be wearing black and red. Gave me the motivation. He was announcing. Oh, not necessarily. Cool. Isn't he allied with NWO Elite? You wouldn't have had anything to do with that, right? No. It's all the same in a way. Well, because they're all combined. I'm nothing more than an announcer. You wouldn't have known about that. No. Didn't know anything. Okay. You've elected to stay as an employee of the company while I'm running it. But the one thing that really sits wrong with me is the fact that I got you in a position last week that you didn't like, but somehow you rose to the occasion. And at the end, you seem to really enjoy that moment. So here's what we're going to do. I've got some plans for Hogan and Nash, but I'm not going to tell you what those are. I'm just going to discuss you and me. And over the next 90 days, I'm going to make your life as miserable as I possibly can. I don't really know right now what Dr. Schiller and Ted Turner are going to let me do about Nash and Hogan and Hall and this new group of outlaws. But I do know what they're going to let me do with you. And, Get to the point. And, I've got a plan and, to catch. And, and, no, 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 I hope you do. But while you're on your way to the airport... What are you doing? I'm handing you all this cool stuff. Let me see. Motorsports. This is a nameplate for This is all your stuff right here. I know it's my stuff. What are you doing? This is your briefcase. I want to show you your next venture. Your next. (laughs) Flair, you're kidding yourself. I'm assuming, by the way, that the reason there's no proper miking once they get in the office is that the office is small enough that a boom mic would be visible. How about Janie Engel has the flag of Texas on her uh, ball? Well, she's a punk. Wait for me. I'll be with you about 10 minutes. Let me wait for you. That's my car. Eric, that was your car. Remember I told you? I know you love motorsports, motorcycles, trucks, 4x4s. Yeah, but I got to get to the airport. No, this is where you're going right now. See this right here? This is the truck that hauls the ring to Knoxville. <laughs> That's a Night truck. The greatest wrestling program on the face of this earth has to have a ring set up, buddy. And you now are in charge. Actually, not in charge. You're working for him. In the truck, Knoxville. I'm not putting up no ring. In the truck. And I'm not riding in that truck. Put the ring up, tighten the bolts, clean the mats. We don't like the guys getting any infections. Get it ready for the show Monday night. Ugh. This is ridiculous. Hey, don't they call you Easy E? Is that, isn't that what Nash calls you? Go get it, Easy E. Hey, that's his box of belongings out there. Hey. I'm trying to remember, does he let him ride in the cab? Damn, thing's filthy. You gotta be kidding. Oh, this is a good truck. It rides good. It rides good. It's a good that. truck. It rides good. Listen to that. It's a good truck. Come on in here. 
my. Eric Bischoff riding shotgun on his way here to Knoxville. He had a long weekend. And uh, fans, we're going to follow this story about Eric uh, putting the ring up, as you see in the center of the building right now. And right now, let's take uh, you to... Well, at so, least he didn't make him ride in the back of the truck like he was an evolved wrestler coming from Florida or something. <laughs> so Dave notes that... Uh... The whole Ross thing was really classic knocking Ross because in his present medical condition. And not to mention how bad it not to mention how bad it sounds considering the current success of Titan. And also yes, he Ross wasn't in charge false. at the time. Yeah. So we'll talk more about the Ross health thing later on. Uh Dave also knows anyway, this same drew a six point four rating. Oh right, unopposed power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> six point four. Jesus. Nice work if you can get it. So anyway, uh, after that, we get uh, Mean Gene interviewing Chava Guerrero Jr. on the ramp. And uh, it's Pepe's birthday, Bix. You know what that's going to mean in wrestling and even more. Let's go to the clip. Tony, if you recall the words of President Ric Flair, face-to-face with Eric Bischoff, he says, Pal, I'm going to make your life as miserable as I can for the next 90 days. Here, here. Please. I forget, was it a 90-day stipulation, or was the idea he would try to get him to quit on a 90-day cycle or something? I think it's a little both. So. Okay. Check this out. Happy birthday time here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And with that, I want to bring out a young man who's taken WCW by storm. He's none other than Shovel Guerrero Jr. And Peppy. Peppy. Shovel, before we get to the birthday celebration, uh, your uncle, Eddie Guerrero. Eddie, I know you're at home over there. You're watching. Get well soon, brother. We're praying for you, all right? All right. Now, what about the birthday party? What's going on here? As you all know, Peppa's had a little hard time as of late. He's been beat up. He's had the, the stuffing kicked out of him, literally. He's had it his body broken. And it's his birthday today, and I want to do something nice for Pepe. What, what, what did you have in mind? What did you have in mind, Shovel? It's his birthday. What do you do on a birthday? You sing happy birthday. Well, of course you sing happy birthday. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little party for Pepe. All right, we've got... 18,000, here that probably would like to join in if you lead in the singing. This is the first time Chavo really shows any personality. But what makes it actually work and helps him get over, I think, is that, it, is that he's, by this point, he's more or less playing it straight. Yes. It wasn't necessarily that way at the beginning, but as he grew into the character, he's just playing the straight. Well, the thing, uh, the thing also to notice about... Uh... Ric Flair. Um, he's cutting so baby much face Flair promos, yes. Well, I mean, he's playing it straight. Yes. If they would have kept it f- straight with Flair as the boss, it would have been a whole lot different. Yes, as opposed to him losing his mind and thinking he's the president of the United States. Yes. Debbie Sir, everybody. Would you sing with us tonight, folks? Hey, Pepe, please. Okay, Pepe, let's go. You got to sing, too. You're I'll here. Sing. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pat. You're breaking out of the birthday party. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm a little hurt. I'm a little hurt that I wasn't invited to the birthday party. I'm a little upset about Eddie. I'm really upset that you, you too, Gene, went behind my back and arranged this party and didn't invite me. It's water under the bridge. I want to make amends with Pepe. I'm a good guy. Well, don't try to convince us verbally. Your actions of the past have proven you're not a good guy for Chavo Guerrero or Pepe. Gene, please let bygones be bygones. I'm out here. I'm willing to make amends, Chavo. I love the Guerrero family. I feel bad for Eddie. And I just want to be here as a friend. All right. Thank you, Norman Smiley. Yeah. First of all, Norman, you weren't invited, all right? If, if, if I wanted you here, you'd be invited. Pepe's a nice guy. Pepe has not hurt anybody. No, nobody, everybody just treats him with abuse, especially you. Gene, I'm out here as a man. I'm offering you my hand in friendship, and I apologize. I'm here to make amends. I don't know. I've always got the opinion you didn't need any more friends, Mr. Smiley. Smiley. Get that right, Gene. Okay, I'm here. Please shake my hand. I'm not going to shake your hand. I've got nothing to do with you. If Pepe wants to shake your hand, that's up to him. Pepe, Pepe, you want to shake Norman's, Norman's hand? Huh? Be, be careful, be careful. Pepe's going to shake your hands. He's, he's fair, he's a nice guy. That's all I'm asking is a chance. That's all I'm asking, Chavo. I think this is some way you can make amends here. Norman Smiley, if you... Hey, hey! What the... We got a cake. <laughs> and there goes Chavo in the, the cake. first piece of cake. And the rest of ah! As Norman Smiley is out to make cake the point, the I guess. Yeah. He's not done yet. Watch out. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> now that takes the, the cake. Happy birthday. He has completely ruined this birthday celebration. Head to toe, covered yeah, in birthday cake. that is definitely cake. not a particle board table. That, but I'll say it again. He's completely ruined this birthday celebration. I don't think he, you said that again. He's, he's got the horse. He's taking Pepe. He's gone. Stick horse, neck brace, and all. And Chavo just full of it. The cake, that is. Walking out. Full of what? Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen next? On Monday Nitro. Come on, Pepe. I got a surprise for you. He's going to ride Come on, Pepe. Pepe. Away. Here straight ahead. By the way, the award-winning easy, WWE easy. Network has a separate chapter mark here. Easy, Pepe. Come on, baby. Norman is riding, Pepe. Come on. Giddy up. Giddy up. Giddy up. Come on, Pepe. 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 Blue Factory. Pepe. Pepe. This is a surprise. Oh, they should conveniently oh, have a uh, <laughs> wood chipper. Wood chipper. That's a shredder, isn't it? Ha, ha, ha.
Bischoff is putting up the ring. We've tried to put a dress on Saturn. We've sung happy birthday to a stick horse and destroyed him. What's next? Oh, I know what. Let's check in on Raven. <laughs> well, in a second. <laughs> yeah, Dave said, uh, here's what Dave said. Uh, geez, you'd think uh, Norman's stick horse friends would be mad because none of them, uh, none of them put the poor guy in a net brace. Uh, so I guess Pepe. So Smiley put the face in the cake, by on the cake. Chavo did a great job getting cake all over the place. Norman then shredded Pepe. Dave said, Where's the SPCA when you need them? Ridiculous. <laughs> the highlight of that may have been at the end where as Pepe actually goes through the wood chipper, you can tell that it's genuinely Pepe going through the wood chipper because you can see the remnants of uh, the stuffing powdering into the Yes, that's when Chava is like, no! I guess it's the stick horse equivalent of pink mist. Yes. All right. So let's go to Raven now. What a, what a run of consecutive segments here. Let's go to Raven now as uh, he's at home with his neighbor Jim. So yeah, wait a second. So just to, just to be clear, we've had in a row, even though we haven't played all of them. Flair opening promo outlining the changes within WCW, which also has true chapter marks for some reason. Jericho Saturn, uh, Ernest Miller dress stuff. The Flair Bischoff office segment. This with Chavo and Pepe now right at home with Raven. Then there's Jesus Christ. Then there's an NWO promo after. Oh my God. All right. Well, uh, let's go to this. Here, here tonight on Nitro. Yeah. That Canyon ain't coming around again today, is he? No. You know what I think? I think you should ditch him just like you did Saturn. And to be clear, Raven and Jim are playing backgammon. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dave calls it a board game. Wade said they're playing chess. No. What? <laughs> it's backgammon. Wade said they're playing chess. You know, I've never played backgammon, but also everyone knows what a backgammon board looks like. Yes, that's back. Yes, exactly. It's backgammon. Not yeah, except for Wade Keller. Scotty, remember back in high school, you were the only person that ever liked him. It's your move. Hey, Mom, where's my high school yearbook? It's out in the box in the garage. Mark Scotty's stuff. Put it out there. I told Why you. Why is it in the garage? This is you. Because your grandmother moved in and I needed the room, Scotty. I told you that. I know Grandma moved in, but why did you have to take my stuff down? She I could have left with my stuff on the walls. The room. Oh, I guess so it was inappropriate for Grandma to have my stuff on a wall. Yeah. The stuff was all tasteful, Mom. Penthouse. Shut up, Jim. <laughs> hey, find anything? Nice. Roddy yeah. Piper posters. Nothing. This does not go anywhere, by the way. Uh, look into the past of Raven, obviously, before he got into wrestling. A big uh, of Roddy. Yeah, oh yeah, the Hells Angels are bringing the NWO uh, down with the motor. It goes nowhere, but I c- could you imagine a Piper-Raven angle? I mean, God knows that Piper's the guy that gave him his first push. Yeah? That would have been something. It would have been different. It would, I think it would have motivated Piper. Yeah. 
Definitely want to motivate a Raven. Would miss something, but I love the Raven family stuff. It's hilarious. Yes. Uh, that that quarter hour drew a six point three rating. Hell yeah. <laughs> so Nitro's quarters five point seven, six point four, six point three, and now we're getting into the top of the hour. So Raw's on. Now the rating starts dropping. Uh, it goes to a five point for the NWO. So at Raven and Norma Smiley and Chavo. They could say, hey, we drew the ratings on this show. <laughs> well. Isn't it odd, though, that you, that you don't put at least some of your big stars? I know I'm not counting Flair, but some of your big stars in the opening unopposed segments where there, most people are going to be watching the show? It's WCW. I know it is. All right, so uh, Hogan and the, and the NWO showed up. Um, minus the giant. Now, the Hell's Angels was leading them through. Wolfpack was in the limo, and they were confronted by the the JV team, black and white. Hogan was uh with the with the black and white guys. I tell him, he says, you know, we're supposed to meet them at, meet you at the Hyatt. Blah blah blah. He's, you know, blowing them off. Hogan bragged about having the Hell's Angels being a backup. Um, he said he's claiming to still be going to the White House, blah, blah, blah. Scott Steiner ripped on DDP, said he's going to take his wife. His arms are bigger than Paige's legs. Uh, Hogan said, you don't care if WCW has the Falcons as, as their backup. We got the Hells Angels, blah, blah, blah. So there you go. And Giant was, was there, and they got in the conversation. You know, Nash was doing everything to turn babyface, which is easy enough since they were in Knoxville, where he went to college. That's the thing about the end of this NWO here, um, especially Nash. There's still babyfaces, if you think about it. They act like babyfaces, the cool babyface. You know, they didn't turn, so to speak, in 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 Nash's mind. You know? Oh, you mean in it, a the heel believes he's the babyface way? Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, because Nash is a babyface and he still thinks he is the babyface and acts like that, so the fans are going to treat him as such. Even though he just threw a match for the world title. Yeah. Okay. Next, Rey Mysterio Jr. went to no contest with Katayashi. It is spectacular. Minute fifty three seconds when Luger came out and attacked Ayashi. He told Ray to take the LWO shirt off. Ray refused. Luger attacked him. Ray actually got to come back and the place went nuts for it, but Luger cut him off and beat him up. Then Conan ran in for the save. The whole Wolfpack came out. Conan thought Nash was still his best friend. Dave guess he hasn't been paying attention the last few weeks. They all turned on Conan, complete with Scott Hall shooting him up with a taser. Fans chanted for Goldberg, then for Sting. Chance for Sting are real loud, which is impressive since he hasn't been around for months. Gene, okay, so, um, there's a Conan turn, Bix. And Wade uh, says that he thinks this is going to lead to Conan and Ray starting a new LWO for, for no other reason to sell T-shirts. Mm. Which doesn't happen. So you you going to play this or where, where, where we stand on this? I, do you want to? I mean, uh, or skip ahead a little to see if we can at least get the turn on Conan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess this is 101. Let's because the scrub ahead doesn't show the right thing. Let's see. Uh, don't ride right, like uh, that. 
You know, look at him. Ray, he ain't no threat to us. He ain't got no titles. You know I've always looked out for him. He's been like my little brother since, you know, he was 12 years old, man. What's up? Always looked out for him, including when you turned on him and injured his knee when you joined the NWO. Well, well, that's like the Kevin Noah and Sami Zayn storyline. Okay. What's without having a Wolfpack shirt on? What about us being in your video? Man, I'm cool, but we don't do everything together, do we? He's not supposed to wear this shirt. He's not Wolfpack NWO. We made that clear. Well, you know what? After seeing this, I'm glad you weren't in my video. Yo, Kev, what's up, man? I'm almost laughing just watching these men walk to the ring who clearly do not know how to navigate the pairs of pants they are wearing. Oh, this is the yeah, this is the era where they're wearing uh, Luger and Hogan, especially, are wearing jeans that they would never wear in their normal life. But they're trying to look young and hip and cool. They're wearing jabos and stuff like that. It's hilarious. I mean, Hogan's really wearing raver pants more than that than those yeah. jeans. And Nash is wear- not wearing the same style of jeans. He's wearing almost more of like I. They're not skinny jeans, but compared to what he'd normally be wearing, I guess they are. Yeah, he went in a different direction. <laughs> and b- between those jeans and his knees, he looks like a ninety-year-old man walking to the ring. Yes. What's up? You know I'm Wolfpack. You've been knew that. Nash also taking very small strides because it looks like he thinks he's going to rip the crotch if he could... goes too far. Conan! Let me speak on this! Orale. And then oh, boy! I think we got a little sample of that recently in Richmond when they dismantled the LWO. And Kevin Nash is Conan's line and let me speak on this there. I think we got what we needed here. Yeah. So, there you go. All right. Um, Gene interviewed the Giant, who he just had just woken up for four four minutes earlier. <laughs> How many more weeks is he even on TV? Wade said he looked bigger and sweatier than ever. So, there's that. Booker T pinned Lenny Lane with a sidekick in 354. Then they had a video segment of Hogan and Nash talking about the title match. Like it was the toughest match of either's career. It was hilarious. Nash talked about Hogan's tap and said, uh, two or three more of them and I've been finished. <laughs> he claimed to be unconscious when Hogan pinned him. The giant is wearing so his gear backwards, by the way. Has he been hanging out with Vader? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, he's looking pretty tired. All right, uh, Scott Steiner kept TV title beating DDP in 1022 at their chair shot and camel clutch. Buff interfered freely and even took a bump. The ref was bumped. Buff threw powder in Paige's eyes, so Paige actually gave a diamond cutter to Vincent. So, uh, there's that. Wait, who's the TV champ here? Uh, Scott Steiner. Who did he beat? Uh, Conan? No, because they would have both been, or yeah, because they would have been in separate NWO factions. Let's see, because TV Town '98 goes through some changes. All right, so this is the World Television Champions. He defeated Conan. 
who defeated Chris Jericho. Yep. So there you go. And after the match, they played Conan's brand new music video again. Yes, of course it did. All right, so next we get more on Eric Bischoff. Uh, well, there's a pre-tape Goldberg interview to play before that, which Dave didn't know, but Wade did. Said so mis- that mistake would never happen again of uh, trusting Kevin Nash. So uh, now let's go to Eric Bischoff and his uh, dalliance with Klondike Bill and the ring crew. Carrying the ringside mask over his shoulder. Eric, yeah, just bring her on in here. Shut up, old man. Now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. Just bring it in the ring. Now you're working for me. You're working for me. You remember that? That's Bill. Yeah. For me now. Yep. Bring it inside. Bring it inside. Oh no! Excuse me. That's the ring cat. All right, we got a rope down there. How about go get that? What are you gonna do? This is my job. I supervise this and engineer this setting this up. You're helping me. Remember that. Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, you're doing it wrong. You mean I'm doing it wrong? Wait a minute. It's a damn rope. It's not an airplane. You don't have to fly it. You just drag it to the ring. You're not running the company anymore. Don't point at me. Rick Flair's running it. You're working yeah, for yeah, me, so yeah, just yeah, pick yeah, it up yeah. and let's get it to the ring. Pick it up yourself. Don't drag it. What do you mean, don't drag it? Drag it and get it dirty. Then we got to retake it. What do you mean, get it dirty? It's ring ropes for crying out loud. The ropes ain't wrinkled. I could eat dinner with it. Get it dirty. Damn ring is filthy anyway. What do you mean, filthy? Well, we got you to yeah, clean it. We'll get no. That's your job. We'll get you to clean it up. In the ring, not on the floor. Bring it in the ring. You grab it, will ya? That is not my job. It's your job. What, are you just going to stand there and watch? Yes, I'm going to stand here and watch because let me tell you something. This is my job. I'm responsible yeah, for this, and yeah, you're working for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Where you been? This should have been done. What'd you go for dinner or something yeah, or what? I had to eat. Yeah. You got a problem with that? Yeah, you should have got what done do I, first. What do I don't get a I lunch always break? finish the ring before I eat dinner. Yeah, right. I can you tell. Know? Take one look at you. Figure well, that out. At least I've been eating good anyway. Yeah, you've been eating good for two, three people. <laughs> Obviously, you're making too much money. Tell me Cost of living is very high. I can tell. By your wardrobe. <laughs> Flashy dresser, Bill. Flashy He's dresser. He's wear my work clothes. What do you want me to wear? A tuxedo or something? Set the <laughs> roll these out now, Bill. Yeah, Come no. on. No, no, All right, you got to get inside here. No kidding, Bill. No kidding. I can figure this out. Well, how can you figure you know that out? You know what? If you're not going to tell me something, hey, I don't already know. Here, shut the hell up. Out there. Hey, the role is here. You're arguing yeah, all that yeah, out there. Shut huh? up, will you? You're giving me a headache. Well, take an aspirin if you're getting a headache. <laughs> Doing great. Just keep rolling. All right, goes up under the rope here. There you go. Very good. It'll be a damn genius to put a ring up, Bill. We done now? Anything else? Wash your car. 
The rope, you can't wrestle with loose rope like this. We gotta well, then tighten the them up. Some companies you do. <laughs> Turn up the time buckle. Goddamn pal. Say what you mean, Bill. <laughs> Which way do you turn them, Bill? Here you go. This might make it a little easier on you. I don't need it. Very good. Come prepared, hey, you know, Bill. You're, hey, you're pretty sharp. Come I use prepared, a, Bill. I use a wrench once in a while, too, you know. Come what prepared, do they Bill. Tell me or something. Don't give me that one, Bill. Don't give them to me on a silver platter like that, Bill. <laughs> These are too long, but it, they're very... It's entertaining. Uh, it's entertaining. Yeah. All right. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Oh, working for Claudette Bill is tough labor, ain't it? Uh, all I right. Bob Vila's job's not in trouble. <laughs> oh, we're going to... We need to see that again. I, but first, we're going to take you now back, fans. Having a good time as we look at our fans here. Let's take a look. All right, boss. Uh, 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 Wade, real quick, Wade, Wade noted... Aren't the WCW employees who are picking on Bischoff worried about how he'll react after Flair's 90-day term is over and he becomes their boss again? Well, you see, <laughs> once uh, Bill regales Eric with many stories of glass coffee tables, he won't have room <laughs> in his memory anymore for how the other people were treating him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, me. So next we got Scott Hall against Bam Bam Bigelow, where Scott won in 343. When Disco, who will still be doing the NWO pledge gimmick, ran down and gave Scott his taser, which he lit Bigelow up with. Just before the finish, Raph came out and shoved Bigelow off the top rope. Let's see. One guy shoved you and you take a bump. The other guy zaps you, shutting down all your bodily functions. They come back and say Bigelow's going crazy, but he's not mad at Scott Hall. He's mad at Raph. They're so lucky it's easy to make money these days in this business. <laughs> Not for long, Dave. So when is their pseudo ladder match? Is that the following week after the pay-per-view? Or was that the week before? They're beefing here, so. Because that, that match is probably Scott Hall's uh, best in-ring performance in WCW. So. Uh, <laughs> but Dave's right. <laughs> Raph just shoves you off the top row. Scott Hall really kills you. Yes. All right. Ric Flair beat Kurt Henning by DQ in 951. Write this one down. The last good match Kurt Henning was in was on January 11, 1999, because it's going to be a while. Wow. This was the best match on either show, in Raw or Nitro. Not that it was great or anything, but it was good. We win the men interfered regularly, clothesline David Flair. Finally, when them was DQ for jumping on Rick when he got the figure four on, on, David tripped both guys as they were coming off the ropes and took his shirt off and ran him off with Dad. Flair talked about David being 19, but he's really 21 or 22. Uh, Wade notes that uh, David had a very ordinary physique. Well, so the crowd isn't into David. He looks nervous and appears to be definitely afraid of making a mistake. That came across. Yes. That definitely came across with David Flair. He looked like he was scared to death. And he actually still is 19 at this point. Well, there you go. So he doesn't wrong. turn 20 until March 6th. So there you go. All of that said, wrong. they should have just brought in Romeopolis to be his son. No, that had been awesome. Uh, Nash pinned the Giant in a terrible match at 628 when he used the wrench 
left under the rain by Eric Bischoff. So there's your oh. payoff, folks. There's your payoff. Since that was happening in the ring, Dave was taking notes and other stuff. So was the crowd, which was hot for Flair and Henning, and saw these guys doing a sluggish match, and the fans wound up sluggish as well. Michael Buffer said Nash was considered by many as the best big man in the sport. I know he says it every time he announces a Nash match. Just wondering who those many are. I can only figure the combined IQ of me of the many is less than that of a few. <laughs> when Giant went up for a slam, Bob Heenan said, how you'll never see anyone in the sport who can slam the Giant. Like we haven't seen that done 50 times in the last three years in every high-profile match the guy's been in. Next thing you know, when Flair flips to the turnbuckles on the preview, I like nobody ever seen that one before either. Bischoff showed up. They called Nash the NWO Corporate Giant. I guess that's meant as a nonsense giant will probably go to WF with the name Titan or something similar as the WF Corporate Giant to turn Kane back babyface. And finally, Bobby Heenan talks about not having to be Columbo or Banachek, two private eyes from Dave thinks the 70s, he's right, to figure out that Bischoff left the wrench for Nash to use. Why couldn't he have been given more current references like, say, Mannix or McGarrett? <laughs> Okay, so what shows did he make references to? Uh, Banachek, which was George Apart, early 70s. Columbo, same time period. Although Columbo lasts a lot longer. McGarrett, of course, that's Hawaii Five-0, same time period. And Mannix, Mike Connors, same time period. All those shows were airing on TV concurrently in the early 70s. Okay, so Banachek was 72 to 74. Um... And Col- hadn't there been a more recent version of Columbo too, the movies at least, or yeah, I mean, well, it, yeah, or Columbo had been around for a, Columbo had been around a lot longer, so. Okay, but so all the shows sixty-eight to seventy-eight to then eighty-eight, eighty-nine to ninety-eight. Okay, so Columbo had just been ongoing though, at least in some form. Yeah, and actually would continue to be for a few more years. Yeah. And like I said, Mannix was on the seventies on CBS, uh, Hawaii Five O, of course. Everybody knows that. So, okay. So if we go by what Heenan said, though, Banachek being the other one, so Banachek hadn't been on in almost twenty-five years. That's the most obscure reference of them all. Yes. So okay, what would okay? So twenty-five years ago, as we sit right now, would be ninety-eight. Yes. Okay, so what would be on the air as far as our? Okay, I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is still going. Nash Bridges. Popularity yet. Okay, that's a good example, actually. If you... <laughs> it involves wrestling, too. Yeah. Um... Nash Bridges is on. X-Files is on. Are you talking about police detectives? I'm just thinking in general. NYPD Blue, yeah. I'll put it this way, though. How dated would you consider it if a commentator made a reference to Sipowitz today? Oh, God, that's highly dated. But do you Today. consider it more dangerous? But you know what? But you know what? Though, yeah. Here's the thing. You know what? Streaming, if they make it a reference, uh, Columbo. No, Columbo would be more of a relevance uh, reference today than it was in 1999. Why? I think over over Sipowitz, absolutely it would be because it's more of a cultural icon character. Yes. Be- okay. Well, no, not just that. It's that the stuff. From the seventies and eighties, has aged a lot better than stuff from the nineties has, pop culture wise, mm. in every form and fashion. Like Me TV, you know, Me TV is not playing NYPD Blue, but Me TV has played every single one of these 
every once in one of these shows and, and they're every day. Well, every week. Columbo's on there. Mannix is on there. Hawaii Five O's been on there. Banachek has been on there here and there. Yeah. Well, NYP so Blue was on had, Heroes and Legends at, when I still got that. Yeah, but that's no me TV. No. That's a very, you know, obscureish channel on the on those things. Songs on Hulu. When when is when is that revival show coming? Wasn't that supposed to be on already? I don't know. You mean the show with uh, Dash and uh, Dax and Cash? No, no. The the NYPD the, the Blue sequel with uh, uh, Theo Sipowitz as a cop investigating Andy's death or whatever it was supposed to be. I don't know, but anyway. Um. So, <laughs> Wade. Uh, Wade's. Uh, oh, it was canceled after a pilot. Okay. Go ahead. Since WCW put another strong effort in, but the show came off a little flat. Pre-tape Raw light skits continue to be a train wreck. Oh, this is Jason Powell, not Wade. Excuse me. Oh, he did the Nitro review. Um, pre-tape Raw light skits can be a nice touch. They announced two more matches for pay-per-view, making a grand total of three for the Sunday after. Three matches total announced. Overall, the hype for the pay-per-view six days later was weak. WCW is trying hard, but they have a long way to go. Uh, Back to Dave. There was some internal heat regarding the DDP Steiner match on Nitro. As you could tell, those in charge now want more clean finishes. Although Dave doesn't understand why Goldberg didn't win the triangle match because Big Lou isn't even over, so he can get beat at this point. And Steiner's in for a major push for DDP at a few, and it was felt he needed the first win. The feeling is DDP should have put Scott Steiner over strong, but instead he told the announcers to say he was working with walking pneumonia, not the case, and then had a ton of interference from Bagwell and Steiner and used the gimmick to beat him. It's DDP, of course, Bix. Lord. He had his ribs taped up for how long? <laughs> Forever. All right, Thunder, which was taped before Nitro, but of course aired after Nitro. Bam Bam Bigelow's from the torch. Ben Begler will be Scott Pusky with a grease from Asbury Park 609. During the match, Shivani hyped that Ming and the Barbarian would reunite and meet Mike Enos and Bobby Duncan Jr. Norman Smiley beat Prince Ikea in 1204. Mike Tanay corrected Shivani on the proper pronunciation of Smiley's last name. Norman Smiley. Shivani blew him off, so Tanay told him he was trying to educate the viewers. Shivani told him the viewers didn't want to be educated. They just want to watch wrestling. <laughs> In the end, Smiley locked in the Norman's Conquest chicken wing submission hole for the win. Yeah, Biggs, wrestlers, wrestling fans don't want to be educated. They just want to watch wrestling. Gino's going to be Jimmy Hart on the rampway. Jimmy announced to the world that he re- reunited Ming and the Barbarian. Wow. Rather than call them face to fear, Hart said they were the newest members of the first family. The crowd sat silently. In another WCW mix-up, Shivani earlier announced that they would be wrestling. He did. Then they had highlights of Bischoff and John uh, Nash from Nitro. Chris Jericho beat Van Hammer by submission with the Lion Tamer in 425. Before the match, Jericho did some mud work to shots at Saturn. During his ring entrance, Hammer said, life's a party. But remember that too much partying. I forgot. I can't remember. <laughs> it's noted here. Maybe there's hope for Rob Van Dam joining WCW after all. <laughs> <sighs> Lord. Two minutes in, Saturn came to the ringside, but just watched the match. Today, hyped WCW Saturday night by announcing the exciting main event of Bobby Eaton and Kenny Chaos as Mike Enos and Bobby Duncombe Jr. Does that sound exciting to you, Bix? Ass. (laughs) 
uh, pre-recorded interview with Goldberg aired at Hell Nitro. Then we had Duncan and Enos going to a no contest with me and the Barbarian when the Wolfpack and the NWJV team interfered in 719. Who did Ducka piss off? The match was supposed to be yet another thrilling WCW tag team tournament match. WCW was trying to play off the real-life story that Bischoff doesn't like tag wrestling and wanted to get rid of it altogether at one point. So the Wolfpack doesn't like it either and won't let the tournament happen. The problem is, five of the six Wolfpack members are former tag champions. Outsiders, but Bagwell, Scott Steiner, Lex Luger. Anyway, they ran into a of teams. Hollywood Hogan came in and cut a promo wearing a leather jacket that was very similar to Bret Hart's. Of course it was. W7 Motorsports Air, then Rafi Del Dandy by DQ at 343. Raph hit the meltdown, but Bam Bam ran it for the DQ. Then we had the highlights of the night show with the Hells Angels and all that stuff. And Steiner being DDP. And Hall and Bigelow and all that. Then Disco Inferno beat Super Kalo in 314 when Scott Hall interfered. Late in the match, Hall came to the ringside. He used Taser on Kalo, which sent him into Disco's chart buster. After the match, Hall teased using the Taser on Disco, but told him Hogan and Nash wanted to see him in the back. Hall cut a promo for his match with Goldberg. So, wait a minute. So, this airs after Nitro, where Disco is helping Scott Hall. Fix. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was taped the previous week. I know. Yes, we should remind everyone, because I don't think it gets talked about that much. Before long, Thunder was double tapings every other week. So it became a completely lame duck show every other week. Yes. WCW, everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. Hall could have run for his match with Goldberg. He said he'd be wrestling a gimmick match. He said Goldberg didn't know what a gimmick match was. He should smarten up, go to Blockbuster, and rent tapes of Hall's ladder matches. Well, that's a nice line, isn't it? Sure. Chris Benoit and Mongo beat Kurt Henning and Barry Windham by disqualification. Mongo now wears his t-shirt while he wrestles. Wait, Mongo's still there in January 99? Uh, he's wearing his t-shirt wrestling too, Bex, I tell you something. Uh, normally that would be considered a good thing, but he tunks it into his trunks, which he pulls up past his navel. Yes, he was looking old here. Late in the match, Benoit lot Windham in the crib. He looked older than Windham. Benoit lot Windham in the crib of crossface, but Henning hit him with a chair for the DQ. Flair ran in and did his best Hogan imitation. He knows so just by everything Wyndham and Henning threw at him, including a Henning low blow. Wyndham hit him with one, and he fell to the mat. David Flair ran in and covered his father. Henning lined up and hit him in the chair as the show ended. WCW's making David like a total wuss. <laughs> Rather than run in and fall off the heels, he covers his father like a valet would do for her man. Lane show for a final pay-per-view lead-in. Yeah, for selling the pay-per-view, these were some shitty go-home shows. Well, thank you, Kevin Nash. It's WCW. WCW, everybody. Although, in fairness, Kevin Nash only took over his booker less than two weeks ago. Yeah. But still. Why does WCW always do these booking transitions in these in this era, like, two weeks before a pay-per-view? Because it's what they do. It's how they do business. You can't just do it on the first TV after the pay-per-view? <sighs> I mean, think about it. We have Nash here. We have Russo in October. Then we have Russo again in April. Yes. That's three times in less than a year and a half. Yes. All right. So we had TVs. Let's go to the pay-per-view. WCW put on a better show than they've had in months on pay-per-view, but it's still nowhere close to the caliber shows they were doing in 96-97, with the third annual sold out on January 17th from the Charleston, West Virginia Civic Center. The show did sell out weeks in advance to the tune of 10,833 fans, with 10,255 paying 
210740. The fans really wanted to like the show, but WCW didn't give them much to like underneath. But this show ended strong with two good matches and a very strong angle. All right. Well, let's talk about how the show opened, Bix. As Ric Flair is giving his State of the Union address. Let's go to the clip. We interrupt this program for a special report. Thank you. Thank you very much. I stand before you today humbled by this premier event that is about to take place. World Championship Wrestling is in control once again. To those of you who in the face of change and adversity stayed within the ranks of World Championship Wrestling and challenged those of the NWO to you, I say thank you very much for your loyalty. Ladies and gentlemen, we are unified. We are undoubtedly, unquestionably the strongest wrestling organization anywhere in the world. We are World Championship Wrestling. There are hundreds who support me. There are hundreds behind me. I do not stand hundreds. alone, I assure you. And we will continue without fail. We will continue to persevere against the NWO, against those that would challenge World Championship Wrestling. And I promise you, this time, we will reign supreme. World Championship Wrestling is reunited and looking very, very good. Thank you very much. Okay. What's that, same old WCW to me? Go ahead. So, even though the NWO has completely reunited, we're acting like the NWO is dead in the opening promo and in the logo. They make a point of crossing out NWO and WCW slash NWO. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what's supposed to be happening. I don't either. Good on WCW to bring a pay-per-view to Charleston, though. Yeah. And also, remember, it's early 99. They're still drawing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just saw the attendance. Yeah. Oh, hey, also, it's AEW's best per cap market. Who would have thunk it? Not a lot to do in West Virginia, Bix. There's no pro sports. So. Just wrestling. Wrestling. It kind of makes you wonder why there was never really a big, successful... West Virginia Territory. That it was always, like, sometimes Ohio people, sometimes the Crockett's, etc. Well, you had Cuban Assassin, right? His little small territory, but it was small. Very small. Which Cuban Assassin? Angel Cervado. When was that? It's, you know, that stuff's on YouTube. When was that, though? Oh, 70s? I don't know if I've actually seen it, though. Uh, yeah, there's a lot on YouTube uh, in different places. But anyway, enough about that. All right, uh, the show of a note with Chris Benoit over Mike Enos in 1034. Yeah, Mike Enos, folks. Match had really good heat, particularly for the wicked shots Benoit was throwing that ripped the skin off Enos's chest. Benoit was great as usual in carrying the match, and everything he did was over with the crowd, even though Enos isn't a push commodity, and the audience had no reason to care. 
Unfortunately, usually underrated Enos did not have a great performance in his high profile match of the company. Benoit did a roll in German suplexes, head off top row. Enos turned things around, but through the weakest looking clothesline in history, which apparently he was expecting in the arm to be used, not to hit Benoit, but to be caught for the crossface. Anyway, after Benoit sold his lame blow, he took Enos down for the crossface submission. Three stars. Um, who's our torch reviewer here? I guess it's Wade. Yeah. It doesn't, so. doesn't say. Uh, star and core he gave for this match. Big difference. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember if I ever saw this. I remember it being well-received at the time, this match. This weird, unadvertised pay-per-view opener. Okay, I'm curious to see and hear these chops for a minute, though. Something's going on. Goldberg has that uh, taser match tonight, and we talked about the the match in the ladder. That makes sense to me. You can't climb a ladder with a bad old knee. Sure it makes sense to you. I mean, go for the ladder. The man is... Okay, oh, we don't get a series of chops here, but... Uh, Eden, Eden, Enos. He should have had. I didn't mean to press play there. He really should have had a better career. Yeah, you know, because I mean, he he wasn't a good talker. He would have been best off if Bloom stuck around. But you know, we've been over it a million times for their development as wrestlers, and probably more because when Bloom quits the business for five years. Uh, going to the WWF was the worst thing they could have done. Yes. That was not the place they needed to be at the time. They should have either tried to see if they could get back, get back into New Japan or gone to WCW or whatever. Yeah. Oh, here are the big chops. All right, let's see. And then we'll move forward. He's a lot faster. He's got a lot more knowledge. And he goes right at you. Slips behind. Enos is selling, but he also has a bit of a what the fuck look on his face when he eats those chops. Yeah. Good, good match. Bye. Yeah. Norman Smiley beat Chavo Guerrero Jr. 1544. Smiley came out with an urn, supposedly with the ashes of Pepe. Chavo looked good, but they were out there for too long. Normally can wrestle on the map, but fans don't want to see that. And when he's on his feet, he doesn't work well. He's over as a cult deal with a big wiggle, which he spent the match teasing until finally doing it. Chavo blocked the chicken wing. Norman blocked the swing in DDT. Norman then threw the sawdust from the urn into Chavo's eyes and used the, the Norman's conquest for the submission. Star and a half. Excuse me. And uh, Wade gave it two stars. Okay. So uh, there's that. All right, um, one thing we didn't mention is at the beginning of the show, they showed a video of Goldberg down, saying somebody attacked him. So we'll hear more about that later. Uh, Mark Madden interviewed Conan for the WCW Live simulcast, where they showed a few seconds of the interview where he vowed to find out who bumped him from the Wolfpack. I got an idea who that was. <laughs> yeah. Brother. Dave Finley. Defe- Finley defeated Van Hammer in 754 with a tombstone pile driver. Crowd was totally dead. Hammer was a sub for Mongo, who missed his flight due to the dreaded personal problems. And what was scheduled was the long-anticipated battle of the Tombstone Pile Drivers. Mongo did make a later flight, but wouldn't have been able to make it to the building until 10 p.m. So they told him to stay in Columbus, Ohio. Nobody missed him. Dud. 
And to be clear, Wait. it's not Dave making a joke, though. It was being built up as the Battle of the Tombstone Pile Drivers. And Wade gave us three quarters of a star. Okay. Next, we get Bam Bam Bigelow uh, hitting Raph in 923 with the Greenest Masbury Park. Hard hitting, but the match didn't have any heat. Raph has a charge to the corner. Raph with a finish. Three quarters of a star. Um, and uh, Wade gave a star in three quarters. Full star difference. Yep. Lex Luger over Conan in 931. Crowd went nuts and Conan came out to that song. And they had a real hot first minute or two until Conan missed the lowest drop kick in wrestling, and the air was sucked out of the crowd. Most of the match saw Luger work on Conan's back. Just when it finished, they were outside the ring. Conan told Luger that his back was out to stop the match and to call the doctor. There was a lot of heat on this, as evidenced by Kevin Nash's interview on Nitro the next night. Luger got a smirk on his face, figuring Conan was blown up and didn't stop the match. It didn't even look like Conan was going to get back in the ring, but he did. And somehow, one of life's great mysteries to the cameras were focusing on showing us Elizabeth and her new boob job coming to the ring. Conan got Luger in the Tequila Sunrise. Liz sprayed black paint in Conan's eyes, and Luger racked him. Looks like they're going to hook Luger and Elizabeth up on television. Three quarters of a star. Oh, that would work out well. Why? Wait, why did he feel the need to add on television there? And star on three quarter is the, uh, is the rating that Wade gave. Aren't they already together in real life? I think that was going on, yes. So, yes, Liz and her plastic surgery here. All right, Chris Jericho defeated Perry Saturn, and the loser has to wear a dress for 90 days match, 11.44. The stipulation was changed, with the loser having to wear the dress, because Saturn basically volunteered to lose the match. He probably was initially supposed to win, since Jericho get, isn't getting pushed. Guess Saturn figures but wearing a dress got Pillman over, at least he won't be just another guy in the pack on television as long as he's got the dress on. That's a very smart way of, of thinking about this, you know? And they have to they have to put me on TV because I'm doing this gimmick. Yeah. So what I, I do this gimmick and I and it got him over. It he got over on it. And it worked too, because he doesn't play it as if he's embarrassed. He's like, okay, I'll just kick ass wearing a dress. Yeah. He's wearing like those Marilyn Manson type dresses. Too, well, you know? not at first. Not at first, but that's what he gets into. And then when he's part of Raven's group again, he switches to leather skirts and like stuff like yeah. that. Dave said, "No, said Ralphus reminds him of Chumley the Walrus, the old Tennessee tuxedo cartoon show." <laughs> what about Deputy Dog? Uh. <laughs> Precious pub. Uh, Scott Dickinson was there as the heel referee. Mash didn't click and wasn't crisp. The lack of heat didn't help, but there were a few badly missed kicks on both sides as well. It's finally starting to pick up at the end when Jericho wriggled him out of the way out of the Death Valley driver. Then Saturn got on the Lion Tamer. Saturn had Jericho on the inside cradle when Dickinson, who hadn't played heel the entire match, turned over the pile and gave Saturn a fast count. Saturn eventually put on the ugly dress. Heenan made a crack about him going brawless. Dickinson, Jericho, and Ralphus left together. Three quarters of a star. Uh, Wade gave it a star and a quarter. Okay. Wade noted that when Saturn put on the leopard skin pattern dress, he looked more like Tarzan than like a woman. So. Whatever. Four corners match. Billy Kidman defeated Juventud Carrera, Sekosis, and Harry Mysterio Jr. 1424. As usual, these guys were the show stealers. Poor Tony Schiavone announced earlier in the show that Kidman and Ray had won the coin flip and would start the match. 
Then when Hoovy's music was second, he said Hoovy must have won the coin flip, and he and Kidman would start. Then Ray started with Kidman. W said everybody. The fans started chanting USA. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, they are in Charleston, West Virginia. Well, Shavani, and, and, well. Okay, wait. Is it, who? Well, I was going to say, oh, there, one of the baby faces is not from the USA. Shivani then explained, and Dave's not making this up, how the rules of this match make no sense, and there's no logic in ever tagging out under these rules. Of course he's right, but that begs the question. Why put rules that make no sense? That'd be so everybody. Because, yeah, when it's Rain a one- four corners, one fall match. Yes. When Ray and Kevin wanted to tag out, because then Hoovy had like they didn't want to get in the ring. When the whole logic was they should want to be in and nobody should ever tag because you're giving someone else the chance to win. So since nothing made sense, they just had a great match. Although it was a shade down from the Starcade match. Hoobie did a spinning head scissors on Kidman, who landed wrong on Hoobie's knee, and he was limping a little. Sakosa slipped Ray over the top when he crashed on the Kidman. Sakosa and Hoobie argued about who would do an SI moonsault to the floor, giving Kidman and Ray time to give them the stereo power bombs off the apron to the floor. Ray and Sakosa did springboard doomsday device double team move on Hoobie. Ray left over Charles Robinson's back with a running flip dive on the Kidman. It appeared that Kidman banged his already injured shoulder on the spot. Hoobie did a crazy air Hoobie dive on everyone. Kidman and Ray were laid out on the floor, and Sakosa just run and dive over the top into a senton on the floor. After a bunch of reversals and near falls, Ray did a springboard to the floor into a Frankenstein on Sakosa. While in the ring, Kidman used shooting star press on Hoobie. Four stars. And uh, Wade gave it three and a half stars. Yeah, extremely fun match. That's for damn sure. But... It's getting a little redundant that it's starting to feel like these four guys are the entire division a lot of the time. Yeah, there's not enough mixing up with the other guys. Silver King definitely get, should have gotten the mix. Some uh, hit the Gaza. Cassie Ash should have been a little more pushed. Yes. All right. The Flares. Rick and David beat Barry Winham and Kurt Henning at 1356. David, who traded to a few spots with Wyndham but had no training time with Henning, was in just for the angle. He totally lacked facial expressions and wasn't ready to be in the match, but hadn't trained to be a wrestler either. He was still better than Reggie White or Jay Leno and showed him better condition than Dennis Rodman. After David did his spots with Wyndham, he tagged out and it was larger than a handicap match. Flair's charisma made a decent match and Henning really worked hard, looked the best he's had in a long time, bumping to get Flair over. Flair still looked better than most of the wrestlers in this company, and he even took big bumps like a superplex and a slam off the top a few weeks before his 50th birthday. Arn got involved a little bit, tripping Henning at one point and allowed Flair to get an advantage back. Henning smashed Arn into the guardrail. David gave Henning a low blow. Henning came back on David and set him up for the fisherman suplex, but Arn hit Henning with the tire and David pinned him. After the match, both factions of the NWO showed up, destroying Arn and also Chris Benoit, who ran in for the save. Hogan came out and handcuffed Rick to the ropes, and they took David down. Hogan was whipping him with his lifting belt. Huge chance for Goldberg, then for Sting. Once again, Lanner again a surprise, since he hadn't been around. And like last week with Conan, Sting's never been affiliated with the Horsemen. Well, I know he was in 1990, but that's ancient history. But then again, so was Wyndham, as a good wrestler. Hogan spray-painted Easy E on David's back. They threw David the Rick, then they dragged him out, and Hogan punched him a few times and was whipping him again. Super heat angle, two and a quarter stars. Uh, and Wade gave it two and three quarter stars. 
Okay. Rick, uh, at one point during the beating, it screamed loudly, fuck you. We do kind of need to watch the beating because Flair, I, I remember Flair saying that. Well, and also because um, this is the deal where Hogue, I mean, Flair got legit pissed at Hogan for taking liberties with the strap. He felt. Yeah. So let's see. So we're actually deeper into it. He didn't look super and notice marked Ho- up yet. And, and notice what shirt Hogan's wearing. He's wearing a black and white NWO shirt picks. So they haven't really made a distinction yet. No. Okay, I'm going back. To the we're going to fight back! David Flair would have none of that! And Ric Flair, handcuffed to the ropes! Helpless, nothing he can do! Watching these men, these big, huge wrestlers, piled on his flesh and blood! He's so close, yet he's so far! It takes a bunch of big men to beat up a 19-year-old kid now, doesn't it? This proves nothing. Oh, now what are they going to do? So this is the beginning of the whipping. They're going to hurt him. They drag him to the middle of the ring. And they're going to, look at this, they're going to force his father to watch this. God, no. What's Hogan? Hogan has that belt in his Oh! Okay, here's the thing, and here's why I think Ric Flair is absolutely right about this, watching this now. Hogan is not doubling up the strap and then whipping David with it. He is holding one end of the strap unwound and catching David with the other end of the strap, i.e. the part that is going to have the most velocity and thus hurt the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Rick's right to be pissed at him about this. Yeah. In many, many, many years. I mean, it's one thing, to kiss, your, one thing to kiss your wife and make derogatory remarks, but to handcuff a man and then eight, ten guys take a bed and whip your son right through the eyes. It's disgusting. The only thing that doesn't happen anymore, ringing the bell over and over to try to get the baby faces not done in the locker room detention. Oh, no, no, no. That's a lost art. Oh, easy E. Oh, okay. Eric Bischoff's calling card. We know who's behind this. Wrestling fans, this is criminal. Look at Ric Flair. Look at him. He's watching his flesh and blood. Being insulted, being whipped, being beaten. Oh, if we could get those cuffs off. It's a horror scene. We never knew how to shut down. He is, he is broken down. That's his son. He's going to see you right now. He's a pumpkin now, huh? He's got something, brother. That was for easy, brother. That was for Eric Bischoff, the man that runs this company. That was for Bischoff. Fans first chanted for Goldberg. Now they're chanting for Sting. They're desperately trying to chant for anybody that can come here and help out. They realize this young man's in By the way, someone made the mistake of handcuffing the wrist for the rope and not the turnbuckle. 
so there are people he should be able to get to, but he's pretending he can't. Anybody at all who can help out here, please, for God's sake, help Take those cuffs off him. You're not going to get him to the back when you're addressing him. You're going to have to take him out of here in the paddy wagon. He's so going to hurt somebody. I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is Norton doing? Nice <laughs> camera shot. Yeah, Hogan, no, Hogan. Focus right on Liz's huge chest. They may seriously hurt this young man if they keep it up. And this may go beyond the boundaries of wrestling. And I wonder about Flair's condition. Well, sir, Eric Bischoff for ECE. And I'm going to run this country with an iron hand. Just like I handled this situation for Mr. Bischoff. Because the NWO will back Ken. I love you, Eric. This is all premeditated, done for Eric Bischoff. It does not, though, ladies and gentlemen, deter the fact that Flair is still in charge of the company. All right, enough of that. It's still amazing how there's no WCW guys trying to come down and help. When the guy's the boss, your boss. Amazing. <sighs> That's not the main event. Goldberg beat Scott Hall in 1741, a ladder match with a stun gun to the, on the top. They did the angle for the first match where they sent Goldberg, went into Goldberg's dressing room. He was on the floor arriving in pain from unseat attack. He came out wearing a big knee brace and limping badly. Most of the match saw Hall work over Goldberg's knee. Goldberg did a tremendous job selling the knee. Really, it was the best performance from a dramatic standpoint today. Limping like a big monster with his head covered in blood which Dave was told was hard way. Although the timing and dramatic effect of his blood certainly fit perfectly in the match. With the fans knowing not to give up because he's going to make a comeback. This is actually some of the best drama WCW's done in a long time. Hall brought in the ladder and tried to beat Shawn Michaels, but there's only one. Hall was good for the most part, including doing an elbow drop, elbow drop off the ladder. ladder. This ladder match blew away the one on last week's ECW show. Although a lot of that's because Goldberg is so much more over than Tommy Dreamer. Hall took bumps off the ladder, once catching his throat on the top rope, another time attempting to crotch himself as a ladder tumbled over, although he missed a crotch spot by two feet and suffered a legit groin injury in the process. Mm-hmm. Goldberg's about to get a stun gun, but Disco knocked over the ladder and he caught us to the top rope. Hall got the stun gun, but Goldberg blocked him twice and gave him a side kick. Stung at the floor. Goldberg got it. Goldberg set Disco. Goldberg threw the stun gun in the air like a ref on a jump ball, and as Hall tried to catch it, Goldberg speared and Jack hammered him, then zapped him for the win. Bigler ran in, but Goldberg brawled with him. This gave Hall a chance to get the stick, and he zapped both Goldberg and Bigelow, left them both laying. There's your setup for your three-way picks. Uh, just like from the post-match, this was real well done. While well, set up the three-way on TV, Goldberg's mission, which is the WWE's best chance this year for a hot program, is to go through the Wolfpack one by one until getting the Hogan. Well, there's a time for someone to lose and get heat back after the match. This wasn't time or a place for that to happen because the big money's used the match to build to a bigger money program. Not have to be this program. This be the program. Three and a half stars. He ain't lying from what just we have playing here silently while you were reading that. Goldberg's selling here is excellent. Yeah, for somebody who's not really done it. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, so Dave gave it three and a half stars. Wade gave it three stars. So there you go. 
So this this little run here, though, at the very end of 98 into early 99, I think you have to say is the best that Scott Hall ever was in the ring in WCW, right? Yes. Yes. Shame it didn't go longer. Yeah. It's a shame we didn't get the program laid out as it's laid out here. Yeah. Where Goldberg goes to the Wolfpack one by one and then gets to Hogan. The problem was, though, no, he would probably would have lost to Hogan, which he never did. So... There you go. All right. Uh, Dayton's morale was up because it was generally felt that uh, the pay-per-view was a good but not great show. Now let's go to Wade. Also, yeah, you can see how Scott Hall injured his groin. Yeah. <laughs> Wade, Wade talks about the political stuff going on. The political lenses behind the scenes have changed in recent months, and that was re- reflective of on-air comments earlier this week. Kevin Nash and had been inseparable for more than a year. Their on-air chemistry as far as the Wolfpack was based on their friendship behind the scenes. Since Nash has a line with Hogan, Conan and Nash have not been getting along. Lex Luger and Elizabeth have sided with Nash, also leaving Conan without friends in high places. Quote, unquote. That said, Hogan's trying to play good cop by telling Conan he will make sure he continues to get a push. Hogan says since he gets a percentage of pay-per-view profits, he wants WC to do well and push wrestlers who are popular with the fans regardless of political allegiances. If that were truly the case, Bret Hart would be getting that push. Hogan's policy over the years has been to hold back anyone who's a threat to him. Apparently, Brett's a threat, but Conan isn't. The heat between Nash and Conan came through during their on-air comments during Nitro on the Monday after our pay-per-view, so... Yeah. Uh, that Hogan's something else, isn't he? I mean... Not my fault. <laughs> well, also, it's like, what he's saying should be what's happening. If he's on the pay-per-view... The more successful it is, the potentially better he does. I mean, every and every Nitro, and I think Thunder, he works. If the gate is over to, I think it's over two hundred fifty grand because I think it's ten percent or twenty five thousand, whichever is greater, or something like that. Um, well, no, 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 wait, no, it's no, it's twenty five percent, I think, or two hundred or twenty five thousand, something like that, whichever is greater. Like, if Nitro does a big gate too, he benefits so like he's not wrong in what he's saying it's just that's not how he's actually handling things no that's not, that's not how he ever handled anything no because it didn't work for him brother that's right back to dave the situation chris jericho remains the same there's personal heat because bischoff claims jericho verbally agreed to a deal awaits bad but won't sign it dave has made jericho his number one priority as far as acquiring any new piece of talent and sign him and bury him. Okay, I, w- I listened to this, and so I'm frustrated I don't remember more of it. But Jericho had Barry Bloom on his podcast several weeks back. And they talked about all this. How... Who was it? Was it John Taylor, maybe, that they got to do the actual negotiations? Because Bischoff refused to talk to Barry Bloom? It was a whole complicated thing, and it certainly made them dislike Bischoff more. Yeah. All right. Hogan was on Man Cow in the morning in Chicago, claiming he came back so soon because I sat back for a couple months and watched the ratings plummet, and these so-called superstars of five to nine years tried to carry the load. So I'm back, ready to put money back in everyone's pockets. Isn't that great? (laughs) Isn't that great for the talent to hear? Sounds like Vince. I'm ready to come back. Put money in everybody's pockets. Uh, 
For the record, the only complete month he was go- for the complete month he was gone, the only one, WCW averaged ten thousand two hundred forty three fans and two hundred thirty six thousand nine forty four per show, did a one point one five buy rate, and averaged three point six ratings on all shows. The last full month he was around, October, they averaged seven thousand five hundred fifty nine, hundred fifty nine thousand three ten per show. Pavey did a point seven eight buy rate with a legendary Hogan Warrior match, and the TV shows averaged a three point four. But aside from people reading this, nobody else will ever know. Because WF ratings and business have been so incredible, a lot of people have lost sight on just how good WCW ratings still are. And the house show business is still good, although they've destroyed a lot of the cities whose fans have figured out about all the no-shows and people going through the motions at the non-TV tapings. <laughs> but Dave's right. No, the only people who's going to know that the facts here is uh, what he spits out in the Observer. Because, mm-hmm. good lord, you know, man-cow isn't going to have that information to to do any kind of fact-checking, which he wouldn't have done anyway. No. So, Hogan continued. Hogan claimed when he was making his ninja movies that Vince McMahon came and visited him and he's handed to other wrestlers that he has an open invitation to go back. Hogan also claimed that Bret Hart was faking his groin injury. Dave's feelings that Bret is paying the price of everything he wrote while he was on top of WF as he came in the organization where the people he had ripped on had major, ripped on hard, has major power. Yeah, you know, you kind of never know sometimes what might happen in your future, so the things you say could come back to haunt you. His plan was to stay there forever. Yeah, but you never know. Nope. You think that story's true about Vince visiting Hogan and doing the ninja movies? On the set of Three Ninjas? Nah, when, when would that have been shot? Oh, wait, he's wearing the wig. Uh, Which Halloween Havoc is the wig match? 97. Okay, so that's over a year earlier, because he's wearing the wig because he's shooting three ninjas, if I remember right. So, I mean, that timing kind that Okay, so wait a second. That timing tracks all the stuff we were talking about on the Patreon shows about Vince trying to woo Hogan back. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this one of the rare times Hogan's selling the truth? <laughs> could, could be. Tracks of what we've heard. Then he's oh. trying to get Warrior back right after Brett's gone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Speaking of Brett, speaking of Brett and saying things, Brett Hart ripped on Shawn Michaels' potential retirement in his Calgary Sun column. When Michael said he was retiring due to his injuries, Brett asked if the injuries he's got or the ones he's likely to get now that he wrestles has seen in a documentary how he double-crossed his peers. He talked about Michael's back pain and wondering if it's the pain from the injuries or the pain of knowing he sold out everything he once believed in. Dave said, I can understand Brett being bitter at Sean, and the reverse is obviously true as well, but this probably was the worst timing possible in bringing it up and sounding bitter. Yes. Dave's right. Dave's right. Yes. I mean, the guy the guy is having legit serious issues. Not the time to be acting like a douchebag. Yeah. So wait, do, do we think this is the January 2nd, 9th, or 16th column? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. What, what what would be the one? I'm trying to see if I can find it. But... Probably the 9th. Okay. Well, so do we think this is actually Brett, or do we think this is Bruce? Uh, who knows? Oh boy, in the 9th, <laughs> Brett talks about how he sent President Flair a fax. About how he wants a match with Hogan with both of their titles on the line. 
<laughs> Good luck with that. Um, okay, here's what he said about Sean. Um, on the other hand, uh, oh, this is after saying that he thinks the NWO is going to overlook two guys who are coming into their prime, Kidman and Canyon, who he referred to as top tenors. Anyway, on the other hand, that brings me to a guy whose best days are behind him, Shawn Michaels. He said it. I'm just agreeing with him. I really don't like to give any time to him, but I decided to make an exception because I thought you'd be interested to know that the San Antonio Express, Michael's hometown paper, reports that Shawn Michaels has no choice but to retire due to accumulated injuries. I wonder if that's the injuries he's already got or the ones he's likely to get now that the wrestlers have seen in the documentary how he double-crossed his peers. I wonder if all that swearing and lying to God that Michaels did has anything to do with his career-ending injuries. The article quotes Michaels, it's the most excruciating pain anyone could ever endure. Yes, and then he says the whole thing. So, yeah, that's... It just comes off cheap. Mm-hmm. And petty. Mm-hmm. He should have just thrown in, also, he had all of his best matches with me. Might as well. Paul and Ash were on Mark Madden's radio show in Pittsburgh, and the subject of Shane Douglas came up. Hall said if there was any power he had, he used it to keep Douglas out. And Nash <laughs> said that since Hall is his friend, he does have power. He intimated that Douglas would be out of luck. Apparently, Hall still bears a grudge over the night in Orlando where Douglas wouldn't let him in the ECW dressing room when he showed up with Justin Incredible. Well, guess who shows up in WCW in just a matter of a few months? <laughs> uh, who was, who's, in, who's the booker, head booker at WCW at that time? Big Sexy, Jim the Nash. giant killer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wade knows that Steam may get a makeover when he returns next month. No. This was rumored so much in this era. I guess because people were like, we're tired of that Steam. We want old Steam back. Well, technically, he gets a little bit of a makeover. He's back in the black and white, and he's wearing white shoes. I hated the white shoes. <laughs> he's not Ricky Cho's shoes, not Negro Casas. I hate the white shoes. <laughs> it, it looked like he was wearing like a... Uh, 80s workout stuff. You know, he might as well have been wearing leg warmers or some shit like that. <laughs> Coming out the Let's Get Physical about living in John. Anyway, A&E's working on a special about the life of Jimmy Hart, who had a previous life in the 60s as a rock and roll star with the Gentries, including cl- a cl- classic song, as what it's something for that era called Keep On Dancing and Cinnamon Girl. Uh, I think Neil Young uh, did Cinnamon Girl. I think his Cinnamon uh, Girl uh, technically charted first. Well, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. There are all these stations that will live forever on those late-night nostalgia album infomercials. Isn't it something how basically – I don't know if up there New York is like this. There is no 50s, 60s oldies radio stations in Atlanta anymore. You know what the oldie stations always are? The ones that play 70s and 80s music. They're, I mean, that's, that's, what, the oldie that's what CBS have happens oh. now. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're getting old. I'm not sure if we have an actual oldie station anymore. I miss the days when I was a, a youngster of watching Nick at Night, oldies on there, and listening to the oldies radio station. But, yeah, at least the way Jimmy Hart explains it, I think this is accurate. Like, because in that era, like, Fans like that would like try to get covers of songs that just came out. I, I don't know, but his his Gentry's version of Cinnamon Girl does chart, I think, before Neil Young's. Uh, or yeah. wait, Neil Young or Neil? Yeah, Neil Young. Neil Young. Um, and he has a few more covers that chart a little after this. But also to be clear, 
Keep on Dancing is the Larry Raspberry led version of the Gentries. Jimmy Hart's still part of the band, but everything that charted later is the Jimmy Hart led version of the band. And this show never happens. No. There are no long-term plans to keep David Flair around. He was brought in just to do the angle with the Soto Flair Hogan singles run. He's planning to be a state trooper, but hasn't closed his mind to the idea of being a wrestler. But he won't become a wrestler without a lot more training than he's received thus far. <laughs> he worked out his spots to win him ahead of time, but never turned it on with handing before the match. What does end up being his regular job once he gives up wrestling? I think he does go in law enforcement. That does sound right. But... He gets the itch. So, yeah. Torch. Ribsier Jr. is in his contract with WCW for three more years. Mazel tov. DDP wants WCW to hire Eric Watts and wants Van Hammer to get a push. His contract is for reportedly $1.5 million, not the previously leaked figure of $900,000. The lower figure was leaked so Paige could avoid charges of favoritism. <laughs> okay. Um... He signs the new contract on February 2nd, gets a $150,000 signing bonus. It's $1.15 million for the first year, $1.25 million for the second year, $1.35 million for the third year. Huh. And then... Said, oh, yeah. I was just going to try to see if I could see what Ray's deal was as well, since that came up. Uh, his deal started on January 1st. Uh... Doesn't say what year one was, but it looking like probably three seventy five, then four hundred, then four twenty five, hundred eighty max days, no signing bonus. It says one year terms mutual. I don't know what that means, but yeah. And I don't know. I mean, especially considering inflation and stuff, I feel like that's. And they're not merchandising him much, but if they were, that would be on top of that. That seems somewhat fair. I think that's fair pay for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Vianna Cerro is coming in the form of tag team with his brother. Eventually work as a trio when four and five returns. Nope. No, I think he does work Festival de Lucha, though, doesn't he? That's all he does, yes. Sam, I don't know why I turned down an offer to become as a, come in as a babyface gangsta gimmick. Oh, it's 1999, so Dave's still spelling it Anoya. <laughs> yes. Eddie Guerrero's condition has improved. He's looking at being back in the ring in about three months. Well, it's downplayed publicly. He did nearly die today after the accident because of liver problems, because the liver was lacerated in the accident. And I'm guessing he already had other stuff happening to his liver. Uh, yes. The guy who played 80s OWO bodyguard, Art Flores, is going to be given the name Spider. He wasn't well, Spider yet? <laughs> well, he's, he's pretty much gone. I mean, he's not released till later in the year, but yeah. Um, I'm surprised that he wasn't actually named Spider yet when Eddie got hurt. Uh, hmm. Hogan's trying to get Ed Leslie back in the picture, likely in the Bayface role, since that was his last role. Of course he is. Is this when he comes in as E. Harris and Leslie, or was that before? Yeah, I think so. It's after. It's after, yeah. Uh. Robbie Rage and Perry Saturday have both expressed interest in doing matches for Shuto. What? Which, which is a totally real group promoting matches with similar rules to UFC, but without the stand-ups. Bill Goldberg also thought about wanting to do it too, but recognized his position that WCW would never let him. And Goldberg will be on the silence of Super Bowl with the Falcons. Okay, I have a bunch of questions. First of all, why Shudo specifically? Uh, I guess because it's not affiliated with anybody else. I don't know. Well, and also, I 
I don't know if they have stand-ups at this point, but the big major rule difference at this point would be that Chudo has knockdowns, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, in you know, a way that other MMA rule sets don't. They have, I forget if it's eight or ten count knockdowns. I don't know, Vix. I don't know. Don't ask me. The death of Sam Mush, that was mentioned by Mike today, Scott Hudson on the January 16th, every Saturday night. Well, that's nice. Kevin Nash thought that using more women in storylines, you can already see. There are rumors he's going to bring Medusa in. Which he does, he but does. I think she's still under contract, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, No! Or if it is, it was a renewal because she, her contract starts on April 17th. Well, there you go. She ain't been around in a while. Then she comes back with uh, her massive chest. She has a, that, yes, that uh, fairly <laughs> extravagant uh, surgery she got. Yes. Um, right, yes. Yeah, had she been around Look, at all since the retirement thing a year and a half earlier? Not really. And to close out, Mick Foley called Tony Schiavone about his comments. Schiavone apparently explained he was ordered to say what he was by Eric Bischoff. This, of course, gives us the best line in McFoley's second book, which is uh, Colette picking up the phone, going over to Mick and saying, it's Tony Schiavone. He sounds really sad. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad they settled this pretty quickly. Yeah. You yeah, know, they, they did. And, you know, it backfired anyway. Yeah. So... But anyway, what a WCW everybody segment this was, huh? Yeah, that was a lot of WCW. All right, let's go international. We'll go Japan, really. It's Japanese section. As we go to All Japan Pro Wrestling, Land of the Rising Sun. There's been no new confirmed information regarding the condition of Giant Baba, but as you can figure, it has resulted in all sorts of rumors being spread. And he's dead within days. Yep, the obituary issue is uh, coming up. Yeah, um... So it was, I forget, he still worked part of the tag league, right? Or the tour, at least, I think. And then, though, he, but he starts missing stuff, he breaks his streak, and then uh, he's not able to appear at all at the New Year's Giants series, and that's when people really start getting concerned. Yeah, he's he dies on January 31st. Yeah. So. Yeah. And... You know, the story goes is the last match he ever saw was Masao, the Masawa Kawada title change on the 19th, I think, is when Budokan we're, is. We're about to, uh, we're, yeah, it was before, after our week, yeah. Yeah. We're um, setting it up. And that, you know, the whole thing about him calling it the greatest match he'd ever seen and having a huge smile on his face and all that. All right, so uh, the big show of the week was January 15th, Yokohama Bunker Gym. Where Porto Sella, 6,200 fans. It was definitely overflow turnaround crowd. But uh, Dave, don't see how you could put that many people at that gym. Saw Vader pin Kinnikabashi in that first singles match, stemming from the angle from two weeks ago. Vader used a hard power bomb on the floor. Kabashi got near fall with a moonsault, but wound up with a cut over his eye opening up. Kabashi kicked out of a Vader moonsault, but Vader came back with two Vader bomb splashes and got the pin in 1659. Mitchell Masao was at ringside doing commentary, talking about the winner of this match will be challenging for the Triple Crown on March the 6th in Budokan. General feeling is there holding the Masao Kabachi rematch off as it'll be the main event of the May 2nd Tokyo Dome show. 
And another top match on the show, Masawa and Jin Shinzaki lost to Toshiko Kawano and Kiritawe in 2040 when Kawano pinned Shinzaki after a powerbomb. Hiroshi Hase and Judakiyama beat Wolf Hotfield and Gary Albright when Nakayama pinned Hotfield after an exploder in 1637. And Yoshinari Gawa beat Masahito Kakihara to retain the All Japan Junior title in 1622. So Gawa was getting the push as Masawa's partner. This result isn't a surprise. But Kakihara may be the most underpushed guy in the business based on what he should mean for the promotion he's in. That guy was great for a long time and underpushed everywhere he was at. So, yeah, running theme. He did get a little right. bit more of a push at New Japan in the end. But... A little bit, yes. A little bit, yes. But for results, and then we'll talk more about this. <sighs> Sorosaka Mas- and Masamichi Marafuji. Yes, he has brother. Ne- yeah, he's a, he's a young boy. Uh, beat Kataro Shiga and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Masafuchi, Ruka Ega, and Shuish Kikuchi of Arashikamura, Mitsumamona, and Takeshi Morishima. Working with the old guys and Kikuchi. Kamala 2 and Yosh- Yoshiro Takayama over Monokia Masman and Masao Inoue. Johnny Ace, Bart Gunn, and Johnny Smith over Takao Mori, Tabon Honda, and Junizamita. Then Ogawa over Kakihara, Hasekiyama over Albright Hallfield, Kawala and Tawe over Masao Shizaki, Evader over Kabashi. And remember, Bart Gunn's still in the WWF. Yes, he sure is. That's why he's Bart Gunn still and not Mike Barton. Yes. Um, okay. Do we know what the original plan was for the Triple Crown in the Dome before Kawada got hurt? Um... I'm sure Kabashi was going to be involved, so... But he... But he lost here. I mean, it ends up being Vader Misawa, because Vader wins the tournament for the title. Well, maybe it's going to be Vader, maybe it's going to be Vader Kawada. Which never really ends up happening as a big singles match. I think they have a match, right? Yeah. But it's nothing out of the ordinary. Um, no. And... <sighs> Poor Misawa, though. This is... Here in 99, I think you can say... Well, it starts in 98, but in 98 he actually gets some time off. This is the beginning of him being run ragged for a decade until it kills him. Yeah. You know, everything seems right with the world, although he takes one of the stupidest bumps of all time, and it's not even the finish, you know, in the title switch. Um, But... Seems like everything's right. They're fine. You know, Quad is healthy. They're going to go with him as champ for a while. Quad gets hurt in the title win. And because they needed a big title change for the Dome, Masawa goes over Vader, even though Vader's champion is fresh. And then Masawa's title reign ends with him blowing out his knee and Vader basically squashing him. Pretty much. Yeah. it's Yeah. It's just sad. Like, if Kabashi doesn't have all those prolonged injuries and then doesn't get cancer, I gotta think Masawa's just a bit healthier for it, at least a little, right? Mm, yeah. Anyway. Hibusa Shinzaki lost my challenge in mid-card wrestlers to Kamori and Junas Amina for the All-Asian Tag Titles on January 16th Cork and Hall when Honda pinned Shinzaki in 23-37 at their German suplex. The two teams will be rematched on February 23rd, which will be a title switch, as Masawa wants to push guys from other promotions within All Japan more this year. And he even talked of a triple crown title defense this year against people not for the promotion. That should have happened. Yeah, and I'm curious why it didn't. Because Masawa's not a guy who 
was isolationist. Not at all. In his line, in his mind, you know. And he's in control, and yep. he brings in more independent guys when he's in control, even if they're not necessarily pushed as main eventers. But I really think if you got like a Hayabusa in the mix, that would have really helped freshen things up. Yeah. Um. And which is the? So wait, it's not this one. What's the all Asian tag that's a bloodbath on this tour? Or is it this one? Uh, don't remember. The one that's on the home video. Oh, Honda's in it, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. All and right, by, the, so, and by uh, the way, I did want to mention real quick, just because we didn't, that, that Ogawa Kakihara match is really, really good, too. Uh, 2100 at Cork and on the 16th, Makoto Hashi over Masamichi Marafuji. Shoshikuchi, Hiroki Egan, and Masafuchi over Rush Kimura. Nesomoto and Satoru Sako. Hiroshi Hase over Masuda Kakihara. Wolf Hauntfield over Kamala 2. Dave had a Mori in his Amida. It's Honda in his Amida over Hayabusa and Shinzaki. Gary Albright's Kyle Mori and Shiro Takayama over Johnny Ace, Bart Gunn, and Johnny Smith. Masami Masami Shinari Ogawa over Vader and Monokia Mossman. And Toshiko Kawada, Kiritawa, and Masami Inoue over Guitar Shiga, Junakiyama, and Kenakabashi. So, there you go for all Japan pro wrestling. As they're getting ready for the big one. All right, um, New Japan. Most New Japan wrestlers have renewed their contracts in 1999. News reports indicated that all the wrestlers got sizable raises from last year. The pay scale for Japanese wrestlers, which for years was well ahead of American wrestlers, now trails behind wrestlers of equivalent standing U.S. rings. Neither Masahiro Chono nor Keiji Muto have signed, though. Usually New Japan gets one-year deals done after the Tokyo Dome show, but Chono was offered either a five- or ten-year deal. Chono won signless Muto had because he wanted to be guaranteed the highest-paid guy in the company. <laughs> oh, a little competition there between friends. Yeah. Um, it's one thing that they stuck with this under the original ownership. It is kind of amazing that they stuck with this for so long after Yukes and then Bushy Road bought the company, though. This whole once-a-year January thing. It added intrigue, though. Every yeah. January. That was contract season. Yes, and then they got poached by it repeatedly. Well, I mean, really that one year. That 2002, when all Japan, you know, had their raid quote-unquote wwe later on well uh, in uh what was it 2016 or 2017 yeah but that's a that's of gaijin though bix and nakamura Nakamura. too Mm -hmm. but still not it's not mudo kojima (laughs) you know that 2002 all japan deal kashin that deal but we forget now though when aj styles was in new japan the big four of New Japan were Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, and Styles. Yeah. But they were ready to start pushing new guys, so... Yeah, Omega know. had already been bulking up. Yeah, I got, I got you. Battle Arts. Yes. January 12th at Corican Hall in front of 1862. Wait, why Mont- is that a sellout? I guess for Battle Arts it was a sellout. Mont- Junji over oh, wait, I know region. why. Maybe that's paid. Everyone else is a local businessman. I guess, over Yuji Chikata, Kasumi Yasuda over Masaki Bozuki, Takamas 4, and Nahir Shikawa over Hikoto Adaka, Minoru Fujita, 
Masa Orihara over Takeshi Ono, Minoru Tanaka over Hayato Nanjo, and Alexander Osuka and Yuki Shikawa over Mohamed Yone and Daisuke Akeda in your main event. Well, that sounds delightful. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> loaded with amazing talent, as all, most battle art shows were. Yes, and Masaki Mochizuki is still every bit as good as he was 24 years ago. Yeah. Big Japan Pro Wrestling. They ran Sanyo Inoda Citizen Gym on January 13th. We have Masayoshi Mategi and Magnesidio over Fantastic and Jun Kasai. Shiharu Nakano and Marcella over Kyoko Ichiki and La Amapala. Takashi Shikawa and Asao Takagi over Kishin Kawabata and Kamikaze. Abdullah Kobayashi over Ryuji Amikawa. Abdullah the Butcher and Takakuba Benke over The Winger and Jason the Terrible. And Tomoki Homa and Shadow WX retain the Big Japan Tag Titles, beating Skull and Bones, Minoru Fujita and Kota Adaka in 23-12. Hmm. Don't always get that kind of style clash in that era between the different sides of Big Japan. Well, Big Japan, this is a great era for Big Japan. Before the CGW invasion, yes. Yes, this is when they're start really starting to come into their own, and yeah, that... Like we said before... Maybe a few years later, when some of those guys had more experience, but, like, most of that CZW crew is straight out of wrestling school when the invasion happens. Yeah. You know? CZW. It just it just, it, it just wasn't a fit. Yeah. It, it, you know, whatever you think of those guys, if they had worked with IWA Mid-South, they would have had better, more seasoned workers in those spots at that time. Yes. We have two, not one, but two shows from Capture. Ooh. Kedazawa Town Hall, January 12th, from 130 fans. Asaishi Saito over Hideo Toda. A uh, five three-minute round match. Totoro Komoi over Tanamasaku Toba. And a minute 20 in the third round, 7.20 total. Hiroshi Kotsubo over Keiichi Kawano. Tomohiro Ishii over Nihau. How many times have we had Tomohiro Ishii versus Nihau in indie sections <laughs> in this era? Oh, a bit. And Ko- Koki Kitahara over Nobukazu Hurai in your main event. Oh, I'm sure he was very professional in that match. Then they they worked Hakata Bayside Place on January 17th in front of 230 fans. Akata is also a home of Kakagi, which means in your opener, Azteca defeated Masiko Toyofuku. Then we have Tarahiro Fujisaki over Basara. Hiroshi Kotsubo over Asaishi Saito. Tomohiro Ishii beat Tadamasaku Toba in the five three-minute round match. Ooh. 27 seconds of the third round, 627 total. Shoichi Ichimiya <laughs> over Nihau. <laughs> That is a very indie match. That's nasty. Just nasty. Need a shower after watching that one. And then Kokitahara over Kichi Kawano in your main event. Okay, I have a question. This also let us transition smoothly to the next section, or subsection. Is Basara the DDT offshoot promotion named after Basara the wrestler? I doubt it. But who knows? Who could tell? Speaking of DDT. Speaking of Tokyo Sports Plaza on January 15th. Kansho Nagase over Daisuke Tariichi. Yusaku and Daisaku over Kengo Takai and Noshisano. Fukuman Bancho over Fukuman Deka. 
Phantom Funakoshi went to a 20-minute draw with Senito Naito. <laughs> My God. Super Uchu Power over Exciting Yoshida. Yes. Common Shooter Super Rider over Kyohei Mikami. The future all cast Mikami, yes. Yep. And President Senshiro Takagi over Takashi Sasaki in your main event. Hmm. Wow. Can we top Phantom Funakoshi? Oh, we got more to go. We have more Phantom Funakoshi to go. Uh, FMW, a soccer professional gen number two on January 11th in front of 1350. We have Hideki Asako over Yoshinar Sasaki, Gato and Koji Nakagawa over Hayata Nanjo and Flying Kid Chihara, Super Leather over Riki Fuji, Mr. Gunasuke over Yukiro Kanamura, Hirobichi for Yuki over Tetsuya Kuroda, Masato Tanaka over Bad Boy Hino, and Hayabusa went to a 30-minute draw with Hisakatsu Oya. Oh, that sounds good. There are some pretty solid-looking matches on this show. Um, would Leather at this point still be Kirshner? It's whoever, yeah, whoever it always was. Super okay. So if it's super leather, it's always cursed. Pretty much, yes. Okay. IWA Japan Cork and Hall, no crowd attendance listed. Uh-oh. Nishino and Phantom Funakoshi, along with Asian Cougar over Takashi Wano, Yuji Kido, and Tudor the Turtle. You can't get much more indie in a six-man tag in this era than that. Mikami and Akinora Sukioka over Saito and Great Takeru. Miho Wakazawa and Sachi Nishibori over Keo Nomi and Emi Murakawa. Shigeo Okumura and Shumi Masazaki over Masao Orihara and Takeshi Ono by disqualification. The Ghost and Freddy Krueger over Yoshia Yamashita, Yamashita, however you want to call it, and Katsumi Hirano. And our Bar Bat match, Mr. Pogo and Shoji Nakamaki over Keisuke Yamada and Takeshi Sato. Sure. But. Who's Ghost? We have a, I don't know. Uh, then we have another IWA, IWA Kokosai. Yes! They ran January 17th with the Shirumi Fruit Investor Mark in Yokohama front 350. Osamu Arai over Phantom Funakoshi by TKO. Oh. Kazumasa Nihei over Neoshi Sano. Kazumasa Nihei went to a no contest with Toshiki Maria. Maria. Ryura over Yuki Miyazaki. Then we had a Royal Rumble. One okay. by, it's tag, tag Team Royal Rumble. One by the Devil and Satan. They defeated Command 1 and Command 2, JRF Lion and Takai Bushido version 3, Black Mummy and The Mummy, and The Geezer and The Scalper. <laughs> I know Vincent Mann was working in IWA Kokosai. The Geezer. I didn't know Carrie Silken worked IWA Kokosai. <laughs> yes. They had Devil and Satan and Gorsurumi over Masakurisu, Shigeo Kamura, and Shinob- Shinobu Tamar on your main event. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, okay, I, I forgot to ask this. So, uh, Sachie Nishibori, is that Sachiabe? Sachi Nishibori, that's all I know. Okay. Michinoku Pro. I mean, Motokawa, of course, is uh, I mean, Sakura. Michinoku Pro, the biggest in-ring news appears to be the split of Michinoku Pro Wrestler. No. As, as mentioned last week, Super Delphin announced his final match with the company will be January 13th at Cork and Hall. After the show ended, the fans wanted an explanation as to why Delphin was quitting the company, protested, and stayed in their seats after the show ended until Jensei Shinzaki convinced them to go home. <laughs> I want to see that speech. On January 17th, Super Delphin held a press conference saying he'd be leaving Michinoku Pro, which everyone knew, but that also Nerushikawa, Masaru Yokosuji, Grand Naniwa, Masaru Seno, one trainee and one company ref were also leaving with him to start a new group, and they would be working next for CMLL Japan, we we'll start the tour on February 24th. 
It looks as though as Dick Togo amends Teo will wind up with Delphin's group, which Teo doesn't go. One would think it was an angle since Gray Sasuke showed up, and he and Delphin started yelling at each other about inside things. However, Mission Looking Pro canceled several major shows in March that Delphin was the local promoter for. Dave gave details as to what they were saying, other than the press felt they were both embarrassing the industry with their statements about one another. Mission Looking Pro is now left with only four stars, Sasuke, Shinzaki, Grand Hamada, and Tiger Mask 4, and will probably make Hanzo Nakajima. This was a very, very bitter divorce. Yes. And th- what these guys were doing was they were actually shooting. And uh, yeah, it got it got nasty for years. I mean, Delphin, Delphin thought that he didn't get enough credit for his work um, as a uh, promoter, and he wanted he wanted more piece of the pie. He wanted he wanted you know part of the more company. responsibility. Yeah. yeah, Sasuke wanted no part of that, and that's where you went. And, you know, to his credit, Delphin just does his own thing with Osaka Pro. Yep. Starts Osaka Pro, builds them up, and they become a successful successful indie group. Comes up with his own niche. You know, you know, fair, relatively low overhead, you know, single location, not nece- a lot of the time, not necessarily touring. And he made it work. No. Yep. Unfortunately, right, he also uh, inspired by Quackenbush, but that's a different story for a different time. Well, yeah. Cork and Hall, January 13th, from 1900. Well, to Wilkins Jr., Ryuji Solar over Masaru Seno. Jinsei Shizaki over Masaki Machizuki. SM Revolution over Relay Shonen. Nohiro Shikawa, Masaru Yakusuji over Super Delphin and Grand Naniwa. Grand Hamana, Tiger Mask 4, and Taiga Dragon. Of a great Sasuke, Sasuke the Great, Masao Ihara, and Takeshi Ono in your main event. Well, wouldn't he be all cap Sasuke here if he's a heel? Teaming with Sasuke. Uh, probably, prob- probably, yes. So I or, forget, well, I, real quick though, I forget. Is the whole group until Torimon starts, is the whole group called Crazy Max? Is it, or is it only called Crazy Max if the actual Crazy Max guys are around? Yes. It's that. But Sasuke is considered part of Crazy Max when they are around. Yes. Okay. And Sasuke is about to turn face anyway. War. January 15th at Gorkin Hall only drew 500 fans. For a main event with Tenru and Shoji Nakamaki over Nobutaka Araya and Shigeo Kimura, also Masari Hara won the International Junior title from Yuji Ashiroka. Rest of the results. Hidetomo Egawa over Morobashi. Carol Midori and Sari Okuno over Miho Watabe and Rumi Kazama. Masaki Mochizuki and Tomohiro Ishii over Masaru Seno and Tiger Mask 4. International Junior title, Masaru Hara won the title over Yuji Ashiroka. Then we had Nakamaki and Tenuguruchiro over Nobutaka Araya and Shigeo Kimura. 500 fans. I didn't even realize they ran into 99. Mm-hmm. They ran into 2000. <laughs> Okay, so I have a question. I forget. Because I think in the early war stuff we've read, it says that... uh, Oh, I forget the name of the owner. But, like, Magane Super was still the backers, though, right? It was just a new company that wasn't SW. Oh, it wasn't? So who were his backers? I mean, it may have been at the beginning. That's what I was saying. It may have been at the beginning. That's what I was saying. But So who were his backers after that? 
your guess is good as mine. All Japan women, they're in the garage in Tokyo from 2.30 on January 17th. Manami Toyota over Zap Yozaki. Then we had Zap I and Zap T over Yumiko Hota and Miyuki Fuji. Little Frankie over Tomezo Sunakaki, the, the midgets. And then Kumiko Mikawa, Momo Nakanishi, and Nani Takahashi over Takako Inoue, Keo Nomi, and Miho Wakazawa in your main event. Mm. Not a Momo, not a Momo, not a Momo. Not a great looking show there. RCN on January 17th at Cub Sita in Kawasaki. 600 fans. Oh my god. Reggie Bennett over Jesse Bennett in your opening match. Little some steam, Bennett. And that, of course, is the future of Bionic J. Elimination match. Makiko Futagami, Rie Tamana, Hiromi Yagi over Mario Pachi. And Mar- over Mario Pachi. Excuse me. Dave's got this mixed up. <laughs> okay. He's got a B in there twice, but anyway. Mikiko Furukami, Rei Tamana, Hiromi Yagi, uh, Mario Pachi, Ajakami, Michiko Omakai, Yumi Fakawa, uh, and Hayako Mata. However, that shakes out. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> wait no, wait, that would be. Okay, wait. No, 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 no. Okay. It's Mikiko Furukami, Rei Tamada, Hiromi Yagi, and Mario Pachi beat Ajakami, Michiko you know, Omakai, good... Yumi Fakawa, and Hayako Hamada. That's the only way it makes sense. It just it has, has to be two Bs there. Four. Yeah. And then Queen of Arsian, Mariko Yoshida over Mika Akano. That sounds like a hell of a Gaia. Gaia, Cork and Hall on the 17th. You have 1,500 fans for Linus Asuka, Mayumi Ozaki, with Ajakong in their corner, beating Karu and Toshio Yamana in the main event, where Karu bled from being attacked by Asuka and Kong. After when Asuka challenged Nagaya to a singles match, and it was accepted. Wrestle results that car, Kato over Sakura Hirota. Toshiyamatsu of Rie, Nakamura, Shikusu Nagayo and Maki Namao over Sugar Sato and Shikaya Nagashima, Riko Yamato over Meiko Satomura, and Asuka Natsaki over Karu and Toshio Yamada. And to close out, Japan, JWP in Osaka in front of 700 fans. We have Erika Watanabe over Tomiko Sai, Chikako Shiratori over, uh, Watanabe, over Erika Watanabe, Kanako Matoya and Kayuka Hariyama over Yoshiko Kurakagi and Yuki Lee, Devil Masami over Tobuko Miyaguchi. And JFP Tag Tiles, Riko Mano and Command Bolshoi over Tomoko Kuzumi and Hikari Fukuoka to win the titles. So of what we've got here, no surprise as they're coming into their own that Arsene and Gaia have the best looking shows. But probably the most newsworthy thing here is... I mean, Asuka had not been in Gaia long, right? No. So... They're setting up her and Chiguza wrestling each other for the first time in a decade, and still a year and a, I mean, almost a year and a half away from the reunion. But you know, Crush Gal's reunion comes in May two thousand, and you know, by that point, on the strength of all the build up to that, they're pretty clearly the number one women's promotion in the country. <clears throat> yep, and that is it for Japan, so it's halftime. So it's a great 1999 commercial, so we have to the halftime segment of the show. Well, we're talking about Patreon, we'll talk about IBTV, private internet access, hit the plugs, and then we'll come back as we go to Mexico, where we talk about a change in television in AAA, we got a change in CMLL's American business partners, and all kinds of other stuff. So all that and more after the break. 
A Dateline Special Edition, The Greatest Generation, is sponsored in part by Fidelity Investments, where 12 million investors put their trust, and by the Wide Track Grand Prix by Pontiac. Wider is better. My ancestor dreamt of winning the Highlands Open, but his golf wasn't up to par. So he designed a wider golf club for better control of his drive. Truly, wider is better. Improve your drive with the Wide Track Grand Prix Sports Sedan. Its unique Wide Track design sets the wheels wider for better control on any course. My family crest still bears the proverb: "Mashleha nasha." Wider is better. The Wide Track Grand Prix by Pontiac. Looks like somebody's going to need a washer and dryer. Well, we can't afford them till next year. Well, you don't have to pay till next year. Really? Really, if you use your Sears card. Right now, you can get 0% finance charge for a full year on all appliances and electronics over $399. That's a long time. Sure is. And what's more, Sears has a great deal on a Kenmore washer and dryer. You can save $120 on the pair. So we could save a bundle. Oh, yeah, if you hurry. Your chance to get 0% financing for a full year ends Saturday. An hour of the pretender can get pretty exciting. And now, there are two. An explosive night of television with a double pretender. That's Wolf. Brace yourself for back-to-back -back action starting at 8 to 7 central. Brilliant plan. A double pretender. NBC Saturday. If only snacking weren't just about satisfying your hunger, but your hunger for life. In this spirit, Snackwell's brings you hearty fruit and grain cereal bars with orchard fresh flavors like country fruit medley. Live well, snack well. Around here, everything is last minute. Can you get a cat? I barely have time to stay current, but here's some good news. Now Minute Rice has great tasting craft cheese sauce. Three delicious flavors in just five minutes. New Minute Rice with cheese. It's the perfect last minute side dish. The problem is wrinkles. Now you can reduce the appearance of wrinkles and fine lines with Alpha Hydrox Night Rescue Anti-Wrinkle Cream. A unique formula with retinol, time released as you sleep, to reduce the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and age spots. Your reduce the appearance of Alpha Hydrox Night Rescue Anti-Wrinkle Cream with retinol. Hey, so uh, what do you think of this Tidy Cats? Honestly, Stinky, I think it's a gimmick. But it's specially formulated, see, for multiple cat households. But, but you know what that means? No. More roommates. <coughs> multiple strength for multiple cats. Ouch! You stop brushing with Sensodyne every day. Your dentist said Sensodyne every day helps take pain away. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm married a dentist. <laughs> Sensodyne every day. Now for whiter teeth, use new Sensodyne Extra Whitening every day. Ordinarily, a Saturn owner reporting over 100,000 miles on his car just isn't that uncommon. But in the first year, that sort of caught our attention, so we decided to keep track of him. He came in for oil changes and tune-ups, but nothing major, until he hit the 300,000 mile mark. Mr. Bingham, looks like we got a problem here. Looks good. Got to admit, for a car seat, 300,000 is a pretty good run. Sunday at 8.30, 7.30 Central. I didn't kill my wife! I don't care! The motion picture blockbuster, The Fugitive, NBC, Sunday at 8.30, 7.30 Central. To the hundreds of stars who have helped us help millions of our viewers.
sober. Stay in school. Be careful out there, okay? From all of us at The More You Know, thanks for 10 incredible years. Good evening, I'm Paul Moyer. Coming up at 11 o'clock, a stunning multi-million dollar verdict just handed down against the local HMO. Why this man's widow sued and won. Details at 11. Then turning up the heat on the president, the Republicans try to nail down their case for alive in D.C. Plus why some LAPD officers say if they die on the job, they don't want this man at their funeral. The chief of police under fire. And happy birthday to a junior high student. The twist, he's turning 101. The story at 11 on the Channel 4 News. All right, we're back, and hope you enjoyed all those great 1999 commercials. That's we've to the halftime segment of the show, where we'll start talking about the Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets, where we have uh, a new Patreon show that'll be coming out at the end of the month, as we start a two-part series that I'll look at the year in the life of Paul Heyman, 1993, starting off with him getting fired at WCW, leaving, leaving WCW, however you want to put it, then... Uh, his life as a free agent for a while and then getting involved in Eastern Championship Wrestling and Jim Crockett's WWN and then taking over as the uh, the booker of Eastern Championship Wrestling from Eddie Gilbert, his best friend. And he's got all kind of interviews he does in this time period. And uh, yeah, just a candid look at the the ups and downs of 1993 for Paul Heyman, where he uh, his career and life changes forever in that year. So uh, it's going to be two shows. That, show, that just shows you how much he was talking to people, for sure. So, uh, you know, we've done a lot of Paul. We've done a lot of Eddie. So we get them both in this in this series here. So, uh, yeah, it's a, you know, a um, difference from what we've been doing recently. So good to have a little difference here. So, uh, yeah, everybody got... Um, you know, put the five dollars down, patreon.com slash twenty sheets. So you can listen to all this, plus all the other shows that we've done in our full six plus years of the Patreon. We're just coming off the twenty-five uh, years of Montreal series we did. So uh, there's a ton of great audio on there. Well worth that five dollars a month. So everybody go check that out at patreon.com slash between the sheets. And it's fifty forty annual. So uh if you want to do the annual subscription. That's a good way to do it right there. Dollar a month gets you access to the uh, Discord Thanks and Assessment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week, which we'll have one next week. Um, make sure you have two shows in your mind, just in case the original show you want us to do, maybe something we've touched on already on a previous show. So uh, have that in your mind. Uh, if you have any questions regarding what you want us to do and then let one of us know uh, follow the protocol on the patreon website to do that and uh, we're going to try to help you uh, get the show that you want us to do on the air and then you follow the protocol there 30 uh, day rules in effect 10 year rules in effect uh, wednesday to tuesday in the timeline all that good stuff and we should be able to get you taken care of so do that and you'll be good to go 50 dollars i was just in for a second on the show and 100 for the whole show that's if you want to. You don't have to. It's if you want to. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Big so this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right. We'd like to thank Blake Wagoner. Thanks, Blake. Jonathan Presley. 
Thanks, Jonathan. And Michael Fisco. Thanks, Michael. So we thank all you new patrons, you old patrons. Patrons have been there from the beginning. There's never left. Patrons is coming on, come back. Uh, we thank all of you. And uh, if you've left, then uh, come back. It don't hurt. You know, and just come and go as you please. It doesn't matter, you know, but we would prefer you stay with us. But, hey, do what you got to do. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV Bix, what's going on over there this week? I uh, know our friends at Action Wrestling have a uh, show that we, we can talk about. Yeah, that'll be coming up Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for a show that is headlined by Anthony Henry defending his uh, newly won Action Championship in a no DQ, no ropes match against Adam Priest. With, yeah, no ropes match. You don't see a whole lot of them often, so that's an interesting stipulation. And Anthony Henry's uh, been on at least one Bloodsport card in the past, too. Yeah. So he has some experience there as well. So that should be fairly uh, hard-hitting, especially um, especially coming off. I feel like that'll also be the expectation coming off of the uh, Anthony Henry-Rob Martyr match from the rest of all. Uh, also on that show, Culture Inc. versus The Skulk, which at this point, if they say The Skulk, it's usually Liam Gray and, Ad and uh, Adrian Atlantis, right? That's the way it's been pretty much for the last year or more. From, That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, yeah. When I was watching regularly. Yeah. Suge D versus AC Mack. O'Shea Edwards versus Brogan Finley. Alex Kane versus Damian Tangra. So fun looking show from our friends there at Action Wrestling. And also wanted to highlight uh, Prestige has a show on Saturday night at 10 Eastern that includes uh, Miyu Yamashita versus Athena. Uh, and then, you know, various, uh, I don't know if I want to, I almost said imports, but, you know, your bigger current indie stars against some locals like Kevin Blackwood versus, this is someone I'm not familiar with, MAO or MAO, all caps. Uh, Robert Martyr Kid Bandit, another actual import, uh, Shunma Katsumata taking on Sonico of uh, recent AEW TV squash fame. Evil Uno versus Jacob Fatu in an interesting match. Uh, Tyler Bateman, David Richards, and Wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on just a second. You don't know who Mao is? <laughs> the wrestler? No. Yeah. I don't think I've seen Mao. DDT. Um, oh, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Top, top stars. Okay. I was thinking that was an indie wrestler for some reason. Now I've, I have well, not been DDT paying much attention is... to DDT lately. You know what I mean. Well, DDT is not an indie anymore, though. Oh, let's not go crazy. <laughs> it, it, it is a corporate promotion <laughs> that operates in the indie spirit. Let's say that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, Mal's been around for, God, what, seven, eight years now? Yeah, I've been paying of the Cyber Fights promotions, at least since I started subscribing to it. Um, but in, ge in general, too, but also since I've started subscribing to uh, Wrestling Universe, I've mainly been paying attention to Noah so far. But I intend to change that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, sometimes I wonder how Prestige makes money. But, you know, they put on good shows, so I guess more power to them. <laughs> and I did also want to mention in passing uh, another import. I'm not going to give the whole cards on these, but... The H2O show that's going to be on 
Sunday at 8 p.m. And the ICW No Holds Apart show that's Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Both feature uh, Toshiyuki Sakuda in death matches. And he always shows out with his on his uh, American appearances that I've seen, so that should be interesting. So I guess everyone check that out. Didn't spot anything too noteworthy added to Video On Demand that wasn't a new live stream or anything. You know, archive live stream. So there you go. And if you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up at independentwrestling.tv and we'll get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet source provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet source provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about that, shall we? We have three packages that we offer to you. We have a monthly package of $11.95 a month. That's the basic package. Yearly package is $3.33 a month or $39.95 for a year. Or the best deal that we offer, three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month, $79 over three years. Wow, 83% off. What a bargain, folks. You can't beat that. So go there. Why? Because that's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. You can try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1996. It is a Patreon request to show by Andy Linton. And uh, it's a very interesting week as we have uh, the Royal Rumble taking place during our week. So we'll talk about that and uh, how WF is on the upswing at the current time in January 1996 on the business route. And things are starting to get going for WrestleMania season as we have... uh, Bret Hart and Undertaker having their title match. Diesel's uh, heel turn or tweener turn is going strong here. Sean's winning the Rumble. Vader debuts not after the, rum- the Rumble on Raw. Takes out Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, Roddy Piper gets installed as the commissioner. I mean, there's a lot going on during our weekend WF. So uh, quite the section there. Then you got all the international stuff. We got some indie stuff. And then you go to WCW where... They clash of the champions in Las Vegas. It's this time for the NACME convention, which is one of Bix's favorite subjects to always talk about, where um, death clash of champions, like I said, and Bobby Heenan has quite the interesting night, thanks to Brian Pillman. We get Kevin Green showing up, NFL uh, Hall of Famer Kevin Green showing up, and then uh, the debut of Woman, the return of Elizabeth. So we got that going on. We got um, Nitro to talk about as well. You know, one week at WCW. And so there's some people upset in that company. 
and uh, make it known verbally to people. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. And also regarding Nappy, Antonio Noki has an interesting week at Nappy as uh, he has some meetings and they make a big announcement of one of the biggest wrestling shows in 1996 taking place. So uh, we'll have all that and more next week on Between the Sheets. No guests as we got to carve out some time to do the Patreon show. So there you go. This is a pretty big show next week. Uh, 31 pages. So a lot of notes and clips. So should be quite the show next week. So everybody listen to that. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BTC Spot. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, you had quite the article go up on Wrestling Inc. this week. If you say so. <laughs> okay. Have you read the actual article or are you just going by the cliff notes I had given to you while I was working on it? I mean, I haven't read it, read it, but I know what you're talking about. I've seen, I, I looked at it and saw some stuff, but yeah. Well, and I, t- and I told you about it, about some of the stuff while I was working on it. Well. Um, so as we're recording this on Friday, and this had, you know, this had been brewing for months. We had seen some Twitter chatter about it, and we knew that it was a thing on some certain podcasts, like uh, more so open the uh Oh, open the voice, Kate. Sorry, took me a second to remember the exact name. I apologize to Case and Mike. But, and also I think a little on Voices Wrestling Flagship, but in The Observer, Dave Meltzer had been running some stuff about Dragon Gate that seemed, I don't know, spurious. And a lot of it had to do with claims that Nosawa was the booker, which no one else was hearing through any real sources. And it got to the point where even on the English commentary, Jay Church was making jokes about it. And like Stalker Ishikawa would, you know, do one of his comedy spots where he messes up and he, Jay would say something like, oh, that move's more reliable for him than the, uh, you know, Wrestling Observer fact checking department or something like that. So this had been brewing. And then last week, Case Slow posted on the Voice of Wrestling site like his guide to 2022 Dragon Gate, where he laid out how, as best as anyone could tell, and I had seen some of this already, uh, Dave was duped by someone pretending to be uh, Kaito Ishida. And Mike Spears, the other co-host of Open the Voice Gate, followed up with a Twitter thread that went into it more, and... And, you know, after talking it over with some of the wrestling editors, we felt like, okay, Dave is the longest tenured and biggest name wrestling reporter. I want to treat this fairly, but if he got something this wrong, this egregiously, with this much proof, I kind of felt like it needed to be covered, and so did they. Um, made sure to get Dave's side of it, you know, and which, you know, made it take a few more days because Ebola and all hell breaking loose with WWE. But... You know, from talking to Jay, talking to Sean Ross Sapp, who also got the emails initially, it doesn't look like he took any steps to verify any of this stuff. And Dave more or less admitted that he relied on a lot of that stuff to me. You know, I don't think he actually did a retraction or anything, but, it, you know, it's it's nothing we don't talk about all the time on this show, but... It feels like there have, I don't know if it's the information age and more people that are good wrestling reporters or, you know, what, 
but it feels like, I don't know if something changed with Dave. It feels like it's easier to pick certain things apart now. You know, in the article, I also mentioned, too, how, you know, in the aftermath of speaking out, when there were the court cases and stuff, he kept running this thing about how the Riddle Camp, Matt Riddle Camp, I should say, was claiming that Candy Cartwright had been escorted out of full sale for stalking him and making a scene, which never happened. No one I have ever talked to, reporter or wrestler, has ever heard of that story from anyone other than Riddle and people who would be spreading Riddle stuff. And all of the days where they kept saying it happened, which the fact that they kept changing the day it happened should have been a red flag, too. Don't get me wrong. All of them were impossible, pretty much. One was a Thursday after the last Wednesday NXT taping of the year. The other was um, a day where she had tweeted, you know, location stamp, a location stamp tweet and pretty much would have had to have rushed to the airport to get to Orlando to be there for the taping. It's just not possible. And Dave ran this and didn't reach out to her from what I could tell from asking around. So I kind of included that, too, to make it clear. It's like, this isn't just about, you know, wrestling palace intrigue. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's just easier to tell now? Do you think he slipped from everything we go through on this show, from what I've told you, from what's in the article? What's your take on this? Eh, it could happen to anybody. Yeah. Well, the other thing, though, with the Dragon Gate stuff, though, is, well, there's a few things here, though. The Dragon Gate stuff, we should mention, too, like, and it's in the article, some of it, like, tons of people told him this stuff was all nonsense. And he basically ignored them for months. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, I mentioned the article because I saw the emails. He reached out to Jay at one point, months into this, in November. And Jay debunked the story. And Dave still ran it in the next Observer without even indicating that someone on the dra- in you know someone in Dragon Gate had denied it to him. And then yeah. with the other thing, yeah, I mean the fact that it went as long as it did. Yeah, and then with the other, yeah, yeah, just to finish what I was saying. Thing. And then with the Riddle and Candy Cartwright thing, he did make it clear that it was the claim, you know, it, it, more or less saying it's coming from the Riddle side. But he never reached out to her once. So, and he didn't, when I asked him directly, he didn't mention that part, but he didn't deny it. So there are basic things he should be doing. He could have easily found ways to try to check and figure out the Dragon Guy Gate hoaxer and then potentially other wrestlers he was impersonating was not who he said he was, or they, I should say, since we don't know for sure. So I don't know. I mean, but do you feel like this is a newer thing for him? I mean, we've seen old no. stuff, but how do I – let me put it this way. No. Things that he could check that he doesn't is more my question. No, because look, I mean, look how much we've seen wrong in, these, all, in just all the years from all the newsletters. Yeah. I, so I, this is nothing new. Now, I do think a big part of it is, you know, Trevor Dame tweeted last week in a really good tw- thread – I do think this shows that, especially now, and especially, you know, and I don't mean this as a dig getting older, I think Dave needs to dump the wear every hat as much as possible approach. But where Dave, you know, has been wrong, he's also been right, i.e. Mercedes. 
Yes, but there's I, more about that that you and I know that we've talked about on the, excuse me, off the air that he was right, but I'm not sure he was right through the right way, if that makes sense. Well, <laughs> it is what it is. So, yeah. I mean. Yeah, and you know, he, look, you know, last year going into Mania, you know. Vince Wrestling, Austin Wrestling, they're not advertising the matches, but they're happening. Dave had that, what, months ahead of time? Yeah. I mean, everybody everybody has their, their moments where they're right, and then they have their moments where they're wrong, and they have, the misinformation goes out there. Uh, but the thing about the Dragon Gate thing is that that's a different thing. Because it dragged on for at least six it months. It dragged on yeah. for so long. Yeah. It's one thing to be wrong about a story, to hear the wrong thing on a story, but to to just be catfished. And ignore basically. people who are trying to help you and show you the error of your ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I, mean, he, I, mean, I mean, he was catfished. Yeah. Just that simple. And what was I going to say with that, too? To, and to be clear, you know, I tweeted this earlier, too, especially as I, as the article started blowing up, Bischoff tweeting it, you know, and all that, and – Seeing more LOL, LOL, water is wet type stuff. <laughs> of course, Bischoff would. <laughs> well, yes. But uh, any unblock me on Twitter and follow me because of that. <laughs> I'm still blocked. Uh, well, well, maybe Ru- Ru- Russo's going to be next, I guess, to uh, come out, reach out to you. No, probably not. But <laughs> where was I going with this, though? Um, I do want to make clear, though, like, yeah, it's not it's not an issue of getting stuff wrong that we're talking about here. You can do all of the right things and get a story wrong, you know, which, you know, we'll probably talk about a little in a minute. If it turns out that WWE doesn't even have a deal in principle yet with the Saudi, to sell to the Saudi government, I still trust that, you know, Stephen Mulhausen and Cassidy <laughs> Haynes, I mean, I know in both <laughs> cases they had multiple sources, were going by sources that they trusted to have high-level information. Well... Now, there's, 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 those, types, those types could be wrong, too. That's my point, yes. But, you know, whether or not there should be additional due diligence for what would be the biggest story in the history of professional wrestling, that's a different topic. But this is what we're talking about here, though, with Dave. It is not a matter of, is he getting stuff wrong? Of course he's gotten stuff wrong. And, of course, he's got, like, even if he was doing the most impeccable job, he probably still would be getting stuff wrong because of how much he tries to do at a time. And because it's wrestling. But the fact that some, and I mean, they seem to, the people like in the Voice of Wrestling Discord seem to, and some on Twitter, seem to know who the Dragon Gate hoaxer was. It, it was just some random internet troll that didn't try particularly hard. Like, that is a problem. And, you know, we've we've heard the stories for years of I sent Dave an email and he ran it as news verbatim in the next observer. Yeah. You know, so it's. I hope he learns from this. I do appreciate that he seemed to get that he messed up and was perfectly friendly and collegial about it. You know, because in the past, his reactions have been a lot of the time either ignored or lash out. So I appreciate it that he dealt with it like a professional and an adult here. But it's unfortunate, and I don't like or relish having to write about it but i you know i think like i said we all kind of felt like you needed to well i mean 
you never know who's lying. And the thing is, is they may not even know they're lying because they've been told a lie that they think is true, which is this whole probably deal with this whole deal with the Saudi thing. I mean, you know that when you when somebody who you trust well doesn't I mean believe something that may not be true, but they think is true, but and you trust them from being right before. You know, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it can blow up in your face. And, I mean, that's the risk you take being in that type of profession. I couldn't do it because uh, I don't trust anybody. So, I mean, I, that's why I couldn't do it. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a hard thing to deal with. Um, and, you know, a lot a lot of people were uh, on the Saudi thing. Which you know could always still happen, but the days that go by, the, and the more that comes out, the less I think is happening. I think it's going to be in there somebody else. Um, you know, it's honestly, it, I don't even just, want to waste just, any time or brain power on that thing much right now. <laughs> I mean, I know who it ain't going to be. It ain't going to be Tony Khan or Shot Khan. I can tell you that. I mean, and, I'm curious you know, <laughs> who planted that stuff with two different mainstream outlets, though. And the, and the thing is, it made them look, in my opinion, it kind of made AEW look worse because they were framed as their smaller rivals. It made them seem like a minor league group. I, I just like oh, that I, CNBC headline. What was it? Their lesser rival. Their smaller, smaller rival. Yeah, I mean, it just really. It, 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 I get what it was, and it got them press. But to be called that, <laughs> I don't know about that one. That might not have been a, w- a winning play. Um, but anyway, I mean, the whole WWE thing is going to last a while. I mean, th- this sale is not going to happen anytime soon. It, I mean, it's going to probably be maybe summer at the earliest. So there's a lot that's going to be going on there. So we're we're early in the game on that. But uh yeah, it's going to be a while, 2023, already. Good Lord, we're 13 days in as we record this, and uh, it's only going to get wilder. So uh, buckle up, folks. But, yeah, I mean, it's easier to fall these days than it ever has been for fake stories. And, hey, it, it got anybody. And like I said, Dave got catfish. At least, at least it was a wrestling story and not Dave having to – uh, give a whole bunch of money to somebody out of you know for for being catfished or thinking that he's in a relationship with somebody because he's being catfished. That's 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 the worst. So yeah, but everybody read Bix's article and uh, learn about this situation because uh, it could happen to anybody, even uh, Dave Meltzer. So there you go. All right. Well, enough about that. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to Lucha now as uh, we go to the Triple R. Antonio Pena announced he'll be changing the format of his television tapings. The first three matches will all be one fall as opposed to the traditional two out of three falls. All women's matches, cage matches, dog collar, and strap match TV tapings will also be one fall. This all goes into effect in February. The women are heavily protested in this break from tradition, and, are, and for the women, it may be delayed. They 
they did this and they start they started doing they kept it this way for a while for, for quite a while. I think maybe the rest of the, the time Pena is there. Something like in that. In a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, they did a lot of one fall matches on, and uh, at the beginnings. Yeah. There were some major problems before the taping on January sixteenth in Cuernavaca. When Pena and his TV crew arrived at the building at three thirty that afternoon, it was all locked up and they wouldn't let anyone in. This lasted for three hours. Apparently last year, Promotionis Antonio Pena ran a house show in the same building, and Petoff, who was working for Pena at the time, said he paid the rent and all the building costs after the show. But he disappeared without paying after the show. So when Pena came, the building, the concessionaires, and the union wanted their money from the last show. Pena apparently wasn't warned this would happen, as the people had been at the Petoff for the money. <laughs> they finally got the money together, paid the due bills, and were allowed in the building. <laughs> Wow. What a heel, brother. Oh, <laughs> Pedro just fucked him up. Because he didn't see him alone now. He ain't got to see him. All right, the results of this taping on the 16th at Arena, oh, excuse me, Auditorio de Telpazanco, Cuernavaca. Abeja Africana and La Avispa over Goku and Lagula. Miss Janef, Rosa Moreno and Sushimara over Alda Moreno, Linda Starr, and Princess Shugi. Io del Spectro, Io del Solitario, and Gran Apache over La Parca Jr., Mascara Sagrada Jr., and Oscar Sevilla. Los Fatos Locos, Charlie Manson, Mayflowers, Nigma, and Picudo over Los Vipers, Electroshock, Hysteria, Maniaco, and Psychosis 2. And then our main event, Eddie Vental, Latin Lover, Octagon, and Ray Jargon, which would become Oz, over Abismo Negro, Cibernetico, Kick, Boxer, and Musco de la Merced. So very 1999 AAA TV taping here. Esta Morena worked her first match in Mexico many years on January 12th for Pena. So there you go. Because she worked uh, mainly in Japan in that era. Uh, there seems to be a, appears to be a reversal in Simolo's choice of American dance partners. As Shavo Luderov, who's actually over the head of Paco Alonso, um, the Luderov family founded pro wrestling in Mexico in the 30s, also promoted numerous other sports, including baseball and boxing. Paco, the nephew of Salvador Luverov, who founded the oldest wrestling company in the world, has headed the wrestling division. Had a meeting with Vita Quinones, an independent WF rep, and Carlos Mañez, who ran a strong promotion opposition in the late 70s and 80s in Tijuana. Alonso has been working with WCW, including having some uh, WCW wrestlers appear on the last few major shows in 1998, with plans of bigger names, including Conan, Rebe Stewart Jr., and Eddie Guerrero working major programs this year. In addition, Paco was supposed to help supply WCW with talent for a supposed Latino show, which right now only has a deal for one episode pilot that will be taped on January 26th. No contracts have been signed with either WF or WCW, although WCW did send Alonso a contract and he didn't sign after already putting him in charge of booking their talent in Mexico. Shavo Luderoff at the meeting made the decision to work with WWF and not WCW, claiming that several of his top wrestlers had threatened to quit if the WCW guys came in as headliners. Not to mention the press wasn't kind to the luchadors coming in doing American mannerisms, and while the first house was up with the WCW guys, the subsequent houses were disappointments. In addition, had Alonso signed the contract with WCW, he would have lost both Io de Santo and Negro Casas. They're probably the ones that said they would have quit. <sighs> So who's on the right here in your mind, Vix? Is as it Paco trying to? Well, I mean, for for who who CML should work with? Is it Paco because he wants to bring in WCW guys, including Conan, or uh, Chavo who is wanting to work with WF because of the Super Astros TV situation? 
I can see it both ways. I'm not really sure here. I, plus, they and for being afraid of, of losing Santo and Casas. I think the right move was to do what it took to keep Santo and Casas. Is the thing here? It's, they meant more at that time for them than Conan and Ray would have, and that's no slight to Conan and Ray in any means. Yeah. But yeah. So it ended up working out. Yeah. In the ring, the news is fairly quiet this week. Jaron 15th Arena Call Sale was headlined by Alantis Felino Militares Jr. winning a non-title match over the Trios champions, Los Lacaneros. Dr. Biden Jr., Blue Panther, and Black Warrior for another full house. So let's talk about Black Warrior. Black Warrior passed away during this week. Um, he was, after Ray Jr. went to become full-time in America, and Black Warrior became uh, you know a, a, a deal, he became my, my favorite luchador. Um, an amazing talent. The best topage ever, in my opinion. It's from Black Warrior. Um, just fantastic. I mean, just the way he looked, the way he carried himself. If that dude at that time period had been around 10 to 15 years later, he'd be under WWE contract. He, he just, he had, he, he had that, that it yes. factor about him. Well, and he was taller than a lot of the other guys, too. Yes. Yes. He was just an amazing talent and uh, had a lot of trouble over the years. As a Cubs fan noted uh, in his obituary, called the Dennis Rodman of Lucha Libre. Take that for which, what it's worth. <laughs> he lived a life. So uh, definitely sad that he passed away. So the uh, Wisconsin Pasta Black. Redo Tope. All right. Jaren 15 for Rencalceo. Fierro and Heke over Los Rayos Tapatillos. Mini Rey Mysterio Jr. in Ultimo Dragoncito over Espiritus 1 and 2. So we had the Mini Rey Mysterio Jr. here, Bix, which was after Rey Jr., Kid Guzman, and Super Kendo over Arcana de la Muerte, Io de Gladiador, and Mugger. Brother de Oro, Brother de Plata, and Star, and over Fishmouth, con Ultimo Guerrero by disqualification. Atlantis, Emilio Chavez Jr., Felino over Black Warrior, Blue Panther, and Dr. Batman Jr. On the 12th, Rina Calceo, Angel de Plata and Sombra de Plata over El Cafre and Sangre Azteca. Fugaz and Guerrero de Futuro over Flecha and Pegaso. Dr. O'Borman Jr., Rico Latino and Virus over Atlantico, Olympus, and Solar, number two. Rico Mendoza, Tony Rivera and El Torero over Colorful Guardi Jr., Mano Negro and Violencia. And Bestia Savaje, Scorpio Jr., and Zumbido, Los Guapos, over Lismar, Shocker, and Tenebus Jr. And then January 17th, for Coliseo, Ciclocito Ramirez and Mascarita Magica over El Fierito and Sombrita. Fierro and Heque over Mara Negro Jr. and Super Pinoco. Nosawa, Rico Latino and Reyes Veos over Atlantico, Kid Guzman and Olympus. Arshuri Jr., Tony Rivera and Torero over Arcana de la Muerte, Fishman and Carl Fogarty Jr. And then Felizma, Felino, Lismark and Solomon Gunder over Apollo Nantes, Mascara, Añero Smil and Villano Tercero. Feliz Man would have been a good name. <laughs> Feliz Man. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, January. Uh, in this time period, there's no Arena Mexico shows until the end of the month. So Because of uh, the circus. Yes. So they're a Coliseo. Uh, all right. Arena Coliseo de Acapulco on January 13th. It's an interesting lineup here. We have Destroyer over Super Lagrimitas. Mundra and Turco over Full Power and Roy Dinamo. Atlantico, Maranegro Jr., and Olympico over Dr. Borman Jr., American Latino, and Ultima Guerrero. 
Fuerza Guerrero, best of Savahan Scorpio Jr. over Io de Santo, Felino Negrocas is by disqualification. In your main event, Black Warrior retained his NWA lightweight title over Mr. Niablo, who was the subject of my, my, my opinion, this is the greatest tope I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it related to the Muerte 98. So there you go. So it's good, to, good to have some Black Warrior results uh, here on this week. Yes. IWRG at Arena Nakapan on January 17th. We have Zonic over Crazy Boy, Rocambale Jr. and Rio Saito of uh, Toriman over Rocarudo Diablo 1 and 2. Mercurio Punch Power and Starboy over Bruli, Fantasy, and Suicida Miki Segura. Brazil Cibernetico, Akam Dorado Jr., and the IWRG version of Mr. Niabla, which is Mr. Mexico, over Bombero Infernal, Dr. Cerebro, and Abrazo. And then uh, Los Oficiales, Guardia, Manacap, Oficial, and Vigilante over Mascara Sagrada, Mega, Super Mega, gotta be here because it's just Mega twice, and Super Parka. And then Tijuana. Dr. Alfonso Morales and Ovacion is not Rey Mysterio Jr. for no showing his main event against Sakosis on the January 15th Auditorio Tijuana show. He was replaced with Super Astro. Uh, the uh, lineup here Cyrus, not Don Callis, against Morphosis. Wouldn't that technically be Cyrus? Cyrus, I guess, yes. Uh, Gaito Tapado, Super Nino, and Enfermito. Over, and ha- over, they went against Enfermito and Halloweencito. Excuse me. Arandu, Thunderbird, and Venom Black went up against Olimpico, Shocker, and Super Astro. Angel Azteca, Miss Niebla, and Super Nieco went up against La Familia de Tijuana. Damian, Seis Seis Seis, Halloween, and Rey Mysterio Sr. And Insecosis went up against Super Astro in the main event. And probably Ray no showed this show because of something happened with WCW more often than not. So there you go. Probably working a house show. Yes. Weird to so have a Tijuana show from this period that we don't have results for, though. Especially with that kind of advertisement event, as much as it had happened. Mm-hmm. But no results. So, there you go. All right, we're back in America now. Let's go to Extreme Championship Wrestling, where a lot going, lot's going on. Terry Fulham was lost for the last several days this past week with Hepatitis A. He was actually feeling fatigued for a week before the pay-per-view. It really hit him right after the show ended, and his skin and eyes started turning a shade of yellow from the bile... And his liver counts were elevated to dangerous levels, which led to a lot of his internal organs being out of whack. He was hooked up to an IV for two days on antibiotics. He's doing a lot better now, but it'll take several weeks for a full recovery. Here's the thing, though. Funk was scheduled to wrestle Mankind for the WF title at the Raw that was taped in Beaumont on January 12th, but obviously had to cancel. Good God. What terrible timing. Ugh. So the idea was going to be what that Vince was making him wrestle Terry Funk, I guess. Yeah. Oh, what terrible timing! That'd have been an amazing moment. Yeah. Oh man, I completely forgot about that till I did the notes, and I just it made me feel bad that we didn't get that match. And right, and they hadn't given their thing closure since Mick had turned babyface either. No, but just just the, the symbolism of Mick defending the WWF title against Terry so Funk, f- right, 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 yeah, in Beaumont, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, terrible! It appears everything is smooth with Shane Douglas. He literally <laughs> was taught to. <laughs> he literally was taught to coming into the ECW Arena show after missing the show the previous night in Trenton, New Jersey. Given a new angle, they were basically turning babyface. Situation with Sabu is anything but smooth. 
Sabu and Paul Heyman were talking all weekend with Sabu, talking about an offer from WCW, and still being unhappy with how he was used on the pay-per-view. Sabu wanted the match on the pay-per-view to be a three-way dance. And there were problems over new programs discussed with him, which would include trading wins in programs of either Lance Storm and or Just Incredible. Oh, yes, 1999. This is the way to begin the year. Shane and Sabu are upset. A running theme throughout ECW 1999. That's for damn sure. Well, and Shane should be upset. Yes. He's owed a lot of money. Yes. ECW Arena, January 16th for... Well, I won't say what it is. Drew a turnaway crowd with four new bleachers set up. So the crowd was estimated at 1,700 fans, Bix. Uh, that the bullshit! Tor- well, the torch announced a 1350 sellout. So there you go. So it's public enemy supposed to be returning. Public And, the mu- and their music started the show. But Danny Doring and Roadkill came out instead. And the crowd chanted, you fuck sheep at them. Which led to Spike Dudley beating them in the opener in a handicap match. Then Chris Chatty beat Steve Carino. Auntie, Auntie, Auntie Faz del Norte and Supernova beat the full-blooded Italians. Well, excuse me. This is wrong. Okay. Well, it, okay. It started out as a singles match with Auntie Faz and Guido. Then turned into a tag match where Nova ran out and uh, Auntie Faz pinned Guido in the end. So there you go. Super Crazy beat Yoshio Tajiri in a show-stealing match that said it had been better than their pay-per-view bout. Yes, um, the torch report concurred with that. That crowd gave both men standing ovations at the beginning of the match for their ma- uh, their performance at the pay-per-view. Uh, torch report gave them three and a quarter stars. So there's that. Um, Tommy Dreamer won a three-way dance over on Lance Storm and Justin Credible. They teased the idea of putting Francine with Dreamer. They are dating in real life, Dave said. Uh, because, you know, um, Tammy Lynn bitch is out there with Lance. Um, Dreamer grabbed the mic before the match. He told Justin Credible to send his freak show to the back. He told Jasmine to go back and suck all the boys' dicks. <laughs> she got angry, but Dreamer told her he wasn't talking about her. He was talking about Jason. <laughs> Here's your line, Bix. Dreamer said he'd been ECW for five years and said he had yet to see a decent pair of tits. What? Francine okay. walked out. Uh, Francine walked out and said she would show Dreamer hers. What is Stormed happening? In, took her to the back. Stormed and took her to the back. This match got three and a half star rating. Three and a quarter star rating, excuse me. <laughs> Wow, I'm, I'm uh, so, I, I I remember that line now that you say it, but like what? <laughs> he just had Beulah. Uh, uh, Sabu and Rob Van Dam cut the tag titles, beating yes, Axel and he Rod just broke up with her in real life. Yes, beating Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney. A lot of the show was a stall for time. There's a reason for that, as they took an intermission, which they normally don't do. Did an angle where the Dudley said Public Enemy wasn't there, and they were leaving, and they added the match with John Cronus and Ulf Herman, and an angle where Wild Bill Wiles, because why? The debuting Sid missed his flight and didn't arrive at the airport until close to 11 p.m. Crowd was not happy with, with all this stuff going on. Uh, Tavs scheduled against Chris Candido, but Shane Douglas showed up. 
and hit Candido with a chair and took the title match himself. Douglas, with his new shorter hair to make him look the same as he did years ago when he threw that NBA title belt, and also so he didn't hear so eerily resemble Brian Pillman, cut a promo about the world title being the wrestling and hard work and not being a TNA show, which was actually in reference to his recent reign with Francine being the center of attention half the time. Hmm. For, or for a bunch of run-ins, in reference to when Raven held the title, although never used the name. The crowd was split, and the two had a very good match, ending with Taz pinned Douglas had to give him basically a half-Nelson German suplex to a table. Fans cheered both guys after the match and chanted, please don't go with Shane. Crowd knows. Shit's going on. Uh, Shane had tears in his eyes, which he did, and pointed his heart, left the ring. Two and a half stars going to the torch. So, I what? I forget. Has the actual story of, of Shane's issues been in the newsletters yet, though? Well, the fans know it. No, but the actual so. story of what he's owed and why. No, I guess not. Yeah, I feel like it would come up if it had. Yeah. So Sid finally arrived and destroyed Skull Von Crush in one minute with a choke slam over the top through a table and a power bomb and was over huge as expected. It was funny because a few years back when Mick Foley was leaving, some people brought up him going to Fantasyland, working with Undertaker, kind of knocking the Undertaker. And Foley said, if the Undertaker would ever come to the ECW arena, those same fans knocking him would be going crazy to see him live. And Dave guessed this proved him right. Crowd was chanting, fuck him up, Sid, fuck him up. One more time. And there's no that Sid's really over with this ECW arena crowd. <laughs> <sighs> Gotta love him. But... Okay, I'll say this, though. I usually agree with all the takes about this. Would the Sid run have gone the same way if he was not just booked as new 911, if he was actually working matches and stuff? Um, this was the perfect way of using Sid for them. Yes. Well, except for the so, Jeff Jones part. Well, yes. All right, so Joel Gardner's sign guy Dudley came out. Gartner said the Dudleys had left the building because they were disgusted public enemy and they had the guts to show up. Gartner said 1995 Russell was in the toilet. He said public enemy showed up, helped make ECW what it was. He said the only public enemy the crowd would see would be the outside where there would be five females lined up for him to eat at the travel lodge. Public enemy, public enemy's music played and the crowd popped, but Dudleys came out dressed up as public enemy. Bubba grabbed the mic and said public enemy wouldn't appear because they were worried Dudley said we were firing them and Vince McMahon wouldn't hire them. He proclaimed Public Enemy dead. But suddenly the real Public Enemy hit in the ring for a huge pop. They beat on the Dudleys, but Big Dick Dudley came to the ring, hit them from behind with a double clothesline. New Jack's music started, and he came to the ring carrying his trash can full of weapons. New Jack beat on the Dudleys with a sort of weapons and scared them off. The crowd chanted, welcome back at Public Enemy. Johnny Grunge grabbed the mic and told the crowd it was good to be home. He said, if you ripped open both of our chests, you'd find ECW stamped on our hearts. Called ECW the house, ECW ran the house the Public Enemy built. Dudleys reappeared at the top of the balcony. They did some verbal commentation with Paul Heyman as Public Enemy went to the crowd. Torch notes, overall, it's a fantastic show and the best ECW's put on a long time. They didn't announce the return date, but the fans of the ring were buzzing with the rumors that Living Dangerously might be held at the Philadelphia Civic Center. Good luck with that. Public Enemy coming back. You know, um, they've been gone for three years. They come back. They had had their runs in WCW. They, had, they haven't had the WF run yet, have they? No. That's in 99, right? So they had the run of WCW. What did you think about this? 
I'm guessing the way that Paul looked at it was in WCW where the, they were the bushwhackers were going to try to turn them back into the sheep herders. Which isn't, which, just to give a rough comparison, because even, it's not one-to-one, though, because Public Enemy did a lot of comedy in ECW. Oh, God, yeah. That last year, yes. But they turned into something different in WCW, too, character-wise, on top of just being exposed. I guess it was worth a shot. And he gave it a shot and cut bait when he realized it wasn't working. Yeah. Can recapture lining in the bottle, so to speak, and they've been and they're now three years older, especially Brock a Rock. Yeah. So at the at that ECW Arena show at seven fifteen p.m. before the show started, they turned they started turning fans away. Then at seven thirty, they started selling ten dollars tickets for standing room, but telling people there was no guarantee if you buy the ticket that you'd be able to see anything. So they had hey, they had a house that night. They had people there, Bix. It sounds it like it's as big of a packed crowd as you could put it in there, yes. Yes. I, I I question the idea that they suddenly put in all these new sets of bleachers in January 99, though. Yeah. Um. At this point, Sid is suspected to be used as a regular, at least on the big shows. Public Enemy will do some dates, including Detroit this week, and almost surely wrestling at Dudley's, but they won't be regulars at this point. Takabishinoku was offered ECW and could debut in the arena show, but Paul Heyman hadn't made necessary phone calls to Jim Ross to finalize things. He'd probably be putting programs with Crazy and Tajiri. Well, that's what happens. And it says here Christopher Daniels is supposed to get a tryout shortly. Hmm. He does. Do you remember what the story with that was, allegedly? Uh, vaguely. Unless, was this an Aaron O'Grady thing, or was this both of them? The whole thing about having a California attitude. Yeah. I think it was a Daniels thing. I think it may have been more of a Daniels thing that I guess if you're working your first shots with ECW, you were generally expected to help set up chairs and stuff. Yeah. And that he did not want to. And because I guess that was not a thing anywhere he had come up, either in the Midwest or in, in California. Because, like, he. Yeah. He's someone who you put him in ECW at this point with how he's pretty, I mean, not even pretty much. He's far and away the best talker of any, you know, relative unknown they could bring in, too, on top of his mm-hmm. work. And who knows? Yeah. Danny Doring got word during the arena show that his mother died. Took up a collection backstage. At least three performers donated more than $1,000 apiece for it. Well, that's nice, man. That, that, that has a suck, you know. Yeah, although I'm wondering who in ECW is making or has enough money that they're d- donating a thousand dollars a piece. Maybe Shane. I mean, if it's him, especially good for him with what he's Taz. doing. Taz. Yeah, Taz is making good money at this point, I believe. Yeah. I gotta assume it's like whoever the three highest paid guys are. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Trenton, New Jersey, January fifteenth for five hundred fans. Axel Rotten over Big Dick Dudley. Justin Incredible over Chris Chatty. Yoshiro Tajiri over Little Guido. Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley over John Cronus and Spike Dudley. Chris Candido over Steve Carino. Taz over Skull Von Crush for the ECW title. Sabu over the One Man Gang. Super Crazy over Antifaz del Norte. And Rob Van Dam retaining the TV title over Balls Mahoney. So that was the night for the arena show. 
Uh, looks and now looks like it might also return in May. Probably at this point they'll work a program between he and Sid. Well, that doesn't happen. Mike Austin basically replaces it. <laughs> yes. Um, Jerry Lynn's about to be back from his injuries perhaps early this week. Reckless Youth may also start as a regular over the next two weeks. Huh. Does, I forget, does he at least get a tryout? I think he does. Yeah, I'm not sure what the deal with him was. Yeah. But, anyway. Um... Tammy Lynn bitch Don Marie is scheduled for implants this week. Well, I guess that adds more uh, Dreamer's line, doesn't it? I wonder if that might actually be the reason he cut. He said that line. Possibly. All right, let's go to Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling. Blake DeSantis in Reading, Pennsylvania, on January 15th. The Soul Brothers over Mr. Ulala and Sweet Mr. E. Rick Silver and Joe Rules over Dave Patera and Scott Fury. Fantastic. Tommy Golden over Chris Krueger. Mike Quackenbush over Don Montoya. Christian over Julio Sanchez. Ace Darling over Lance Diamond. Armageddon over J.J. Johnson by disqualification. And then our main event, Gangrel over Draws. That's quite the show there, isn't it? Glad to see Dave Patera in action. Yes, I guess Joe rules. And teaming with uh, Rick Silver, one half of the big unit. Yeah. We have a double shot for Steel City Wrestling. Elizabeth, Pennsylvania on January 16th. We had Jimmy Cicero over Julio Sanchez. Cody Michaels over Shirley Doe. The Blue Meanie over Lou Marconi by disqualification. Joey Matthews won a baseball bat over Don Montoya. Vladimir Vampire over Big Neil, the real deal. Uh, uh, Chris, well, two things. One, that might be the best <laughs> indie matchup of names we've had in a long time. The other thing is, remember, it's not Vladimir Vampire. It's Vladimir Vampire. <laughs> Vampire, excuse me. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> Dennis Gregor retained the Steel City title, beating Christian York. And then Tom Brandy, that job over King Kong Bundy in your main event. Uh, that is, that's a main event out of a different promotion on here on Norm's show. Then we go to Weirton, West Virginia on January 17th. Julio Sanchez over Joey Matthews. The Dope Show, Lord Zoltan and Shirley Doe over Mark Mest and Vladimir Vampire. <laughs> Christian York over Don Montoya. King Combundi over Tom Brandy. He got his heat back in the, in the next night. Super Hentai over Vince Viper. Dennis Gregory over Jimmy Cicero. And the Blue Meanie over Lou Mark Beef Stew, Lou Marconi, Bix. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I forget, is there any gap between Steel City and IWC? Or are they basically the same promotion? Um, Basically the same, I guess. Because IWC is up and running by like a one, right? Yeah. ECWA. On the January 16th ECWA show, they had a clip of promoter Jim Kettner getting a bloodbath from Christian of the Brood, who was the group's champion. With Christian on the road from WF, they had Lance Diamond beating Reckless Youth to capture the title. Well, let's go to Wilmington, Delaware on January the 16th. Starla Saxton and Jeff Peterson over Malia Hasaka and Draconis. So Starla Saxton would be uh, Molly Holly. Yes. Chris Kruger and Commando with the Persian Prince and Kodiak Bear. Beat the Soul Brothers, Cowboy Blaze, and J.R. Ryder. Tommy Golden beat Sweet Mr. E. 
Stevie Richards over Scott Taylor. That's an interesting match. Mr. Ulala over Thunder. The Inferno Kid over Trigo Ramirez. Ace Darling and Lance Storm over Mark the Shark Schrader and Mike Quackenbush. And then Lance Diamond over Reckless Youth to win the Reckless. R- R- win the Reckless. Win the Bacon ECW <laughs> The Reckless Championship. AEW should have a championship. Why not? They have a bunch of championships. Just name it the Reckless Championship. Be like the hardcore title. <laughs> Mid Atlantic Championship. They, they Tom wrestling. Carter Heritage Championship. <laughs> Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling on January 16th in Cameron, North Carolina. We have shot Scott Champagne over Cyclone number one. Gary Royal in their mask. Strawberry over Angelica. Angelica Colts. would be uh, Lita. Amy. Yeah. Amy. Uh, Cole Steele over Cyclone number two, Brad Holton. The Border Patrol over Venom and Mad Max. Mike Youngblood over Shannon Moore. Craig Pittman went to double count out with Blade. And Matt and Jeff Hardy beat Drake Dawson and Brad Anderson by disqualification. Hmm. Well, it's in Cameron. I mean, that's, I know that's so it has to have the Hardys, pretty much. Yeah. ATCW. What? In Martinsburg. Yeah. What is that? Martinsburg, West Virginia. I don't know. In Martinsburg, West Virginia on January 15th, we have Christian York over Rob Noxious. Morgus the Maniac goes double count out with Hellbilly Otis. Nick Fury over DZ Gillespie. Kid America over Sean Nice. Friend of the show, Chad Austin over Joey Matthews. Dwayne Gill over Harley Lewis. Patch over Spine. And then our main event. Nikolai Volkov over the Iron Sheik. How about that? Sure. Ohio Valley Wrestling in Louisville, Kentucky at St. Teresa's Gym on January 12th. I, I still Chris can't o- get over Spine. <laughs> Chris Alexander over Rasputin. Scott Sandlin over Rod Steele by his qualification. David C. and Johnny Spade over Jason White and Nick Finsmore. Juan Hurtado over American Eagle. Damage and David C. over Cousin Otter and Jebediah Blackhawk by Countout. Handicap match, Lords of the Ring, Nick Dinsmore, Rob Conway over Guido Andretti. Ooh. Kenny Bolin and Vito Andretti. Ooh. No gimmicks needed. Flash flying and trailer park trash over the Suicide Blondes, Jason Lee, and Rip Rogers in your main event. We stay in Louisville, Kentucky, going to IWA Mid-South on January the 14th at the Total Eclipse of the Heart Teen Club in Louisville. We have GQ Masters III over Me Mitch Page. BDL retain the other way missed off Lightweight title over Phoenix. Chip Fairway over Bull Payne. Ox Harley over Bill Lewis. Corporal Robinson goes to double count out with Madman Pondo. Cash Flow won a Singapore K match over Rolling Hard. And then Suicide Kid be Ian Rotten to win the IWA Heavyweight Championship. So how about that? Yeah, IWA Mid-South, one of those promotions where there really is no distinction most of the time between who can compete for the light heavyweight and heavyweight titles. Like, the only people who can't compete for the light heavyweight title, it seems like people are who would be like egregious to have them compete for the light heavyweight title. Yeah. You know, I mean, Suicide Kid held both belts, Punk held both belts. I feel like there's a bunch I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah. All right, for whatever it's worth, there was an indie show that drew 600 fans on January 16th in Hackleburg, Alabama, which included Bob Armstrong. At the show, the ring announcer asked fans if they knew who the road dog and WF was, and there was a big pop. Then they asked if they knew his father was, and there wasn't a peep. Yikes. 
Burt Prentice. Let's go to Music City Wrestling. Burt Prentice was diagnosed with having a benign lung tumor after collapsing during a January 2nd Music City show. They did an angle afterwards to turn he and Colorado Kid back babyface next week where he announced his retirement. So on the 16th, they did an angle where Flash Flying and said nobody in the promotion could beat him and he leave next time he was pinned. And actually, in his next match, he was pinned by Reno Riggins. So the results of the 16th show Chad Hawk over Al Rose, Barnyard Briggs over Flash Flying by the Q, Ashley Hudson over Fisher Riviera, Chris Michaels over Shane Eaton, Reno Riggins over Flash Flanagan, and Colorado Kid over Smart Bart Sawyer. So, man, Burt had a benign lung tumor in 1999. Wow. Yeah. At least it was benign. Yeah. Man. Let's go to Memphis. Big news here. Pro Wrestling Torch has this. Jerry Lolo announced last week that he is considering running for mayor of Memphis. He told the Memphis Commercial Appeal that he was inspired by Jason Ventura's win in Minnesota. I'm not saying I'm definitely going to be a candidate, but I do think people would respond in a similar way, he said. I've seriously considered it. I would give it a lot more thought before I put my name on the ballot. He said his main asset would be that he's not a politician. Lawler, age 49, said his main platform would be to reduce crime, bring back neighborhood pride, and ease racial tensions. Jerry Lawler. (laughs) Okay, set aside for a second that is Jerry Lawler saying this. In the same press saying he's going to ease racial tensions, he's also saying his goals are to, quote-unquote, reduce crime and big, bring back neighborhood pride. Yes. Yeah, that, that'll help ease those racial tensions. Yes. Jerry Lawler. It's a good thing he didn't have any dogs or else they'd be going wild while he said all those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me. All right, uh, we continue. Uh, he said that uh, he said we'll talk over his idea with family members and business associates before making the decision. The election is October 7th. He said he'll make his decision about early April. And we should note, actually, because they're a wrestling show over the air, once he officially becomes a candidate, he's off Power Pro TV because of equal time laws. Yeah. The law store was second only to President Clinton's impeachment trial on January 15th news broadcast on WMC in Memphis. They showed a clip of Lawler Powell driving Jesse to Body Ventura. How about that? The TV station and newspaper both interviewed other potential candidates who chose their words carefully, but didn't seem to take Lawler as a serious threat. They should have. Lawler's been the subject of at least one big legal controversy when he was charged with statutory rape. He was never convicted, though. As any politician, the skeletons in one's closet can haunt a candidate, especially a candidate who's been in the public eye for years before running. Yeah? <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, hey, maybe the Memphis media should have, you know, pulled the police report from that whole thing and discovered that his in, pretty much his entire story of what happened was a lie. Hmm. Maybe it's you know, taken run- 25 years for someone to do that. And he's running for mayor of Memphis, you know, at this time. But that that never comes out. <sighs> Wrestling, brother. Yeah. All right, Power Pro Wrestling on TV on January 16th. The PA said the wrestling world was mourning the death of Paul Diamond. And then Diamond came out as Venom with a kendo stick. So there's his uh, new character there. They did a uh, remote from Jerry Lawler's house where he and Stacy were. Well, Lawler said he was staying at home with Stacy. They announced the January 29th date in Memphis at New Day's Day Theater where they have a troll man turned to crown the first champion, which include Coco Beware. 
Sean Stasiak claimed it was Bill Dundee who called the cops at a ride just as he was trying to get Stacy at the Lawler house last week. Huh, is that skit. Remember we did that on the show. Uh, Stasiak and Brian Chris were double teamed and beat up Dundee on the show. Stasiak said he was driving to Lawler's house and Lawler said they should sell it in the backyard. Ricky Morton's coming in to work here. Baldo beat Kid Wicked for the Young Guns title, which was an amazing size mismatch. As Baldo's six foot seven, four hundred pounds, and Wicked is five foot three, one seventy. Baldo, of course, being Matt Bloom. Aaron O'Grady returned from his shoulder injury but lost to Vic Grimes. And finally, in the Lawler backyard, Lawler attacked Sean Stasiak with a garbage can. Brian Christopher jumped out of the trunk of the car. They doubled up on him. Stasiak started a fire in the garbage can and tried to put it on Lawler's head. But just before they did it, Bill Dundee drove up, met both with a rake, and chased them away. And they ran to the car and drove away. <laughs> uh, Memphis Bix. Doesn't Bill live in Nashville? Uh, yes. Do you want to watch this video? Uh, yes. All right, I'm going to send you the link. I'm surprised you didn't look for this when you were doing the notes. Well, I was trying to decide when we did it in real time, whether it's going to watch or not. I mean, this one I feel like we have to, you know? Yeah, it sounds too entertaining not to. Yeah, and it doesn't sound too long either. So That's four minutes. I'll just tell you a look right here. I'm the kindly old judge. When I talk, nobody oh, so talks at all. Oh, commercial Judge Mills Lane. On NBC. Oh, here we go. A commercial Alice in Wonderland. All right. Get ball right here. Right no! What are you... There. Let's all the score once and for all. Look at you, Slade, right. Sean. I'm not... Stacey at the door. Sean's trying to get in. I'm opening the door. No! Okay. Here comes Lawler. Oh, my God. Sean is in his gear. How you liking it in my backyard now, huh? Come on. Get up. Oh my God. The truck open. There's Brian. Brian is just Stacy down. Brian's being up on Jerry while well, someone's going to get the trash. Pop it, Brian. Leave him alone. Just leave. Yeah. You want fire? What are you doing? Let's burn him. What? Yeah, he burnt you. Stop it, y'all. <laughs> yeah, he burnt you. Sean, stop it. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. I got him. Stop it. I know. 
Yeah, John's having a time here trying to get this stuff on fire. Yes, yeah, sure. Mick Foley at the Tokyo. Yeah. What if the leaves were wet? Oh, we got it going. Oh, Bill Dundee driving up in his Lincoln. <laughs> Hey, are you all right, man? Hey, yes, you crazy. Is she all right? The trunk is still open as they're riding out of there. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Wild. Well, thank goodness the superstar oh, yeah. was paying attention and arrived just in time, it looked like. Bill and uh, and Jerry, I think, standing by right now. Wait, Guys, paying attention if you're to there, let's, let's uh, go to you oh, for a comment. Oh, this is supposed to be there. live. Okay. Yeah. First of all, I want to thank Bill Dundee. If it hadn't been for you, Bill, it's no telling what those idiots would have done. Hey, you want to play with fire, Sean Stasiak? You want to try to stick my face in fire? Well, I'll tell you something. We'll do a little playing with fire, pal. The next time I see you, I'm making this promise right now. You or Brian Christopher. I don't care if it's tonight in Brooklyn, Arkansas. I don't care if it's down at Lady Luck Casino or right here in Memphis and New Daisy. I promise you this, Sean Stasiak. When I see you, I'm going to light you up like a Roman candle. I promise you. And, brother, when he tells you he's going to do something, it's going to happen. Christopher, you need to smarten that boy up. They've been trying to run us out of town for a long time, and we're still here tonight in Brooklyn. We'll see how bad you two are. Brooklyn, Arkansas, Bix. How about that? I think I've heard of that before. Somebody should have done that as a gimmick town. I'm from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Arkansas. <laughs> That's where they should have said that uh, FBI Tommy Rich was from. <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> One of them, yeah. Well, there's Philadelphia, Mississippi, too. So, hey. Yeah, do both of those. Yeah. So there you go, Memphis. There was a show on January 16th in Eureka, Eureka, California, for Kirk White's Big Time Wrestling, which drew 1,250 fans. With Honky Talk Man as the only major name on the show, his first wrestling show in that city in nearly 21 years. Results of the show saw The Punisher over El Gringo, Lil Haystacks over Jason Styles, Shane Cody over Johnny Starr by disqualification, Steve Rizzono over Crazy Kyle, Honky Tonk Man over Sonny Stone, and Kyle won about a royal. And uh, what's his face? Uh, Shane Cody is Woody Farmer's son. Yes. All Pro Wrestling, Roland Alexander. They had a show in San Jose on the 15th called A Walk with an Angel, which drew 350 fans as Frank Murdoch won a Royal Rumble. Chicano Flame 2 over Max Justice by DQ. Bad Blood over Boyce Legrand. Tony Jones and Chris Ward and Vinny Valentino over Jason Clay, Rick Turner, and Nathaniel Sweet. Michael Modest over Christopher Daniels and Dick Grimes over Frank Murdoch in your main event. Who's Vinny Valentino here? It's not Vinny Valentino from the 80s, I can tell you and that. I don't think that's from Massaro <laughs> either. No. There wasn't a Vinny Valentino back then, though, in, in that time period working in the Indies. Did he use the other Vinny Valentino's entrance music? Uh, No. All right, the any episode of Biography on the Life of Andre the Giant aired on uh, January 13th. Dave's VCR malfunctioned, so he didn't get to see it. But he got very different opinions on the show, but reports on the show were largely very positive. Apparently, the stuff in his wrestling career was sketchy, but the stuff in his early life was very interesting and largely new material, such as where he grew up, interviews with friends growing up, and his brother. And they had told the tall tales of drinking, how he was discovered by Edouard Carpentier, Apparently in real life, Andre hated the Carpentier stories because they weren't true, and the Frank Voila stories were. 
although Vala's name was never mentioned in the piece. Andre and Vala didn't speak for the last decade or so of his life because they were on opposite sides of a wrestling promotional war in Montreal. They did interview Andre's brother, Jacques, in France. He had a lot of foes of him growing up, and a lot with Frenchie Bernard, who ran his ranch, and WFRF Tim White, who was said to be his best friend at the end, who told real good stories. They told the stories about the Hogan match at WrestleMania three with Vince McMahon trying to do the same storyline as the A&E special last April, and apparently not so slowly trying to get his digs in at Bret Hart by making an issue of Andre doing the right thing for business that made him. In the same tone, he used to not Bret on Raw. Of course, I mentioned Andre, knowing his career was winding down, already done jobs in Mexico for Kinect and in Japan for Anoki before the Hogan match. He was portrayed as a friendly, heavy drinker who knew at a young age he wasn't going to live very long. And he kind of hit that bitterness at the end when his body started to turn on him. According to Kathy Gordon at A&E, the ratings were through the roof for the show. Dave believes the number was 2.5, which for that network in the show is a huge success. While she categorized the Jerry Jesse Ventura episode as better than average, and the Bret Hart Wrestling with Shadows movie doing a 2.2 as quite well. Official, though, this is where we flash forward to the next week, it did a 2.7 rating, not 2.5. Replay did a 2.0. So the Combined Audience is one of the highest rated shows ever on the network. Not bad. And I do believe this is the beginning of the whole, like, I didn't know if Andre would do the honors, brother, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the first time that's been mentioned, yes. Oh, what a bunch of nonsense. It's so stupid. Like, I remember seeing someone bring up once and then never seeing anyone else bring it up. You have this whole mythology of Andre as this <laughs> gentle giant and all this. And, you know, and this nice guy. And you always insert into it this whole thing of Hogan being terrified that Andre's going to shoot on him. <laughs> it's Hogan. I know. You know. So, good lord. But there I mean, we go. One of the reasons I think that it has similarities to the, to the uh, Unreal Story of Professional Wrestling thing, too, is the same people produced it. Yes. Similar look. Also, I believe this is the first real appearance of Stephanie McMahon on television. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Because she's a talking head in it. Yeah, well, Andre was her friend. This is the only, uh, I haven't watched this in a long time, this is the only grounded version of that I've ever seen, though. Yeah, but Andre was her friend. I mean, Andre Dick. never lived in Connecticut, though, right? No, he lived in North Carolina. It's not like Hogan or Savage. So, yeah. I mean, it's whatever, she was a kid. All right, let's close that with the World Wrestling Federation. The career as an active wrestler, Shawn Michaels, appears to have largely ended, certainly as uh, any kind of regular in-ring performer. Stemming from the back injury suffered in the 1998 Royal Rumble. Michaels underwent back, major back surgery on January 12th in San Antonio, after which his doctor was quoted in a local newspaper as well as gave the private opinion to Michaels and the WWF that the injuries to one of his discs in his back were more severe than originally believed, and his wrestling days were over. Michael said large been telling friends, even before undergoing the operation, that he felt he maybe had five matches left in him. The surgery, which lasted in excess of four hours, wound up with the doctors discovering one of the discs in Michael's back was largely destroyed. Believed to be from the bump, very early in the casket match against Undertaker on January 18, 1998 in San Jose, California. Michael took the bump over the top rope, landed on the casket in a very precarious position, with half the back landing on the casket and the other half having an uneven fall. Very similar to the bump in Japan in the career of Ravishing Rick Rude. Michaels, 33, came back, obviously in tremendous pain, for one final match. Loses the title to Steve Austin at WrestleMania on March 29, 1998. 
in Boston in the match with Mike Tyson as the referee. Michaels was advised after the show to undergo back surgery, but wanted to avoid a knife and hoped that if he rested the back, he would recover well enough to at some point return to the ring. Despite rumors to the contrary, though, have never locked any booking in booking any angles regarding Michaels due to the fact that it was never clear there was any time to for his return. Although the company officials had hoped that he would be able to wrestle at this year's WrestleMania. Michaels, who was on a $15,000 per week guaranteed deal with several years remaining after sitting out much of the year, was finally brought back to television. First as a television color commentator, a role that he wasn't good at, and eventually as a commissioner. After just a few weeks as commissioner, with a quick heel turn on the first night in, he got a surgery date and was abruptly turned back babyface, even though those terms are sometimes archaic in the current business. Feuding with Vince McMahon, leading to the television attack of the storyline explanation for the surgery and his absence. When the back injury nearly one year later still made everyday living a pain living pain made everyday living painful, Michaels followed to the doctors and opted for the surgery. After surgery, Michaels had several conversations with WF officials, giving the impression he returned to television when he made enough of a recovery, but was doubtful about ever returning to the ring. Dr. Vasquez, who performed the surgery, said that after fusing two discs in his back, that the pressure on the remaining discs would be too stressful for them to hold up under the pounding of pro wrestling bumps. There are those in the WWF who have not closed the book on Sean's active career, hoping they could at least talk him into doing a few careful matches after his recovery, signing that wrestlers like Hulk Hogan, and in earlier years, past their prime local legends like Dick the Bruise were able to remain huge draws doing various safe matches without taking bumps that didn't really have much of an injury risk. Michaels, who before the surgery had talked publicly about his career probably being largely over, but hoping to come back for one last retirement match, gave a negative reaction to those kind of ideas because he wouldn't be able to perform up to the standards of his reputation as one of the top performers in the history of the business. The have kept his character alive after the surgery in the Bayface Commissioner role, talking about him booking a Kane versus Rock match as the main event of the January 18th Raw show against the Witches of Vince McMahon. He's also planning on opening up a wrestling school in San Antonio with mentor Jose Lothario in the spring. Even before the surgery revealed more damage to his back than initially believed, Michaels expected his career was over. In an interview with the San Antonio Express one week before the surgery, he said about returning, it's a matter of looking at the risk versus rewards ratio, and it's time to say, that's a wrap. I've accomplished many things in the ring, including reaching the top to the reaching the top as the world champion. If I hadn't won the title, then perhaps I'd still be trying to get back in the ring one way or another. But you have to start thinking about your personal life. And you know, at this time period, it looked like that Shawn Michaels was done with this type of serious back surgery, and he was for three years. Well, he does do the uh, Paul Diamond match. Yeah, but. <laughs> where also he's being very careful not to take bombs for most of it. That's what uh, that's not yeah that's why I really just don't count that. <laughs> because the Triple H is match is just a straight up Shawn Michaels match, is your point. Well, it's just a you know, spot fest brawl. <laughs> you know? I mean the guy's first match back, he's just going out to doing all kinds of wild and crazy shit. But at that point he thought it was one match, too. Yeah, that's why he did it. Yeah. Did it like that. And then he was like, oh, I kind of feel okay. Yeah. Um, I know some people still get skeptical about this for some reason. But you look at how careful he was in the Paul Diamond match. You look at stuff like Danielson talking about how Sean's wife... Was it his wife or his mom? One or the other. 
would yell at him if he would take bumps during the drills at the school. You know, you look at how he is in the Austin match at Mania the prior year. And sorry, he is not that good an actor. His back was fucked. Yeah. And, I mean, the other thing, too, is probably one of the reasons that he also, besides just being messed up with his addictions and stuff in general, that he wasn't sure he could go back in the ring, he's probably, you know, I know he, I feel like he mainly talks about somas. I'm assuming he probably also took painkillers to some degree. He's probably also taking enough painkillers that it's making the pain worse, because that can happen if you take too many. So, like, I think it's just a matter of he was a mess, and once he got his shit together, he realized, oh, I actually feel okay. I can get back to wrestle. Yeah. I think it's that simple. Yeah. But being out, you know, being out for that long, I mean, his body got the got a lot of rest it needed. That yeah, because Shawn Michaels, I mean, Shawn Michaels, I mean, love him, hate him, whatever. But Shawn Michaels definitely, you know, worked. He worked the house shows. He worked. He worked the TVs. I mean, he worked his ass off. Yes. So, yeah, I mean. And he'd been doing it for for at this point in time, you know, when he got hurt, it was uh fourteen, basically fourteen years. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting to look at this in hindsight and see what happened after, you know, how everything played out later on, you know, yeah. and, and when we all we all thought Sean was done, you know, so but he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, also, uh, just as far as something else mentioned here. I don't think Jose Lothario ends up being involved in the school, right? It's, I mean, if he is, it's very little. But it's, it's Sean and Rudy, Rudy yeah. Boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, other health issues in WF, Jim Ross is recovering to an extent from Bell's palsy and so far announcing the Royal Rumble for the Mankind Rock I Quit match. But there's no way of knowing if that's even possible. It's touch and go one night. Ross will be back at the mic at the Rumble. It's probably a decision that won't be made until the day of the show, depending upon how much his condition has improved. And he's there, but he's producing Michael Cole. Yes. As you can see in Beyond the Mat. Yes. So, okay, I am. I want to make clear, I'm not saying this in like a Vince McMahon was right to pull him off TV way. I want to make that very clear. But as becomes clear when we see him back on TV, you know, which I'm going to check now when exactly that is, this attack was much worse than the first one. Oh, God. Yes, absolutely. Much the first worse. one, the first one, you notice something's different. Like you can tell he's wearing the glasses for a reason and stuff. Yeah, but this one is the one that really starts, you know, him going to where he's at now. So yes, I mean when he okay. So for some reason, wait, is that li- okay? History of WWE for some reason. Has no mention. Wait, or is that later? When is when was the when is the thing where Doc comes out and gives Bart the backdrop driver? Hmm. Oh no, it was before Mania. Yeah, it was because it was it was talking about Brawl for all. I remember because the whole thing is he can barely pronounce the letter B. And while he's yeah, it was Bart on the Mar- Mar- Bean and Brawl for all. It was on the March twenty March twenty ninth for all. 
Okay, because when I searched Jim Ross within 99, the first result was WrestleMania. It was the March 29th Raw. Was uh, Doc against Harper? Oh, that's Hall. right. He wasn't back full time yet. He had done the he had done Mania the night before, but just the main event. That's right. Yeah. He doesn't come back full time right away. Okay, that's what I couldn't remember. So yeah, even though he did the main event okay the night before, you could tell something was off. But um, it's I don't know if he was. I don't think he was trying to overemphasize it. But the next night, you can really tell there's something off. Yeah. Um, and so you, like, and then, like, sometimes I kind of wish he talked about it more for his sake, because it doesn't seem like he's uncomfortable with talking about it, because, I'll put it this way, until he outright said, started saying to people on Twitter, who, like, would comment on pictures about of him saying how grumpy he looked, and, and he would start saying, I have facial paralysis. I don't think anyone realized that it had gotten to the point where he physically couldn't smile. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think because he can be grumpy, too, I think people just assumed he was being kind of miserable because they knew he had, even if they knew that he had Bell's palsy, I mean, that's a lot more advanced than I think the vast majority of fans thought it was. But that's not until, when is the third attack? I can never remember. Wasn't it after, um, was it after Jan's death? I feel like there was one before Jan's death. I think there was, I, I think there was one after Jan's death. Well, I mean, given the stress component, you would think yeah. so, potentially. Because remember, what, what happens when he has that attack, that second attack during Capital Carnage in December? He gets word over the headset that his mom has died. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Hard times for, for JR in those years. Yeah. Alright, let's go to Raw. Live from Houston on January 11th. Another Raw from Houston. From the Summit. <laughs> Four years later. <laughs> from the Summit. Well, the Compact Center at this point, but yeah. Yes. Before set up, 12585 paying 284564 A little oh, bit better than 1995. <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> All right, so the show opened up with DX introducing the new champion, Mankind. Well, let's go to that, shall we? And uh, that ain't the only thing new about Mankind, being the champion. So let's go to the clip. All right, I'm actually making sure I skip ahead because I... Okay, there we go. I wanted to make sure I queued it up for uh, Road Dog as I make sure to share the screen with you, too. Brian Gerard James. Yes. Oh, surprise tonight! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D-Generation X and the World Wrestling Federation proudly brings to you, it's WWF. No, no, no. Heavyweight champion of the world, Mankind! Debut of this music that I'm noticing here 
the the version we're familiar with is sped up a little bit. Yeah, and the crowd don't know what to think about this music yet, but here it comes. Yeah. That's funny in hindsight. Unbelievable! I thought sitting here with Jim Ross was bad. Sitting here with you is even worse, Michael Cole, but this has to be the most embarrassing moment ever in the history of Raw. Mankind is the WWF champion! What a celebration! If you're not down with mankind, okay. we got one word for you. Sokka! Oh, okay. Sokka! Sokka. This is proof positive that anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Mankind last week won the WWF chip. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, there you go. Look at Mr. McMahon. I guarantee you he is not happy about this. And if you think he's going to let this celebration go on very long, you got another thing coming. Okay, we're not playing the promo because it's like 20 minutes long. All right, so some key lines from the promo, though. Yes. Um, he says, Mankind says, about time he got some new entrance music. I mean, he just got <laughs> a new entrance music like a month ago, but... Pointing out that the Titantron video showed him only getting his ass kicked, which is the story of his life. Called him last week the greatest moment of his 15-year career. He said for 10 years or so, once a year, he'd called WF and offer his wrestling services but never turned his phone calls. To which Lawler said, can you blame Mr. McMahon? <laughs> Mankind said the word got out that he was, didn't look a star. He thanked Jim Ross for keep keeping the Vince McMahon to hire him. He said he wanted Ross to get better soon so he can call a Mankind title defense. He thanks Steve Austin for his help to offset the interference of the corporation. And he had one dream left, and that's the headline, the greatest event of all in wrestling, WrestleMania. He won the Russell Austin main event. Tore, they tear the house down at that main event. Then came The Rock with Shane and Vince. And uh, they talked shit on Mankind for a while. This went on and on and on and on and on. Um, they finally agreed to an I quit match with no stopping for blood at the Royal Rumble. Mankind told people he's expecting this to be a match of a lifetime, which sounds both good and also sounds pretty scary. Because the last time he tried that, it was a memorable match, and he could have easily ended up main in the process, which may sound entertaining to some, but it shouldn't. They pretty well guaranteed a bloodbath. Boy, little does everybody know how memorable this match would be. <laughs> I forget. Have we covered the Rumble on here? Uh, let me make sure because I don't. I think we have. I'm not right, sure. Let's see. Uh, I'm opening the list up here. All right. So, because that's the week after this week. Uh, no. Okay. We did the week after the Rumble. Okay. Because I didn't want to get too in-depth or anything. Um, yeah, we have not done that yet. So where was I going with this? Um, a few things. It's actually a hell of a match before things get weird and overly punishing and depressing. 
you know, it's a much better, like, more intense brawl than their other matches. But even without the chair shots, that bump he takes from, like, the lower bowl into the fake electrical equipment is honestly, and it doesn't get thought of that way because everything else in the match, one of the scariest bumps he took in his whole career. And this all Foley, though, you know, I mean... Yeah. This is what it's just full. I mean, and the and the reason one of the main reasons why this match is so memorable is not just the match stuff, but the the way it was depicted in Beyond the Mat. Yes, which took well, it to another level. Well, and that's the other thing too. The original idea for the finish was that the corporation comes out and threatens Colette and the kids, and that's what would be able to get Mick Foley to quit. And his family didn't go, want to go along with it, but that's why they were already. I mean, people say that's why they were at ringside, but, I mean, Mick Foley's are, you know, maybe there was less in that era, but, like, you know, they're in what would be the friends and family section now anyway, you know? But, so, I mean, who's to say that's the only reason they would be at ringside, but I don't know. And then I saw someone point out the other day, uh, actually, it's like two weeks later that they used that finish anyway for the China turn. Or, well, yeah. well no, China turned already. Wait a second. Yeah, China's winning the corporate rumble. What am I talking about? So they used the, they used a similar finish in the time frame because whenever it was the China turned, it was to get it was the corporation menacing China to get Triple H to quit. Yeah. So they used the same finish in the general time frame, but yeah, that was prescient from Dave here. Well, he's probably heard that from Foley. Well, you know. All right. Um. Next, we get a lock, uh, locker room skit in the locker room um, where a badass really going to ask Rodal to be sure he concentrates on their match and doesn't get distracted by Debra. Dalto, badass, he, he's the one that needs to heed his own advice, which leads to Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, beating New Age Outlaws, become new top contenders to the uh, tag titles. Debra opened her blouse, but Billy told her to suck it. China was intrigued. Billy got in the middle between them. Rodol was distracted and wound up pinned by Owen at 434. Oh, wait a second. I'm an idiot. The corporate rumble is is DX members, too. I forgot it's not just corporation members. So she hasn't turned yet. That's what it was. Rodol said in his pre-match interview that he was the Robert Fuller of the 90s. <laughs> well, keep reading. You really, don't, you really don't want to know what that means, but it is a dick joke. <laughs> well, and then a couple of years later... <laughs> Robert Gibson is working, what was it, Russell Birmingham or Kane Towson Smackdown or one of those is uh, Robert Fuller Jr. And we can probably guess the reason. I do not remember him saying this. Me neither. Considering <laughs> the guy was just in the company <laughs> in the year earlier. Okay, you know what? Let me, if it's the pre-match yeah. promo, let's see if I can. That's Tennessee Lee. Yeah. Okay, let me, let's, let's pull this up then. Yeah. Because I'm curious I'm to how the announcers react to no, Let's oh, wait. pull this out. Oh, wait, there he is right at the beginning. Okay, hold on. Yeah. I didn't need to skip ahead. Oh, you didn't know? You asked for the call, somebody! Pause. Yes. His shirt <laughs> says, look, Mom, no curse. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Fantastic. The Armstrong Curse. This is the Armstrong Curse era in WCW. Yeah. Oh, no, I think it's past the Armstrong Curse at this point because they've already, they've already done the match or two where they come out as the James brothers 
and win, and Zabisco says the Armstrong curse must be over. <laughs> Oh, he's B.A. Billy Gunn at this point, or is he only B.A. because it's the first hour? What's going on here? Yeah, he's B.A. because first hour. You gotta love it. He was only badass after 10 o'clock? Yes. <laughs> About this lovely lady, Deborah. No, we got nothing to worry about. Right. I'm worried about the cheers in. Deborah. Right. Because I know I know that you get a little distracted sometimes, but that's not... Me? Yeah! I don't know. I, I'm not the one that wears spandex shorts that calls myself Mr. Ass. I'm the Robert Fuller of the 90s. I don't think she'll be looking at me. Yeah, but I... <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, but I'm trying to get the context. He's saying, I'm not the one who wears spandex and calls himself Mr. Ass. I'm the he Robert Fuller. He can't Fuller. wear spandex. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, took me a second. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. What a line. Also, as always with shows from this era, I'd love to know what the reason is, if this is bad early digital or whatever. The picture quality on Attitude Era stuff is so much worse on the network than stuff that comes before it. It's weird. It's the way it's shot, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's don't the way that I, what they use to shoot. I can't think it's just the lighting. It's got to be something else, too. But it, it's weird anyway. to have the... You know, the early Raws upconvert so great to where they almost look HD, and this looks like a bad rip that you might have downloaded 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't know. Alright, next, Dwayne Gill as Gilberg, or a man called Gilberg, as Michael Cole said, uh, doing his Goldberg spoof, lost to Luna in 62 seconds when he couldn't hold the jackhammer, and she fell on him and then splashed him. He missed his spear, couldn't do the jackhammer. Michael said it was showed that Gilbert only had one move. Yuck, yuck, yuck. People were knocking that NBC special about planted signs. It was clear for this one they planted a lot of Gilbert signs in the crowd and as well and it well as piped phony phony chance. But the pipe phony chance fun, was yeah. <laughs> although they were making fun of that, how the audience was chanting but nobody's lips were moving. It's kinda of funny and probably equally classless to what WCW did the week before, but it's a classless business. The odds that this will become a regular segment it'll get over to the live audience at every spot. But it wind up making Goldberg a bigger star than ever, even if they don't smarten up and cut it off quickly. Terry Polk at the ring after Luna. That's where we start getting that going here. As, uh, yes. Um, line, yes. Line, line of the match, line of that whole situation, was uh, Lawler referred to security dragged the girl out of the ring. Wade noted, hey, Jerry, she looked older than 17. Because he called her a girl? I guess. Michael Cole announced that Shawn Michaels will be having surgery the next day. So there's that. All right, next we get Dennis Knight. Well, no, Dennis we Knight have... Came wait, to the, wait, well, oh, wait, there's a Dennis Knight skit here? Okay. Let me continue. Dennis Knight came to the announcer's table and yelled at them that the one was there and it would be beautiful. Farouk and Bradshaw forced him to the back. Next, we get Val Venus. He said he was in the home of the Houston Rockets. And if the ladies wrapped their legs around his rocket, he'd blast them in the orbit. 
Val then gyrated in front of a woman. Ken Shamrock ran out the ringside and attacked Val. Shamrock yelled at him to not mess with his sister. Ah, Ryan Shamrock. Ken doesn't actually have a sister, Way noted. Um, Dave said, work a fiction sister. <laughs> Billy Gunn, he said Billy Gunn pulled his pants down and bent over showing his panties and he got beat up. Then Shamrock yelled at his sister. Shamrock just had elbow surgery five days earlier, and Dave was surprised he did it as much as he did. Thoughts? They name her Ryan after Ken's son, and then he starts dating Alicia in real life and leaves his wife for her. Yes. The woman who had just played his sister, who they named after his son. Uh, Shamrock hugged his sister at ringside and said those other wrestlers have no class. Oh, well, he's right, but... um. <laughs> I did pull up the let's because we're playing the other thing later and it's quick. I did pull up the Dennis Knight thing, which took a second because there was no chapter. What are you talking about? And this is coming out of a break to this, to be clear. If you've been where I Dennis, what is where I listen, we're Dennis, on the air. What are you talking about? No, listen, it's time tonight. He's here. He's here. Simple down to like this. We're through nine. No practice. He's going to space. It doesn't matter. Tonight, listen. You can't land space. What are you going to land on? A fraction? Three quarters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dennis, happen. who is he? Oh, him. Him. The one. He's here. Michael Cole, he's here. Listen to me. It's going to be beautiful. It's a little bit scary. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, King! The acolytes, they're they! Well, who the hell is he? I don't know, but I just heard uh, one of them tell Dennis Knight, come with us, he's waiting. Dennis Knight was babbling on. Last time we saw him, he was hanging in some dungeon somewhere. What was he, did you understand one word he was he saying? Was, the only thing I understood was he. He, he. He's here tonight. Where are they taking And where are they going? Who's he? So yes, uh, the Acolytes had kidnapped him <laughs> the previous week and taken him to a dungeon, which my favorite part of all this, and it's the most Russo-y storytelling. He had been off TV for months, ever since they stopped using Southern Justice as an act. Well, after Mark Canterbury yeah. got hurt, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot he got hurt again. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, I apologize if that sounded sarcastic. It wasn't supposed to. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, right. But he's off TV for months. He comes back the previous week. Actually, was it the previous week or was it two weeks earlier? Because I don't remember it being part of the Foley title in episode. But he just comes back. Who knows when? They show him in the back and talking with X-Pac and call him X-Pac's. I guess. Or do we go with Pac or Pac? I don't care anymore. Um, calling him his good friend, Dennis Knight. The last time Dennis Knight was on TV, he was feuding with. Waltman. Yes. Vince Russo, everybody. <laughs> so, anyway, speaking of, X-Pop beat Al Snow with the X-Factor to keep the European title in 254 when Gold does hit Snow with head and then ran off with head again. Uh, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Painted, what he where painted, is this paused on before we went to the – where he was queuing it up for the next thing? <laughs> Well, he I was getting to the torch part. He painted head with, with gold dust like makeup. Yes, that was cute. All right, so man, uh, Vince and the Stooges chewed out Kane for his title match, saying he better win the bout, which led to Kane beating Mankind by DQ in the title match when Kane used a tombstone. 
Rot ran in, attacked Kane and Mankind with numerous chair shots. Even though Kane and Rock are on the same team, Rot didn't want Kane to get the title since he had a shot coming up. Also did a run in and wound up giving stunners above Kane and Mankind. So there's a. Uh, there's that, and uh, this uh, this is when the ratings start picking up, because as we we started off with a 5.4 in the first quarter, second quarter 5.8, 5.7 for the uh, Luna Gilbert quarter, dipped to a five, and the, and the Dennis Knight quarter, and then uh, this quarter brought it back up to 5.9, so they gained almost a full ratings point in this quarter. Yes, and if anyone's wondering, also why. Chris has the quarter hour so handy on this episode. It's because he's making sure to look at the Torch TV reviews and at that point uh, for the Monday night shows, Wade clearly sectioned off each quarter and showed what the quarter hour rating was in his review. And Wade has stuff in here that Dave doesn't have because Wade's very thorough. Wade's no, Dave's not. So, yes. I understand. Yes. All right. Um, so there's that. All right. So after that, uh, Wade, no, the crowd pop was huge. Mankind gave Austin a chair. Austin gave Mankind a stunner as well, and blah, blah, blah. Then Kane. Rock, you know, the Vince backstage, he wasn't going to let that big red retard Kane win the title. He said he was going to be determined to make Mankind say, I quit the Rumble. Next, whatever match this is. Triple H beat Edge with a pedigree in two minutes and 54 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> the brood attacked and DX ran in. Lights went out when they went on. The road dog was covered in blood. And then when the lights come back on, the Undertaker comes out. He is the one. So this is the new Undertaker stuff, right? What do you mean? Has he started? Has he started doing this gimmick yet? I can't remember my. I time think he's pick, been so on TV know. since uh, very alive, the very live match the month before. So this is the return. I think I so. Let's see. Oh, so I don't remember. All this stuff runs together. I can remember 80s TV. I can remember what happens week to week on 80s television. But when you get in this era right here, it's a blur. Bro. So, Bro. So, yeah, that's part of it. So Undertaker comes out with an elaborate costume under black and blue lighting. He mouthed words in a pre-recorded speech played over the PA system. He cut his wrist and poured his blood over Dennis Knight, who was lying on a smoking table. Knight began bleeding from the mouth. Undertaker then sliced his symbol in the knight's chest using a knife. The Undertaker's symbol on the stage and exploded into flames. All right, let's watch this, shall we? <laughs> I almost thought you were going to say, let's watch this shit, shall we? Well, that's kind of what it is. Reminds me. Mascara Chicaradas coming out? King, what? CRZ used to say in his recaps in this era, I think it was him. When you start hearing Gregorian chants over the PA on Raw, you know that something that sucks is about to happen. <laughs> I thought Mascara Sagrada was about to come out. Oh, what's that? What is that song that he uses with the Gregorian Enigma? Chant? Okay, it's a, the Enigma song. Uh oh! I think this is the first time they ever do the Gregorian chant. We've chants, seen that right? before. That is the. This is the first. They're the acolytes. That's Dennis Knight. Dennis Knight flanked by the Acolytes. I don't like this. Druids. King, I don't know what to make of this. 
Undertaker still has the baby face with the kid. King, is that? Yeah. I don't know. The crowd's cheering for him. Well, there. He had been a heel for it. That looks like what? The Undertaker. Is that the Is that the Undertaker? And that, that was Paul Bearer bowing down in front of him. This is the beginning of the Amish The lights are there. Is, is, is this? Yeah. Like the looks of this. Me down in a grave as if it would be my final resting place, <laughs> filling it with the earth's rotting soil. They tried to destroy me. Corners galore. 1999. Wishing I would just go away. But what is it? Yes, I have one too. What have they really done? And the fans are being assholes because they are shooting those things right in his eye. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I've had that happen to me once. It was not fun. What did, did anyone in real life actually use these as pointers, or did they just use them to fuck with people? There was a usage for them, but man, it was oh, to fuck with people. I yes. mean, I mean, day to day life of the <laughs> average person, not someone who was teaching a lecture no. and pointing at something that was on an overhead projector. No, I mean, there, I mean, really, the people that bought these, they were just to fuck with people. I would do it too. I, I was, I was, hey, I was nineteen at this time. <laughs> yeah. Also, note that the uh, promo was not playing over the PA at first, and I want to know also why. Why did they go with him lip syncing yeah. a pre-recorded promo too? So yeah, this is not good. Regarding the that. simple not minds good, of right. mortal men, they've sent me back to the place that is my origin. Destroy me. The more they try, the more powerful I've become. And now, I've risen from my earthy grave. And now I will slay the ones I once saved. The reckoning is upon us. The day that the Ministry of Darkness seizes the land. Destroys all that you hold dear. Make playthings of your heroes and devour your innocence. The plague of darkness is coming, an all-encompassing evil for which there is no escape, no mercy, no hope. It's called the future. And in the future, I will look down upon thee, and I will decide whether you're an agent of darkness or are you just mere kindling for my fires? Okay, here's the thing. Especially with the way they are lighting and shooting this. Where most of the time you can barely see his face anyway. What is the point of having him try to lip-sync this? What is the point of even the pretense that he is saying this live? And not that it is a no pre-recorded idea. thing that plays while he sits there. Why can't it I just be no a pre-recorded idea. thing that plays there ominously while he sits there silently? I feel I like that no would be a idea. lot more effective. It's Venture said. The Kevin power Dunn. of darkness shall be offered only to a chosen few. And those that resist the temptations of my ministry. Pain becomes synonymous with punishment. Embrace the darkness and relish in the unearthly delights that pain has to offer. Resist, and there are... <laughs> Did you hear that? 
It's Paul Bearer laughing, yes. Oh, that was Paul Bearer? I thought it was a fan. Okay. No, that's Paul Bearer. Yeah. Okay, that was random, though, that that was when he chose to laugh, because also, uh, in the recording, Undertaker messed up one of his lines at the moment yeah. Paul Bearer laughed. So I wonder if that was Bear. I wonder if that's Bill Moody popping, because he said unearthly delights. Not It clearly supposed to be unearthly. Maybe. Amidst to the torment you subject yourself to. They're shining a light on him, too. It will tear your soul apart. You mean laser pointer? So yeah. let my servants be few and secret. Oh no, he's he's doing the They shall show. rule the many and the known. For I am the weaver of men, the chaser of souls, the weaver of nightmares. I am the heart of darkness. I am now and ever will be the purity of evil. The hell you were threatened with as a child is no longer an option. It is a reality. A living, breathing reality. And you all are right in the middle of it. Yes, hell has relocated to Earth. this much the robe and the facial hair change and everything was a good way to refresh his look to tilt him more towards being a heel hope this is not some sort of sacrifice oh my Okay, so they just had no no trust in him being able to deliver that kind of dialogue live, I guess. I guess, but because he's Lord. he's mic'd up now that he's doing the the, the Latin. It, yeah, but it, they they were laying in that, just like they were with the pre-tape. Thing. Lord, Kevin Dunn. What's going on here, buddy? No. Taking the knife from Paul Bear. He's cutting his own hand or pretending to. Or his wrist, excuse me. No, what is he doing? They're shooting in an angle where you can't really see his wrist oh, that well. My. Okay, now you can now that the oh quote unquote gosh. blood is pouring out. Is going into a metal goblet of sorts. What? What are we experiencing? From this moment, <laughs> you are no longer Dennis Knight. You are Midian. And he doesn't enunciate it well enough, so at least for a day or two, everyone watching thought his name was Minion. <laughs> Drink the fake blood. Oh my! 
Ana Nadra Dothne Dienre You know, I guess the brood joining wasn't that left field when you think about it. And I don't even mean that as a joke. No. No, it makes sense. Now he's taking the knife. Okay, so obviously, fake body. Or something layered on top of Dennis Knight. Yeah. I mean, it's moving with his breath. And I doubt this is something they spent that much money on. Yeah, but Bix. <laughs> no, I know it's... I'm not saying it's his flesh. I'm saying they put something on him. again. And you will learn why. Oh! My gosh! Oh, right, he's got to levitate Get- now. Is that actually where they went to the break on the live show? Yes. Okay. Okay. So what appears to have happened then is that whatever was supposed to make it look like he was floating was barely working. Because they don't even really shoot it. All right. So let's re- we went to talk about what Dave said. Let's go to what Wade said. Let's go to what Dave said. Okay. This this was horrible. <laughs> he did a horrible interview talking in tongues, speaking like he was Jim Hellwig. <laughs> The crowd was chanting bullshit throughout this segment. I heard I'm chanting Austin, what I heard. Yeah. Uh, he ended up cutting his wrist with nice slicing up in Dennis Knight's chest. The idea on paper is that it take Bradshaw, Farouk, and Knight, none of whom are over because the public doesn't want to see big guys who aren't pushed as monsters and aren't good workers, by booking them in a group with a guy who was over. Maybe they'll get the rub. It worked with Billy Gunn. He gave Knight a new name, Median, which Dave spells Median. <laughs> <laughs> like the media on the highway. All right. Um, one thing I forgot to mention: the rating. All right, so five point nine for uh, Mankind and uh, Kane. Mm-hmm. It dropped to a five point one for Turner and Edge. Then it came back to a five point eight for this. <laughs> Way to go, Hunter and Edge. How's your territory doing? <laughs> D'Lo Brown, um, well, see, Michael Cole said, Terry Rollins okay after the incident last week, but said that Terry lost her baby. D'Lo Brown told Terry Rollins he was <sighs> sorry for what he did to her the week before. He didn't do anything for her except except what she asked of him. She seemed hurt that D'Lo wouldn't fulfill her wish, which was to wrestle Mark Henry. 
Mark Henry came to the ring, and they shoved each other. And Terry gave Mark Henry a low blow from behind. Um, it, you know, Dave calls it a miscarriage. Wade didn't do it. All right, so um, I mean, it's the same thing. China, they, yeah. China ran out and threw down Jacqueline, whose booze popped out of her top. In like, isn't that like legit the third time that has happened in like a few months? <laughs> yes. Well. And uh, Wade want to note that uh, Wade noted they which Dave didn't exactly note here that China came up with her woman friend, quote unquote, Sandy, Sammy, Sammy. Lawler, uh, Lawler said when Jackie uh, her boost fell out, I didn't see anything. Did you see anything? Cole said I didn't see anything. So China and, and uh, Sandy helped Mark to the back. Let's. So, uh, let's. You want to you want to play that clip? What? <laughs> you want to play the same Sammy Mark Henry uh, clip here? Yeah. PMS right. trying to draw a little line between Mark Henry and D'Lo there. What else is going to happen tonight? You got me. All right, here we go. Uh, Poor baby. Oof. You okay, Mark? Oh God. Okay. How about a cold mm. drink? Can I get you a drink? Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm gonna go get a drink. I'll be right back. Oh. Sammy, take care of him. Okay? Yeah. I'll be right back. Oh. Well, on uh, sexual chocolate, a little uh, helping hand there by Sammy. Yeah, Sammy and China and sexual chocolate all alone in the dressing room. Oh man, I'll wow. tell you what. You know, we're getting set for the Royal Rumble. We're two weeks. But here's the thing, Dave. Dave creates his own little fan fiction here. What does he say? He says backstage, backstage, Sammy the transvestite was about to sue sexual chocolates, pain in his privates. Now that's gross. Huh? Where'd that come from? I feel like, I feel like it didn't get cut off there originally, though. I don't know. Like, I feel like we have a little hint of what's about to come the next week. Because remember, what happens the next week on the tape show is extra tape that was not seen on live raw here but i feel like there was a little bit of a hint of it but anyway yeah and this is again 1999 so transvestite you know yeah i i I think the i think the best term is that we would use here is that it appears the portrayal appears to be that sammy is a man in drag yes it's a man in drag yes yes all right so i did another events training video this was pretty funny. It was all the stuff out of a 23-year-old Rocky movie, right down to punching the slabs of beef. Okay, we need to watch this. <laughs> but the, oh, real quick, in, in the battle of the owners whose egos are totally out of control, Vince has Eric beat to death on the physique, but Eric sure throws a better-looking punch. <laughs> yes, let's watch this, shall we? Yes, I had missed this in the chapter rundown earlier, and these kits were all great. Let's go! I bet you want this. Vince is running in the snow. That's it. That's it. Vinnie Mac. Vinnie Mac's the man. Number two. Number two. Number two. (sighs) That's it. Put your hood back on. We'll want you to catch cold out here. You do. I'm not the one training for the Royal Rumble. You're number two. (laughs) Number two. You know what that means? Come on. Pick up the pain. The best part is that Shane, in parts of this, is poking out the sunroof of a limo yelling at the bullhorn while Vince runs behind it. <laughs> oh, and Vince and Shane were actually, uh, had a great relationship. Pick up the pace! Let's go! Let's go! 
let's go. Come on, move it out. I'm on oil level. You're number two. Endurance is the key. Text me if you can. Speed up, driver. Speed up, speed up, speed up. Yeah, baby, come on. Yeah. This this is the moment of truth. This is a stupid check in. No, it's not. I'm not the CEO a of a Fortune 500 company. That's okay. You're going to chase up this, this is how you used to do it. This is uh, how you build speed. You will beat Austin. You'll be faster than Austin. You need greasy, fast speed. You need to be grease light. Grease light. Catch that chicken. That's it. Catch that chicken. Get that chicken. That's it. Get it. Make the Colonel proud, baby. How bad do you want this? I forgot that they do a chicken POV shot. I can't hear you. It's cold, freezing. How do you come through to a good steak right after training? I knew you'd come through. Something like that. You're crossing me up again, aren't you, huh? I'm not crossing. Oh, so you we thought this was a setup. You finish that for a freaking movie or something? You're gonna pay. After all this is over, you're gonna pay. Now open the damn door. Whatever. Here's your first run. Here you go, big boy. Wrap it up. Wrap it Meat up. Let's go. Hit it. Hit it. That's it. Beautiful. Boom. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You want Austin? Come on. You own Austin. You own Austin. Here it comes. By the week. Good shot, good shot. Austin doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, that's it. Over him. Make it bleed, baby. That's it. Tenderize Austin's face. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Come on, you're not so sore. That's too bad. What do you think Austin's going to do to you? Austin 360? Nothing. He is toast. He is toast. Good night, baby. Forget about it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. These actually hold up well. Yeah. So we had the corporate rumble, rumble in the show. Ken Shamrock actually did a Pescado five, that five days after surgery on Billy Gunn to eliminate himself. Anyway, I wound up with Triple H and the boss man in the ring, and man, the tank top strutted down and threw both guys out, ripped off his shirt like Hogan, started posing. For something more ridiculous, China then came out, so did Austin distract the events, and China doesn't rub the top. He took a dice bump, too. So China's number 30, Vince is still number two. Let's watch this, shall we? Yeah, I'm just going back to the those two guys getting eliminated. Okay, here we go. Yeah, he's there, oh, look at those arms! Look at that! 21, baby! 21! Jim Dawson. Hey, what have you put together here? Look at that! Look at it! Oh, boy! Triple H now in trouble! Almost! Almost! Here he comes! Mr. McMahon! Oh, look at this! There goes Boss Man of Charles Mr. McMahon is in corporate rumble!
Vince took a hell of a bump off that over the top to the floor. Yeah. Um. Two things here. One. Um. I hate the thing they would do from time to time, where someone would win off a distraction or interference with someone whose music hit when they ran in, and that person's music is still playing when the other person won. Yeah. I always feel like it takes away from whatever the person who won was going to get out of it. And the other thing is, I get wanting to move the Austin-Vince thing forward here, but China should not need Austin's distraction to eliminate Vince here. China, I mean, China was fucking over at this time. You hear it. When and she came out. she's been so well protected. Yeah. It was and just, really you know, that the, the, the problem is having her work matches. Regularly. And then they turn, they turn her heel. Right after this. So stupid. So, yeah. Um, so let's talk about Undertaker's segment, shall we? Undertaker's segment was on from the Raw show. was completely edited off British television. So Raw was only an hour and 45 minutes that week. In Canada, they cut from the point they did the blood pin trick on his wrist and then showed the rest of the skit. The gimmick is you have a pin shaped like a knife that squirts heavy red ink that looks like blood, which is how they did the deal with Dennis Knight's chest. There okay. you go, Dix. Okay, so it wasn't even cutting into anything. It was just it was a found in pen kind of thing. Blood pen that magicians and shit would use, but in the form of a knife. Yes. Yeah. All right. January eleventh was a record breaking, but the second largest audience in history to watch Monday Night Wrestling. The same basic result. Raw did a 5.5, 5.46 first hour, 5.54 second hour, and a 7.98 share. Nitro did a 4.99, 5.87 first hour, 4.9 second hour, 4.29 third hour, 7.16 share. The combined two hours and five minutes head-to-head saw Raw beat Nitro 5.5 to Nitro's 4.54 by nearly a full point. Raw won seven of eight quarters, including the overrun, including one major surprise period. In the overrun, Raw's finals of the corporate rumble did a 6.13 rating. Well, over the same five-minute period, Nitro's giant Kevin Dash match did a 3.92. Total overrun did a 4.7, but that was the final three minutes going unopposed. The final quarter with the finish of Flair and Henning did a 4.53, and the bulk of that match did a miserable 3.84, while Raw's final quarter with a McMahon video in the first half of the rumble did a 5.06. Nitro's long quarter win, which appears to be more a raw quarter loss, was Steiner and DDP doing a 5.5. Nitro's high point, while Raw with the angle with Shamrock destroyed Val and Billy Gunn, and X-Pac Al Snow matched at a 5.0. Raw's high point was a 5.93 rating for the Mankind Kane title match, which destroyed Nitro's 4.23 for the segment that went way too long with Bischoff setting up the ring with Klondike Bill. The return of the Undertaker segment, which was horrible, did a 5.83. Ratings aren't influenced if a segment isn't expected to be terrible, but is, as this was. But if it's expected to be terrible, whether it is or it isn't, that result in people switching. Destroying Flair and Henning by two full ratings points. If you're wondering why Flair, WCW's top ratings draw the past two years, got devastated that badly, it's because he's already done an interview and a second skit during the show and that nobody has seen Undertaker on TV for four weeks. Nobody, not Austin, no man, not Hogan, nor Goldberg, can maintain ratings power at the end if they are the main force of the show, if they are overexposed during the bulk. We'll get more on that subject next week if space permits. What are your thoughts on Dave's uh, analysis there regarding the Undertaker Flair rating situation? Hmm. I don't. I mean, know. my deal. I mean, I think my, my deal is my deal is is that 
WF's hotter product. Yeah. Undertaker, I mean, this is a new thing with Undertaker. A uh, new direction. And it's just different, you know? That's what I'm thinking here more than anything else. Um, and he's been off TV for a month. Yeah. It's just... Again, it just, I mean, but still, I mean, look at the ratings that we're talking about here. That both shows are doing. It's insane. Okay, so let me see. Did both go up or down? Okay, so Raw? Raw only? Okay, so here's something that really... Oh, right. They're, every hour overlaps of Raw, right? It's only that Nitro has the one unopposed hour. So looking in terms of households, because we don't have viewers, but we have households at least at this point. Although, sometimes actually, actually the following week we get actual viewers, but um, at least for this week, um, Nitro was uh, 4.44 million households in the first hour, 3.68 million in the second, and 3.23 million in the third. Raw was uh, 4.1 million households from 9 to 10. 4.16 million from 10 to 11. So if we say about 4.1 plus, I don't know, what do you want to say? Like three point, I mean, that's well over seven and a half million households alone watching wrestling. So if we just say 7.5 million to make the math easy times, let's say 1.6 viewers per household, that's 12 million people watching wrestling at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so if we go with the following week, which where we have actual, you know, P2 plus viewers, um, Nitro is, so let's see, that would be about nine minus. So average is about 4.6 million viewers across the opposed two hours. Raw is... What did I say? Wait, what did I say about 4.6 million? Raw would be about 6.1. So, yeah, well over 10 million, 10, 11, like 10, 11 million viewers, certainly. So, yeah, it's in that range. Oof, I'm telling you, it's crazy. Although the, viewer, the viewers per household is relatively low on those shows. And actually the few weeks we have before this, too where we have viewership um it's it's under 1.5 viewers per household whereas a lot of wrestling seems to hover closer to like 1.6 but yeah i mean that's it also shows you how when we get to that undertaker austin match that's you know goes into the overrun in june that's the all-time record for cable you know most watched match in cable tv wrestling history that one did what? That one did over 10 million viewers just on its own, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it shows. Here we have a point where they're doing really high total viewership, and that match with the overrun and everything and just all the other factors did that kind of number just for that match. It's wild. Mm-hmm. It's wild to look at in hindsight. All right, so they tape Ron Beaumont on January 12th for the next week. Open with dark matches with the Hardy Boys over too much. Dr. Steve Williams over Bob Holly. 
Then we have Heat for Sunday Night Heat on the 17th during our week. Tucker Ali Singh over Gilberg. This idea has already run its course and it's in danger of backfiring because continuing at this point will only make Goldberg into more of a star, Dave reiterates. Scorpio pinned Mark Henry when China came out and gave Henry 24 hours to make his decision, and he was distracted and pinned. Hmm. Jeff Jarrett and Owen beat Gangrel and Edge when Road Dogg hit the ringside to stretch to Gangrel, caused him to be pinned. Godfather over Goldust with Al Snow to stretch to Goldust. And then finally, the main event of Heat, China beat Vincent Mann in an arm wrestling match. When Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson were shoving each other and Patterson collided with Mann, cost in the match. Patterson and Briscoe were hilarious all night long. Shotgun on the 16th. We had Val Venus over Tiger Ali Singh on the money shot. Highlights here for the Undertaker's return on Raw. Michael Cole on Shotgun said Undertaker wants to relocate Hell to Earth. Jim Cornette responded by saying he knew Hell was on Earth already as he lives in Connecticut. <laughs> uh, Cornette and JR sure loved living up there, didn't they, Bix? I don't know if I know anyone that likes Connecticut. Gangrel and Edge beat Scorpion Bob Holly when Edge pinned Holly and test squashed Matt Hardy in his shotgun debut. All right, Dave, notice there's a lot of consideration given added to Brood to the Undertaker's ministry, which happens. Super Astro's ratings are down in most markets from what Univision program has been doing, but never so happy because the shows draw such a strong teenage audience. Univision's concerned because they're strong enough. They're strong among older Hispanics, but the younger Hispanics watch far more English programming, and they want anything to bring teenagers to their network for a future generation of viewers. Vince McMahon expected to meet with Univision officials in Miami soon about trying to get the show increased from 30, 30 to sixty minutes, and get Univision to give up, uh, to up as seventeen thousand five hundred dollars per week. It pays for the shows up to the fifty thousand dollar range. Well. <laughs> I wonder if that, that had anything to do with that show not being on there anymore. <laughs> I mean, this is a good time to bring up, I guess. I don't know if we ever talked about this on air before. Did we bring it up after Bahari talked about it on Twitter? What they told the Luchadors was the reason it was canceled, which it clearly wasn't? I don't remember. Uh, apparently what they told the wrestlers was that they were cutting the budget because of the need to defend the Owen Hart wrongful death lawsuit. Hmm. How scummy is that? Well, I mean, it falls in line with other tactics. So It's clearly not true. The show clearly got canceled. And also, how scummy is that when one of the luchadors was scarred for life by his survivor's guilt for almost being part of the Owen Hart stunt? Yep. What a company. <laughs> I mean, the show's still on through the summer, so sticks around but it was never going to work as a half hour it was never going to work with these most of the cast of characters not really being integrated into the other wwf storylines it just wasn't going to work nope you're putting out these these wrestlers that are mostly unknown to the audience at the beginning or end of tapings it's just yeah i know i know on the Kayantai front, Men's Tail Esther's released a few weeks ago and is back in Japan. Dick Tug will get his official release on March the 1st. What is done with the company is also back in Japan. Twitch Fanaki, who's living in San Antonio, is staying. Takamichinoko asked for his release and also returned to Japan, but he has talked him to staying under a contract, which is why WF will send him to ECW in order to keep him on the contract. Basically, keep him going to WCW since he fit in there if he's right. Oh, yeah, WCW definitely would sit those guys if, if they could have. Yeah. 
It is kind but, of funny, though, too, that the two who work the most Americanized style are the ones who quit first. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Babu. Paulo Marquez gets visa situation straight now, although at this point he hasn't been rehired. Duff is dropping their 900 line. They stopped promoting them months ago in favor of doing all their promoting of their website, which is incredibly successful. Oh, it was. So, wait. Who's taking care of Pablo's visa situation if it's not the company? I don't know. That's weird. Duff has now sold out 21 of his last 22 house shows. With this weekend being a double shot with uh, January 16th afternoon, Sunday, Hershey, Pennsylvania, 8,633, paying 18850 in the evening, selling out Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, Pennsylvania, with 6,129, paying 118,475. And the Continental Airlines Arena on the 17th, drawing 18,740, paying 441,178. Merchandise for the week, including Beaumont, was $276,209 or six seventy four per head. All right. That doesn't matter there, so we take that out. That's a correction from last week. At the Continental Airlines Arena show, they have Steve Blackman over Tiger Ali Singh. The Acolytes are Val Venus and The Godfather. X-Pac over Owen Hart. When Owen got the pin when Jeff hit oh, X-Pac with a belt. He's in European title switch. But the second referee told the first referee... It was restarted, and X-Pot won the match. The Brood, all three of them, beat Bob Holly, Scorpio, and Al Snow. Undertaker over Rock when Farouk interfered. So Undertaker's working at Face on house shows. Um, <laughs> Henry, Mark Henry and D.L. Brown beat DOA in a match with no heat. Jeff Jarrett beat Gold Dust with Deborah's distractions. Modus plural. Uh, Big Boss Man and Tess beat Triple H and the Road Dog. When Bossman pinned the dog after hitting him with a nightstick, man Miss saw Mankind beat Kane for the title using a low blow of a chair and the double arm DDT. So yeah, I don't take it from Bayface on house shows, Bix. So to speak, he's working the rock, who's but he's rocks to heel, corporate heel. Yeah. Interesting. Um also it's so weird in this era to look back, you know, especially compared to now where a house show sellout is not much bigger than a TV sellout because they have a form of an entrance stage, just a smaller one. It's weird to look at this era where they got a sellout or close to at a major arena. It's destroying the crowd size of a TV taping because there's no stage or anything. No stage, that's correct. No. Giant underwent liposuction on his stomach this past week. Yes, Paul White, but it's in the section because he's on his way. Which yes. is why he got the liposuction done. Yes. Torch. Dr. Dusty Williams' new character will be that of an American who's turned his back on his country in favor of Japan. And that lasts a week, and he's never unmasked as Steve Williams. Steven Regal's back in rehab. Okay, so based on the story as he tells it in his book, he went into rehab. Um, it was a rehab that allowed, under certain circumstances, that the patients could go out, but they had to be in groups of three, with the idea being that if there's two of you, one could influence the other to do something and fall off the wagon, but it's a lot harder with three. For some reason, they let him out without two other people. I forget if there was one person with him got something, I forget if it was GHB or whatever, he overdoses or comes close to it, wakes up, is 
put in the hospital, and that's when he had whatever it was that came over him that convinced him he wasn't drinking or doing drugs again. And the way he describes it, it's kind of like, he describes it as kind of being, feeling like a religious thing, but religion isn't for him, but it's just, he just knew at that moment he was not drinking or doing drugs again, understood WWF had to fire him, but they, you know, they put him back in rehab and were continuing to pay for it. And this is him going back into rehab, and I... I want to say, I think in the book, he says they start the clock over on how long he's going to be there even, but he was committed to it, and, you know, it's one day at a time, we don't know what happens privately with some of these people, but as far as we know, he's basically been sober ever since. It could happen. You know, I, I worked with a, uh, worked with a woman who was, uh, she was addicted to drugs, and uh, she just said, she looked at the mirror one day and said to herself, that's it. I can't do this anymore. And uh, she's been clean for mm, almost 20 years now. She said she'd never had a thought of even trying it again. Just quit cold turkey, you know, like it's nothing, you know. And so it can, it can happen, but it's tough. I mean, it's, ra it's rare, but it's tough. I mean, but it can happen, so... Yeah, and it just, also, it just it's just it's just the circumstances. Yeah, and you know, we've also seen in wrestling certainly people who once they get into rehab and they start dealing with their shit, they tend to I mean, some people have done really well after like I mean, especially I think a lot of the more recent cases, you know, Kurt Angle, Jeff Jarrett, Matt Hardy, you know, Matt Hardy did fall off the wagons a little wall in rehab, but still like They've all been doing pretty damn well since, you know. Jeff Hardy, not as much, but still, like, some people just clicks with. Yeah, it's just it's just the person, you know. More anything else, like I mean, that just had a former coworker just overdose on Christmas Day and die. Uh, Twenty-two years old, who uh, been in, a, in and out of rehab for you know past few years and uh was doing fine you know started getting into the church you know started trying to you know do better and uh they found him face down um out and they found a uh vape and they tested the vape and it was whatever was in there was laced with fentanyl jesus yeah he didn't know it so, yeah. Um, okay, so I found the passage of Regal's book. It's um, no, he's he talks about how he'd been in rehab for four weeks, thought he was doing really well, thought the light bulb went off, and then we get this. One day, the other two fellows who went with me to the treatment center—that's right—I think it's they were going out like to separate AA meetings outside of the facility and stuff like that. Um, didn't couldn't go. They weren't there when I went to pick them up, so I was allowed to go out on my own. I drove to the center alone in my car, did my work there. Oh, they were volunteering. That's what it was. And left at lunchtime to drive back. As soon as I got in the car, my head started playing with me again. You know, we'll be going, you'll be going back to work soon. You still haven't been sleeping well. And that all the time you've been here in 10 weeks. Oh, it's 10 weeks. Uh, the, oh, no, 10 weeks, including rehab and before rehab. The most sleep you've had straight is an hour and a half. How are you going to manage when you get back on the road? You know how tired you get. 
you know what works? That renutrient. That's the liquid GHB he had found. You can buy it in a health store. Must be good for you. No one could have a problem with that. If it works for you, puts you to sleep, does all these wonderful things for you. Didn't take me long to convince myself. So as incredible as it may seem, I drove over to a health food store and bought myself a bottle. Yeah, to be clear, everyone, in the 90s, GHB and then slightly reformulated GHB was a thing you could buy over the counter primarily at health food stores and places like GNC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you could buy in those days. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Uh, it didn't take... Oh, wait. I read that part already. Um, I'm telling myself I need a good night's sleep, but I actually had that afternoon off. Thought a little drink would bring a good sleep in the afternoon. Of course, by the time I had bought it, the idea had snowballed into me guzzling it in the car on my way back to the center. And the intention had changed from a nice afternoon nap to a lovely little afternoon buzz. I got back, I had to report to one of the doctors, went in the office, and he didn't spot that I'd taken anything. Went back to my apartment, because it was that's how the rehab was set up, like kind of little apartments. Drank some more and got into bed. Nothing seemed to happen. At any rate, I didn't go to sleep. Next thing I knew, I was sitting naked on the couch in the front room of the apartment, surrounded by people and ambulance men. I hadn't a clue what had happened. The next memory is of waking up in the hospital with tubes in me. What the hell is going on here, I thought. Lay in a haze for a while, fell asleep, and woke up again. I pieced together what I had done, and then the strangest thing happened. I'm not a religious man in any way. If that's your thing, good luck to you, but it's not for me. Yet what happened next was extraordinary. Feelings swept through me like a warm wave. It washed right over me, and I absolutely knew that was it. I lay there, and I knew the truth. I was not ever going to touch any more drink or drugs ever again. I finally realized the simple lesson. Every time I did it, my life turned to shit. I know now I wasn't going to do it anymore. And I felt exactly the same every single moment from that day to this. And then people talk, you know, it gets into people saying how tough it must be to go back on the road, stuff like that. And um, trying to see if, uh, you know, I knew the company would would fire me as soon as they found out about my latest relapse. But everything was going to be okay. I knew that whatever happened to me from then on, I'd be sober and so could handle it. You can always blot problems out for a while using drink and drugs, but once you've sobered up, the problem will still be there. Most likely has got a lot worse. Best thing about being off drugs, not waking up every morning wondering to whom I own an apology, not worrying about what havoc I'd caused and what messes I've landed myself and others. Hmm. All right, so U.S. Oh, excuse me, um, Sable is official. He's going to be wearing the black cat suit on the cover of the April issue of Playboy, which we talked about this before on the show. What a huge deal that was. So. Mm-hmm. And then one of the wilder and, with hindsight, more inappropriate interviews in the history of the Howard Stern show. Yeah. She's also doing an episode of FX's Penn and Teller show. Which Penn and Teller show was this? Oh, I don't remember. USA Network's doing, interested in doing a Jason Ventura movie. Yeah, the, the other one worked out so well. Well, no, well, I they haven't done that it yet. One. So, wait, is this... Yeah, yeah they haven't done it yet. That's right, that's the, the Night of Owens. Well, yeah. is... So, yeah. So, is the NBC one probably a Studios USA production? Which is why it makes sense. It, it looked like it did. <laughs> because it was so... 
you know, talking about that movie, it was so minor league for NBC. Yeah, it didn't look like a movie that should be airing on NBC. No, it looked like a movie that could have aired on USA Network. It like something that you would have saw on the Action Pack, Tech War, and shit, and all that shit. That's what it looked like, and it looked like something that should be airing on NBC. So that's probably what it was. I'm looking to see wow. the companies at uh, IMDb. It says Davis Entertainment and NBC Studios. I forget exactly how close everything between NBC and USA is at this point. I don't think they're all the same company yet. No. But they're at arm's length. Yeah. So maybe this is the same movie? I would guess it is. I think so. Because it was shot with a real quick turnaround, wasn't it? Yeah, another reason probably why. Well, I mean, he was elected in November, so yeah. Yeah. And we close out with a torch. The WF website says the McMahon family bumped into Tom Hanks at a Beverly Hills hotel. Hanks said he was a fan of Austin. Well, how about that? And then Mad Magazine features Steve Austin and Vince McMahon on the cover and includes a six-page parody of professional wrestling. There are four pages of wrestling merchandise for sales, such as My First Steroid Test. Reads the sales pitch, bone joint pain, early hair loss, low sperm count, heart strain. Yes, there's nothing greater than being a wrestler around about steroids. And your youngster can pee in a cup just like the unnaturally big boys. With my first steroid test, it's the total package. With your creatine craze, tot score a two. It has Takamichi Noku pictured there. A five, Ken Shamrock. Or will the test completely explode? Scott Steiner. Also, don't forget my first sworn affidavit. For when your muscle-bound kid gets subpoenaed by the feds. Randy Savage has showed endorsing the product. There's also a Ric Flair smoke detector that lets out a big woo when it senses smoke's in the air. Then there's a haiku that reads, Luger has no moves. At the mic, he's past hopeless. Thank God for steroids. Another one reads, long hours of wait. Then at last, Goldberg runs in. Fans, we're out of time. <laughs> Oh, me. You know you made it when you're in Mad Magazine. So there you go. Wait, were all those really in Mad, or were some of those Dave? That was Mad Magazine. Those were all actually in... Oh, wait, excuse me, wait. No, yeah, it's in Mad Magazine, yeah. Those were all legit in Mad Magazine. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That shows you wrestling's mainstream at this point, Don. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon-requested show. As we uh, go back three years, as uh, pa- patron Andy Linton wants us to do uh, 1996. And uh, quite a bit going on during our week in 96. The Monday Night Wars are getting hot and heavy at this point in time. So we have the, all that to talk about. WF, it's Royal Rumble. So we have Royal Rumble 96 to talk about. Featuring the return of Shawn Michaels. And uh, we'll talk about uh, him winning the Royal Rumble. Undertaker Brett for the title, the Diesel stuff. So, uh, yeah, big uh, night of the Royal Rumble. And the next night on Raw, Vader. That's right, the Vader attack on Gorilla Monsoon. So we'll talk about that and everything else going on on Raw during our week and the the house shows and stuff going on there and other WWF assorted stuff, including Shawn Michaels having to address a recent controversy Outside of the ring, which is not involving anybody fighting or anything, or him getting his ass kicked. So we'll have more on that. 
All Japan, we have stuff on there. Some big shows going on during our week there. New Japan, they got some stuff going on we'll talk about. Uh, war, we got all the Japanese stuff. As uh, Victor Quinones news, indie scum, all that great stuff you'd expect from uh, 1996 Japanese wrestling. Then we have all uh, the Lucha news to talk about, including uh, Shocker starting to get a, a push in CMLL and uh, all kinds of other stuff here. So I'll see, look, read down the notes. Um, USWA, as we get back to the United States. Brandon Baxter returns to television in an interesting little angle, so we'll talk about that. Plus the debut of Miss Patricia Bix on Memphis Television. And we're definitely playing that promo for her her accent. Very uh, Joyzeous-ish. Yes. Since the class is in Las Vegas, you know what that means? It's Nappy Convention time! So we'll have a news on Nappy, one of Bix's all-time favorite deals here. He loves him some Nappy stuff. And a meeting that takes place at Nappy involving Antonio Noki that uh, is puts together a show that will take place during the summer that will be unlike any other show done in the United States. So news on that. And, of course, we have World Championship Wrestling where we have Clash of the Champions at Caesars Palace where Brian Pillman tries to make Bobby Heenan's life a living hell. Wait, we didn't do this <laughs> we have, week? No, Kevin Green. Yeah, oh, Kevin we Green. played it. We played it on the Pillman show. That's why. Yeah, we have Kevin Green uh, making his appearance here for the first time. We got uh, Conan Sikosis showing up. We got Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage against Ric Flair and the Giant featuring some debuting women. So we'll have news on that. And uh, Eric Bischoff sends a letter to Vince McMahon. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. No guest. I don't remember the Bischoff letter, actually. Okay, I'm curious. Oh, this is the letter that they make fun of on Raw the next week. Okay. I, di- I did not realize that was in the newsletters or did not remember. Interesting. I remember the Vince ones. So there you go. Next week on Between the Sheets should be quite the show. A lot of stuff going on. That's why we're not having a guest because we got to do Patreon stuff. So there you go. All right, Bix. Thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And we thank all of you for listening. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode Patreon special edition, episode number 75. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time for part three and the final part of our look back at 25 years of Montreal. Yes, I am, uh, I am ready to move past Montreal, my good sir. <laughs> yeah, but we had to do it, you know, the anniversary and everything, so it's something that had to be done. So, um, yeah, we'll be moving on uh, next month and next year to uh, other topics, so be ready for that. Yes. All right. Let's start off where we left off. Now we're going to the month of December. Finally. <laughs> yeah, because we had two shows that covered one month. Pretty much. So now we're, now we're in December. All right, let's move on to the week of December the 8th now, towards December 13th. Alberta Report and Observer, December 15th. We start with the Alberta Report. Excerpt from That Wasn't in the Script. Wrestler Brett Hitman Hart's double cross in his last WF match by Davis Sheremata for the Alberta Report. Brett Hart agreed to go along with a request from Vincent Mann to lose his belt for leaving the WF, but the wrestler asked if he could retain the belt. During the WF's Canadian tour and lose it when WF hit Illinois and New York later in November and December. I was not going to go out of my back in Can- uh, from Canada, says Brett. I owe it to my fans. I owe it to Canada not to lose on their Remembrance Day weekend. Unbridled Canuck patriotism has long been part of the hitman persona. Not only has Brett scolded American fans of their country to design- take care of his sick and elderly, he recently told a Pittsburgh audience that the U.S. needed an enema, and their city was the ideal place to insert the hose. Last week, both uh, Jim Neidhart and Hart ally David Boy Smith quit the WF to join the Hitman in WCW in the WCW. Must be a Canadian thing. It has Owen to will be. leave. Owen would leave as well if not for his ironclad contract requiring three more years under McMahon. Every champion the WF has ever had for the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, has left with a bitter hatred for Vince. Says Brett. I asked Vince if he was going to make fun of my character when I leave. He said, "Absolutely not. We'd never do that to you." On the next day broadcast, it was advertised that Brett would make an appearance with Shawn Michaels in the ring. Major dressed up as the hitman in the Clement of the Rose, where he was viciously mocked and beaten up by Michaels. Brett, who still is in Calgary, is hoping for the help DWCW, which has never organized a match in Canada. Organized a match, which is a lie because they have. It's a, to get a foothold over the border. They ran Canada in 1993. They ran Canada in 1990. Yeah, they ran 93, too, if I'm mistaken. No, 90, definitely, yes. Because 90 was I'm, when um, they had the show but, where, like, there was the, the, the toxic the, gas leak at the ice rink or whenever it was. They well, they had the thing when, in 90, which was uh, people were talking about, the, you know, the whole thing with Flair was going to quit. Oh, because the tour was so rotten or whatever it was? No, dropping the title of the Luger and stuff. No, that whole time period, because that was the time period where they heard one of the drop title Luger. But what does that have to do with Canada? Because they were in Toronto. Oh, when well, all that stuff went to the Toronto newspapers, the one that was like putting that story out there. But anyway, we did that. We covered that in the show. Mm. Uh, I mentioned to get into the Toronto Sky Dome with Hogan and BC Place, maybe even Molson Center, where I could make it with all those fans for leaving a dirty taste in their mouths. He says, adding that retirement from the ring is only three years away. I look forward to disappearing from the public eye. I look forward to throwing my wrestling boots into the Elbow River. Now, he ends up signing an extension in WCW, doesn't he? Even if it ends up being moot with the injury, yeah. the budget cuts and stuff. Let me see real quick if this says when his extension was signed. 
Yeah, so he had signed an extension that would have put him under contract through the end of November oh two. So he was talking the three year talk here, but he had signed for longer. Yeah, it was in ninety nine. Like um in his book he mentions that during his conversation with Vince before Owen's funeral, which just as a reminder everyone, the lawyers told Brett not not to talk about Owen with Vince. Um Vince was bringing up the idea, why don't you just come back, work for me, finish your career here? And Brett's like, I don't even know if I could wrestle again, and even if I wanted to and to leave WCW, you know, I just signed an extension, blah, blah, blah. So in 99, I guess, I guess in 99, early 99, yeah, what am I talking about? He was being used better, though, when he re-signed. You know, it was a little messed up, but they had the Toronto, you know, Goldberg angle. He was about to wrestle a match on The Tonight Show. Like, I could see why he was optimistic compared to how they yeah. began. So, I guess the other, you know, interesting quote here is the not going out on my back in Canada thing. Just him being that blunt about it, I guess. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, like we, we, we didn't talk about it, you know, about being a mark for the, can- the Canadian, you know, motif of his character. You know, and 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 how this if if this show had not been in Canada, then there wouldn't be hardly no problem, hardly any problems. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it was in Canada, so yeah. December fifteenth, torch. December twentieth, McLean's an observer. December twenty second, ex from Real Life Wrestling. The hitman lives up to his name by Dale Eisler from McLean's. Taking a break from his daily workout in the in his gym in the 810 square meter five bedroom home in Northwest Calgary, Bernhardt gingerly extends his right hand to greet a visitor. It isn't much of a handshake. The six foot, 235 pound heart offers only limp fingers and no grip, hardly what one would expect from a five time champion of the World Wrestling Federation. I gave him the wrestle handshake. <laughs> well, read on. But yeah, it's a good excuse. I got a broken bone in my hand, so I have to be careful. Uh, there is that. It says Brad, whose soft voice bears no resemblance to the imitating growl, the character known as the worldwide as the hitman. The explanation gets even more interesting when Brad admits he broke the bone by landing a haymaker punch at upper jaw of Vincent Mann, founder, owner, and promoter of WWF. A company that's taken professional wrestling out of the seedy low rent arenas and turned it into the multi million dollar international TV spectacle. I've got a sore hand, but I figure he's a lot sore, says Brad with a hint of satisfaction. Professional wrestling, of course, is not a sport as so much as lowbrow theater. Theater. There was the method acting a character development that was crucial as body slams and pile drivers. But Hart's punch was a real thing and it reverberated around the wrestling world. Vince suffered a concussion from the blow but had his ankle broken in the ensuing melee when others intervened and still bothered by blurred vision that he says could be permanent. And while Vince has not pressed charges for what he calls an unprovoked attack, he doesn't rule out legal action. If his sight is permanently impaired, I feel hurt at a personal level," said Vince. Brett and I were friends for a long time, and I never thought he would do that. Do what he did. It seems like his hitman character became the same as Bret Hart. But for God's sake, this is entertainment, not real life. I said I'm not going to be trashing a million in my own country, and Vince said he agreed, and that was the right way to go," says Brett. But Vince doesn't remember it that way. Stephen told McLean that he and two others met with Brett on October 21st in Tulsa to say that Sean would win the belt from Brett when they met in Montreal. It was not Brett's preference, said Vince, but he knew that was the plan. Okay. 
<laughs> that was a lot here. Okay. Do we think Paul J has told Brett not to say that they have a recording? Um, possible. I feel like he must have, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, especially if you're doing this in this like prestige mainstream magazine, wouldn't you offer up, hey, the documentary crew that was following me around had me mic'd up when I went over the finish with Vince? Yeah. So I'm guessing they have an agreement not to talk about this until Western with Shadows comes out. Um, yeah. Interesting. This, I mean, this is the first time we're hearing Vince quotes in this kind of context, too. Yeah. In Montreal. You know, otherwise it was, you know, just Brett screwed Brett. But Vince is being a lot more tougher here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we move on a little bit. Brett was concerned also in the ratings for WCWF has given his productions a more adult flavor. Listen, wrestlers rants for profanity and sexual overtones. Brett, who is married with four kids, age seven to fourteen, had built this character to heroic proportions by playing the tough guy. Ultimately, did what was right. If kids are watching Brett Hart on TV on Saturday morning, he says you can know they're in good hands. But McMahon dismisses Brett's concerns as a cop out by someone who has not changed with the times. Former colleagues say Brett's been a model of employee, willing to go over wrestling talk for go over wrestling talk for lose when he was whenever he was asked. I can't speak what happened between Brett or Vince, says Ken Shamrock, a WF wrestler known as the most dangerous man alive. Which they capitalized, but, I, but that's not the nickname. No. But I can say that Brett's the kind of guy all wrestlers look up to. Brett put it this way. I gave the company everything I had. I did everything they asked. Often more than 250 bouts a year. And in all that time, I missed only two dates. I was a lawyer employee and thought the company would be loyal to me. In a world of make-believe where the words are usually as phony as the wallops. The hitman sounds really hurt. Wow. Well, a lot of uh, uh, yeah, a lot of vernacular here. Wallops. Yeah. <laughs> Is McLean's a Canadian publication? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I think it's McLean's, but yeah. McLean's, McLean's. Let's see here. It'd be McLean's, but it is. They're. Website says McLean.ca, Canada's magazine, since 1905. I wonder if they covered the first NWA World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> Stu Hart already been in business for 10 years by then. So, in the. Yuck, yuck, yuck. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.